greetings, and good afternoon, everyone. This is Cheryl, and I'm so pleased to be here to welcome you to Torah and Rama's Saturday afternoon program, the True Planetary and Galactic History History, and True History History of Nasara. Blessed be on this Saturday before the full moon on August 1st. And uh, we welcome you and bless you. And we're going to go ahead and proceed with our opening meditation. So we thank you in advance for your divine service. So take this time to go into your heart center. Going into that heart portal within your heart, the portal to all that is. And as you do, we call forth for the full emergence and integration of our soul, of our higher self, of our monad, of our mighty I am presence, our holy Christ presence, all of our multidimensional beings, <clears throat> through to our galactic presence, universal presence, God presence, goddess presence, all of our divinity, anchored in, through, and around us, as completely as possible in this divine moment of our expanding to perfection. And we see ourselves in our pillar of light, beautiful crystal and white light directly from source. And we see, sense, and feel our pillar of light fully anchored to source, to our Mother, Father, God, and directly anchored into the heart of Mother Earth, Mother Gaia, our Cosmic Mother. Allow yourselves to relax and expand your heart, your heart chakra, and your pillar. As we call forth everyone upon the planet to join us. <clears throat> Please repeat after me. I am my I am presence. As my I am presence, I am one with the I am presence of all humanity. I am one with every man, woman, and child. I am one with all my family members and loved ones. I am one with all that is. <clears throat> and so we invite everyone to join us in this divine service work as we recommit ourselves to being the bridge between heaven and earth, the anchor for the new golden age, and the open door that no one can shut. We call in for one and all, all of our soul extensions, <clears throat> planetary and galactic. All of our ancestors, all of our genetic lineage or ancestral lineage, all the generations past and forward, our spiritual lineage, our soul families and soul pots. We welcome for everybody our guides and teachers, our healing teams, our beloved guardian angel, our beloved twin flame, our ascension council, our mission council. We welcome the assistance of all the kingdoms, the plant kingdom, the tree kingdom, the mineral kingdom, the animal kingdom, the diva kingdom, the elemental kingdom, the fairy kingdom, all of the kingdoms of nature, the whales, the dolphins, the unicorns, and all magical kingdoms. 
We welcome all the realms of the angels and the angels and archangels through to the cherubim and seraphim and all angelic healers and healing teams. We welcome the Ascended Masters, the Brotherhood of Light, the Sisterhood of the Rays and Rose, the Order of Melchizedek, the Radiant Ones, all of the Enlightened Masters, all Divine Mother Emissaries, Divine Father Emissaries, all of the planetary and cosmic hierarchy of life, <clears throat> and all Ascended Master healers and healing teams. And we welcome all of our friends in the Galactic Federation of Light and their healing teams, especially those that we work so closely with, from Arcturus, from Pleiades, from Sirius, from Andromeda, from Chiron, from Venus, from Lyra, and beyond. And we welcome all cosmic, galactic, universal healers that can be of service, welcoming the assistance of the entire Company of Heaven, Asking Mother, Father, God to overlight all that we do and magnify, magnify, magnify it in divine order and through divine law 999 billion times 999 billion times. And we welcome at this time the assistance of all of the rays, all of the flames, all of the universal laws, all of the ascension waves. And with every energy and frequency, every prayer and invocation, every blessing, every grace, every dispensation, every activation. We ask that it be received individually and collectively. The maximum that we can receive ever expanding to perfection through every cell, chakra, meridian, layer of our org field, multidimensionally. On a conscious, subconscious, superconscious level as well. And we ask to easily and effortlessly digest and assimilate, ground and anchor, integrate and embody all that we receive with the greatest of ease and grace and joy and peace and bliss and ecstasy, serenity and tranquility, balance and equilibrium without resistance on any level, without discomfort on any level, without fear on any level, and love and light and laughter. We welcome everyone and everything in our circle of support in uh, with, to join us from the very first name that created it to every uh, man, woman, and child, to every family member and loved one, every friend, every neighbor, every pet, every animal, every individual, every group, every organization, <clears throat> every corporation, every institution, every business that we have included and all of, it, all of them, in fact, and every nation, and every military, and every government. And the, uh, with special blessings towards the governments at this time, blazing the violet flame with me, as we call in Lady Liberty and call in uh, the Goddess of Justice to overlight every aspect of government, the legislative aspect, and all <clears throat> legislative bodies the U.S. Senate, the House of Representatives, um, every parliament, every state legislature, every provincial legislature, every <coughs> city and local legislature, 
<coughs> every city council, every school board, every one making uh, laws and rules and regulations and ask that the violet flame blaze through each one, ensuring that they only represent divine government. And the same with the executive branch of each government, each president, each prime minister, every head of state, <clears throat> every cabinet member, cabinet post, here the Department of Justice, the Department of State, and all of, all of our <coughs> excuse me, cabinet members, and everyone that is making decisions and everyone who works in the executive branch um, in this nation and every nation. And, uh, again, asking that the violent flame blaze through that and only the highest and best decisions are made in each and every nation. And that um, it indeed be all in alignment with divine will and divine government. We ask the same for the judicial aspect of each nation, each government, the Supreme Court here in the U.S., the highest court in the land of each and every nation, all federal, state, and local courts, and here and in every nation, every provincial court, and the judges and all judges and all juries and all grand juries and all decisions and all court cases and all prosecutors and all defendants and um, every situation that is going through a court, the court system. As we ask the goddess of justice and the goddess of liberty to blaze the violet flame with us and to ensure only the highest and best decisions are made by the judiciary of any nation that are in alignment with divine will, divine law, and divine government. We ask the same for all of the weather patterns across the planet all of the weather changes and the weather extremes and the heat and the drought and the uh, floods and the storms and um, the typhoons and the flooding <coughs> and the wildfires and every situation that is climate-related. And we ask Mother Gaia to work with us to quiet these disturbances and to come into harmony and balance. As we ask every man, woman, and child to come into harmony and balance to assist in that process. And of course we have in the circle every situation that is unlike love, unlike perfection, unlike heaven on earth. And they continue <coughs> in our ongoing prayers. <coughs> So we call in all of the energy around all of the events going on, whether it's the full moon, whether it's the um, day out of time that we just experienced last week and the galactic new year, and the uh, full moon in August, <coughs> excuse me, and the World Congress of Illumination, the 8-8 Lionscape Portal all of the energy going towards all of these things and all these things that people are paying attention to around the world. We call in all of that energy into our collective cup of consciousness to use for the transformation of the planet and the creation of heaven on earth. And we ask at this time 
for Gaia to, to receive all that we receive through her chakras and meridians and layers of auric field multidimensionally. Through every ley line and zone line. Through the grid system, the love grids, the light grids, the unity grids, all of the multidimensional grid system. And through every portal and vortex and monument and sacred site and place of power, every stargate, every city of light. As we continue up the spiral of evolution, along with Gaia, as she takes her rightful place as Freedom Star. <clears throat> and we give thanks for this opportunity to serve in this way. And we call forth the highest heart activation that we can receive individually and collectively through the following visualization. So allow yourself to be comfortable, spine erect, feet on the ground, and visualize your heart chakra beneath the top of your breastbone. And see it as a four-inch in diameter rose pink sphere of light. Filled with the love and light of the creator source I am. Now breathing deeply, fill the entire sphere with the gold and white liquid light. Silently saying to yourself, I am the cosmic heart, I am. And now we intend to visualize a second sphere of rose pink crystal light extending outward to encompass the throat chakra and the solar plexus chakra. Breathing deeply again, fill the entire space with golden white liquid light. Silently saying to yourself, I am the cosmic heart I am. Intend or visualize a third sphere of rose pink crystal light extending outward to encompass the third eye chakra at the brow and the sacral chakra below the navel. Breathing deeply, seal the entire sphere with golden white liquid light. Silently saying to yourself, I am the cosmic heart, I am. And intend to visualize a fourth sphere of rose pink crystal light, extending outward to encompass the crown chakra and the base root chakra. Breathing deeply again, fill the entire sphere with golden white liquid light. Silently saying to yourself, I am the cosmic heart, I am. And now intend to visualize the fifth sphere of rose pink crystal light extending outward 12 feet in diameter to encompass the spiritual body of light and all of the subtle bodies within your org space. Breathing deeply once again, fill the entire sphere with golden white liquid light 
silently saying to yourself, I am the cosmic heart. I am. Now, let's visualize and intend a sixth sphere of rose pink crystal light extending outward to encompass the entire planet Gaia, all of Mother Earth and flooding all of her being, all humanity, all of the kingdoms, both above and within the Earth. Breathing deeply once again, filling the entire sphere with golden white liquid light. Silently saying to yourself, I am the cosmic heart. I am. Now please take five very deep breaths. With each one, we are activating the chambers of the heart, which encompass the solar, galactic, and universal levels of the heart. Seeing the entire physical creation as one grand heart of the Creator's love and compassion. We expand into the vastness of all that is above and below, within and without. Filling all of the creation with rose pink, golden white light. Bringing all levels into a state of union fusion. And as we fully embrace all of this, we say internally three times, I am the cosmic heart, I am. I am the cosmic heart, I am. I am the cosmic heart, I am. And now, simply with your intention, gently and slowly, begin to collapse all the chambers of the heart down through all the levels into the heart chakra. Settling into your heart chakra now and silently saying to yourself, I am that I am. I am all that is. I am Mahatma. I am. I am divine light. I am divine love. I am divine joy. I am that I am. Take a nice deep breath as we seal this and anchor it for ourselves and for the planet. We'll call forth Gaia and Archangel Sandalphon to assist us to anchor all that we receive for one and all. As we call forth the highest ascension energies we can receive, the golden white light once again. See it in, through, and around you as we affirm mighty, blessed, adorable presence of the I am. Do for all humankind whatever needs to be done now to make everyone aware of their blessed I am presence, the host of ascended masters, and of the necessity to make effort to the ascension. Great ascended masters of light and love, great cosmic beings and cosmic light, 
charge, charge, charge all humankind's consciousness everywhere with thy ascended master comprehension, eternal divine memory, all-powerful concentration, infinite patience, and divine love until every human being accepts the fullness of the ascension and comes through into victory. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the ascension of the light now made manifest. Great host of ascended masters, give us the full ascended master feeling of this now and raise us quickly into its eternal accomplishment that we may be prepared, return quickly, and render assistance without limit everywhere until all are free. All that we have decreed and asked for ourselves, we decree and ask for every human being on the earth and all who come here in the future, that the entire planet may blaze forth the eternal victory and light of the mighty I Am Presence and sing the eternal song of joy, the ecstasy of light, and evermore be at peace. We thank thee that thou dost answer our every call instantly. So be it and so it is, and we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Mighty, blessed, infinite, I am presence, great host of ascended masters, mighty legions of light, great angelic host, great cosmic beings, and great cosmic light. Come forth on the limitlessness of thy mighty presence and cosmic power into the physical octave of earth. Charge into us all the fullness of the ascended masters, love, light, wisdom, power, infinite patience, kindliness, humility, reverence, gratitude, purity, spiritual integrity, and honor in everything we do now and forever, eternally sustained by the Ascended Master's obedience, self-control, management, marvelous directing intelligence, insight, foresight, inspiration, discernment, discretion, diplomacy, peace, poise, and praise. Charge us, charge us in our worlds with the Ascended Master love and pour it through us with the power of a thousand suns to blaze forth with such irresistible force that, unlike, that all unlike itself is instantly consumed, perfection made manifest, and all set free whenever we move and to whom our thought is directed. In the fullness perfection earth has ever known, make each of us an ambassador from the ascended host of light. We call to the I am presence of each one to take command of their mind and body, produce perfection and hold dominion. Let no one betray the trust that the ascended masters give us. Do thou, our own mighty I am presence, hold our hands. Go before us, clear the way, and make all things harmonious, prosperous, successful, and perfect. 
charge forth in through and around us such invincible protection and almighty perfection that we wholly move untouched by anything but ascended master perfection in all of our experiences eternally sustained. We thank thee, thou dost always answer our every call, instantly and infinitely, keeping it eternally sustained and ever-expanding. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We once again call in the highest frequencies of divine love, the comprehensive divine love, the pink rose light that we just worked with earlier, as we decree. Can't see it intrude around you, all humanity and all of the earth. Mighty I am presence, great host of ascended masters, Mighty legions of light, great cosmic beings, great cosmic light, great angelic host, angels, angel divas, and archangels, cherubim, seraphim, and the great lords from the flame from Venus. Come forth in the mightiest power of divine love the earth has ever known. Established by unfed flame here in every sanctuary and every home on this earth, and keep it forever sustained. Teach and show every human being the fullness of its mighty power, perfection, and dominion. Charge forth through every human heart the full flame of divine love and joy from each one's own mighty I Am Presence. So expand its light and cosmic activity through the individual that all will feel and know the mighty victory of its presence forever. We thank thee this is done now, forever sustained and ever expanding. So be it and so it is. Again, we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Take a nice deep breath as we anchor this. And we call forth all of the beings of light that work on divine government as we ask for obedience to the divine plan. Mighty I am presence, great host of ascended masters, great cosmic beings, and lords from the flame of Venus. In thy full authority of the great cosmic law, project the great cosmic light with irresistible force throughout the government of the United States of America and hold all individuals true to their oath of office in obedience to the divine plan of the great cosmic beings for the perfecting of America, the government, and her people. Come forth. Take possession of all governmental offices. Hold your dominion and divine justice everywhere within our government forever. We thank thee, thou dost always answer our every call, and it is eternally sustained and ever-expanding. As we call this forth, for the United States and for all of the Americas, all of the countries in North, South, and Central America, we call it forth for each and every nation as well. 
And we give thanks for this, we give thanks for this, we give thanks for this. We call forth with this full moon for divine abundance. So please bring in the golden flame of eternal peace and infinite abundance. Again, see it in through and around you and in through and around the planet as we decree for ourselves and for all. I am, I am, I am the eternally sustained manifestation of God's infinite supply of money and every good thing I require to assist me in my service to the light now made manifest and sustained by holy grace. I am, I am, I am the eternally sustained manifestation of God's infinite supply of money and of every good thing I require to assist me in my service to the light now made manifest and sustained by holy grace. I am, I am, I am the eternally sustained manifestation of God's infinite supply of money and of every good thing I require to assist me in my service to the light now made manifest and sustained by holy grace in deep love and appreciation for my glorious gift of life I consecrate my heart and soul to be the open door for the patterns of perfection from the causal body of God until the new earth is manifest and all life evolving here is wholly ascended and free. It is done, and so it is. And we seal it by saying, Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. I am invoking the golden light of God's abundance and eternal peace on behalf of myself and of, on behalf of everyone across the planet. And especially every light worker who is involved with establishing the patterns of perfection for the new earth and the physical plane. I know through every fiber of my being that my mother, father, God, and the company of heaven are accepting this financial sustenance as a gift of love being given to God in appreciation for humanity's gift of life. I I expect and accept that this money is blessing all life and increasing a thousand times a thousandfold on its return to me. And on its return to those who are selflessly assisting the creation of heaven on earth. 
I know this is transpiring with the highest good of all concerned right here and right now. Moment by moment and day by day, everything I need to fulfill my divine plan is available to me through God's infinite abundance and eternal peace. Universal laws, ask and you shall receive and knock and the door will be opened, are manifesting in my life now and forever. I revel in the buoyancy and elation of my newfound freedom and God's infinite abundance. The company of heaven rejoices with me as I reclaim my divine birthright and I accept my eternal peace and the God, God of supply of all good things. So be it and so it is. Beloved I am. Beloved I am. Beloved I am. That I am. And through the power of God, God is blazing in my heart and the hearts of all humanity. I joyously receive and accept the gift of God's golden flame of eternal peace and infinite abundance. On the wings of this divine light, I ascend into the causal body of God. From this realm of divine consciousness, I have a clear inner knowing that God is my supply. I easily relinquish now in the name of God, God as I am, all of the power I've ever given to lack and limitation through my thoughts, words, actions, and feelings in any time frame or dimension, both known or unknown. I relinquish now in the name of God, God as I am, all of the beliefs I have ever had that were based in poverty consciousness. From this moment forward, I consecrate and dedicate my very life to be the open door through which the new frequencies of the golden flame of eternal peace and infinite abundance will now flow to bless me, my family, friends, co-workers, and all humanity. As I breathe, think, speak, feel, and act, the presence of God, God is within me, is perpetually expanding the golden light of eternal peace and infinite abundance to all life evolving on earth. So be it, and so it is. Once again, we give thanks for this opportunity to serve ourselves and all humanity and be that divine vehicle of infinite light, love, joy, eternal peace, and infinite abundance. We ask us to be sealed once again in the crystalline light of source and to be maintained and sustained in the hours, days, and weeks ahead. So I want to take this time to thank you for your divine service as we anchor heaven on earth and invite you to further service each and every Sunday and Monday evening for the Ascension Meditation and Activation Call 
We begin at 8.45 Eastern Time, 5.45 Pacific Time. We start with about 25 minutes of greeting, and we're so grateful that Rainbow has been there to do greetings for us. And then Tara and Rama give us an update for about 20 minutes, and then at 9.30 Eastern, 6.30 Pacific Time, we begin our work of, of anchoring heaven on earth in earnest through our visualizations, our meditations, our activations, our invocations, and our decrees. This is a teleconference call, so let me give you that number. And um, the phone number that we're using in most cases is area code 480-660-2224. The access code is 946 7441-POUND, 946-7441-POUND. And we'd love to have you join us and be a regular part of the calls and even come for greetings and and let us know where you're calling from. There are plenty of numbers to use besides this. There are also local numbers that I can provide for you. There are international numbers I can share. There's an app for freeconference.com, and and I can send you the link to get on the computer to do it through the Internet. So you're welcome to join us each and every Sunday and Monday. And I thank you for your service, just as we thank Tarn Rama here this afternoon for their service. sending that energy across the planet, the golden light of eternal peace and infinite abundance to all, infinite blessings to each of you at this amazing time as we prepare for the Lionsgate portal. And uh, again, this full moon is going to be amazing as well. So with that, I'm going to pass the talking stick and express my gratitude to Rainbird. <laughs> so Rainbow, there's every ray imaginable in that crystalline and white light, and the, the right of the white and gold ascension light, and the gold of eternal peace and infinite abundance, and um, blazing so very brightly with everything that we could ever require. I'm going to pass the talking stick, my dear. Thank you. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you for your divine service. We're so grateful. What a powerful meditation. Lots of gratitude. So I'm here to do the housekeeping as we are a listener-supported radio program. It's each of us that makes it happen. <laughs> so uh, we have expenses, expenses each week with CBS Radio, and this week we need $286.25. And so that'll cover what we're doing right now and we'll be good for next week. So um, lots of gratitude for your contributions. Here's how you do that. Go to your heart space and see what is yours to give and then go to bbsradio.com 
And there on the home page, you're looking for the schedule for Radio Station 1 and Radio Station 2. Um, Radio Station 2 is this program on Saturdays, the true history, history of Nisera, our galactic origins with Tara and Rama at the 3.30 hour. So these are central times. And you can click on the icon there, and that'll take you directly to our account. And then the other two shows we have on are on Radio Station 1. On Thursdays is the night of the round table with the panel, and that's at 8 o'clock Central. And you'll find that listing there. You just click on that icon, and that'll take you to our account. And then the Friday show is the hard news on Friday night with Tara and Rama on Radio Station 1 at 8 o'clock hour as well. So that icon, as you click on it, takes you to our account. That's how we get there, and then it's just a matter of using your bank card to make that transaction happen. So thank you, thank you, thank you for taking that action. We're so grateful for your participation, and this is a beautiful way to participate. So we're also assisting Tara and Rama with their needs, and they have bills due this week, uh, totaling $450. And... uh, so that's one, two, three, four, five different bills. So lots of gratitude for that coming in a good way. And they also need $1,200 to pay back, back a private loan for their car. And as you can assist with that, that's beautiful. So lots of gratitude. Here's what we do to make a donation to Rama, uh, to the Rainbow Roundtable uh, PayPal account. So they go to rainbowroundtable.net. There on the home page, you'll see that menu grid. Just click on that, and the menu drops down with all all on the site and lots of stuff on the site. Near the bottom of that list, next to the last, is the donate link. Click on that, and that takes you to the Rainbow Roundtable PayPal site. So you can make your donation there using a bank card. And if you wish to access the friends option, you do that as a gift. And you need the email there for that. And so that email for gifting in the friends option is Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 9999 at hotmail.com. And so that's Koran49 at hotmail.com. And then as you enter that, that should should be the friends option. We're all friends here. So we're friends and family. <laughs> So thank you for choosing that. Either one is perfect. We're grateful for all your contributions and all the ways you show up in your life. So what else? Yeah, as you're sending something, you need to let Rama know what you sent and when you sent it. And that email for that is coran999 at comcast.net. And uh, then as you need it, the mailing address is as follows. Rom D. Berkowitz, B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z, Post Office Box 280-280. And that's in Santa Cruz, New Mexico. The zip code is 87567. So Santa Cruz, New Mexico, 87567. Thank you, thank you, thank you um, for taking that action and making those contributions so that 
Tara and Roman can live in a good way. And next week is on Saturday. <laughs> next Saturday is Tara's birthday, and we get to celebrate it all together here on the 5th of August. So lots of gratitude for her birthday. <laughs> and it will be a portal day, of course. <laughs> and it's a two-con, geez, a four-con. But as we land on our birthday, we know we're in that cycle of repeating that those 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 rhythms that the Mayan record of days brings to us in the magical way that it does. So we're grateful for Tara and having a birthday next week. Um, what else do you need to know? You know, I think that's it. I know. Thirteen thank yous, honey in the heart, long life, no evil, and I'm passing this talking stick and Cheryl sent it to me and it's got that all that crystal golden light and uh, just all the other gold of abundance around it and lots of healing rays and the rays of the rainbow and all the other magical rays and uh, <laughs> and here the, this talking stick also is celebrating that Lunasa uh, holiday that's coming on Tuesday so everybody's got bread. And they're coming on this talking stick with lots of loaves of bread. So, <laughs> oh, and then there's a few that are bringing roses with that. <laughs> Got that funny. <laughs> okay, so bread and roses it is. And greetings, Tarama. Here comes this talking stick with all the fairies and feathers, and the little people are all there. So, welcome. Greetings. I like those loaves of bread and the fairies. <laughs> Roses as well. Yeah. I guess the, um, well, everybody likes bread, I guess. Yes. <laughs> Birds and crows and deer, too. That's right. They do? <laughs> they do. <laughs> Greetings, everyone. Um, well, um, there's everything to complain about if you're in the political sphere and you're, yeah, you're running with that. It is a mess. It's Place a zoo. Place the fire. Place the fire. I could say that there have been M and X class flares in the last 24, 12, 48 hours, and some of them are, like, um, awesome to behold. And the energies keep getting higher, and I say that, you know, like Aurora Ray is saying, we are in the fifth dimension, and still in yet, we... Gotta chop wood, carry water before and after enlightenment. And it's kind of what is happening. I didn't talk to anyone today. I just watched the energies with the clouds and the ships are here everywhere. And they just kind of drift in and drift out and you can see them as you focus your energy and just ask 
they decloak and then they cloak and look like the chemtrails, but they're not chemtrails. And uh, I can just say, you know, what these life forms in Washington are playing with blaze the violet fire. St. Germain has been doing this longer than I know how to talk about. He's a master alchemist. I leave it up to him. I pass the talking stick. Oh, but you have experience of incarnating with St. Germain in the primary role of guiding your life as Merlin Commander. Yeah, there are gaps in the memory banks, I'll say it like that. Oh, they're coming back now, aren't they? They are, I need a little tweaking. (laughs) Well, let's have Mother come in and do some tweaking. Yeah. It's time. Yeah, the neural pathways need some, uh, let's say, the spark of divinity. Well, we can... Have everybody come to listen to Cheryl Croce on Sunday evenings and Monday evenings. And um, I'll just put it out there again right now. Cheryl did just a minute ago, but I'll just put it out there again. Just Spirit said, do this. It's every Sunday evening. starts mountain time at 7, or 7 o'clock. So that would be Eastern time at 9 o'clock. And everything in the middle of there. 425-436-6260. And the PIN code is 946-7441-POUND. That's 946-7441-POUND. It's about three hours long. And... Tar and Rama give a little update on what's going on on the big story. And then Cheryl works with all these very cosmic beings that uh, she plays their talks and she does invocations and uh, she sometimes sings some tones and it it's a... a it's a inspiring, uplifting time, and you can spend your time meditating. And um, it's like re- rejuvenation time. It's really that. So we can do that every Sunday evening and Monday evening, starting at seven o'clock Mountain, nine o'clock Eastern. Thank you, everybody. So talk about cosmic situations. Rama's got something cosmic for us. We're going to get started here. What's this, Rama? This is Aurora Ray, the cosmic countdown, quantum shift of 5D Earth. The cosmic countdown begins. Cosmic countdown. Exciting time. Long before we knew it, 
humanity started to evolve, and now we are moving towards a new level of consciousness. Whether you are aware of it or not, this shift is already happening at a cosmic level. The cosmic countdown to the birth of 5D Earth has begun. The shift from third dimension to fifth dimension is a very important part of human evolution. The energy of the Earth is shifting, and it's only a matter of time before we start feeling the changes. The shift from 3D to 5D will be like a quantum leap in our lives as we move from one state of being to another. In order to make this transition easier for humanity, there is a need for us to create an entirely new way of thinking, new ways of perceiving reality, and new ways of acting upon this perception. This process is called a quantum leap, which means that your beliefs will change from old paradigms into new ones. The new paradigm is based on what you know now through your senses, 3D, but also through your heart, 5D. We have to go through some changes at our own personal level first. We need to evolve spiritually within ourselves and reach higher levels of consciousness. Then we will be able to see with clarity what's going on around us. The process is called ascension or evolution. It is a quantum leap in consciousness and will lead humanity to a new level of understanding and awareness of who we are and what we are doing here on Earth. The shift from 3D to 5D was inevitable because we have been living in a false reality for thousands of years. We were taught that this world is all there is, but now we know better. We have now come to understand that our lives are created by our thoughts and that we can create anything we want with our minds. In order for humanity to progress, we need to make different choices and decisions about our lives and how we want to live them. We need to start thinking about what is important for us in this life and how we want to spend our time here on Earth. It is important that you understand that there are many different dimensions out there in the universe, and this one is just one of them. It's called Earth because that's where human beings live, but there are many other places like ours out there where people live their lives, too. There are also many universes out there that have different laws of physics than ours, and some of these universes might not even exist anymore because they were destroyed by nuclear weapons or something similar that happened with our universe thousands or millions of years ago. The fact of the matter is that 3D consciousness is an illusion and the way we have been living our lives based on a belief in reality as separate entities is simply that, an illusion. This means that we are free to choose how we live and exist in this world. As the new consciousness becomes part of our reality, the nature of the ego and the use of concepts such as control will very likely change. We will come to see ourselves as a vital part of the whole rather than separated from it. The planet is shifting very quickly out of its old reality and into a new one. Everything from the way you interact with people in your daily life to the very laws that govern your society is going to change. It is this shift that is causing so much conflict, both on the world stage and within ourselves as individuals. And at the center of it all, we will find ourselves forced to make a choice. As we are pulled more strongly into new experiences, some of them uncomfortable or even terrifying, we will have to decide whether we want to take advantage of the opportunities they offer or let them slip away. It is up to each one of us to decide which path we will travel on this journey of spiritual transformation 
and rest assured that we are not alone in making this choice. Is this all sounding a bit far-fetched? Hard to believe? Well, I was the same way when I first started researching the connection between science and spirituality. But over the years, I have truly seen that it is indeed possible to use scientific lenses on spiritual topics. And as someone who has been trying to do this for quite some time, I would like to encourage everyone to investigate this on their own. Don't take my word for it, or anyone else's, because discovering it for yourself has its own magic. We love you dearly. We are here with you. We are your family of light. We are the Galactic Federation. Aho. This is a message to humanity from Aurora Ray, Ambassador of the Galactic Federation. going to jump right in with uh, Greg Braden, right, Ron? Oh, okay. I just wanted to say that what she's talking about, I experience when I go out and I hang out with the deer and the crows and yeah, the trees, and it is absolutely real. And as we can shift our reality from one of what's going on on the illusion of the matrix it, it certainly helps to listen to the force and here we go this is called Greg Braden and Daniel Estelin Divine Spark versus Pseudo Soul they're talking about the AI and cybernetics, immortality. And um, what I could say that I have had first-hand experience on the New Jerusalem, which is one of the 12 motherships circling this planet, 5,000 miles in diameter each. And these... Folks in Congress are whining about shifts that are about a football field, four football fields wide, and, you know, like Aurora Ray said, we live in a universe where there are so many different ways to connect with other folks who may or may not look like us, but they have just the heart. That's what it's about. Think with your heart. Focus. In this edition, I'd like to share with you a conversation that I had recently with an amazing man, Dr. Daniel Estulin. Some of you are familiar with his work. If you're not, let me tell you a little bit about Daniel, why we had this conversation, and I think what you see next will have even deeper meaning for you. 
Daniel Eschelin, uh, he's many things. He is a journalist. He's an investigative uh, journalist. He's an author. He is an expert on geopolitics. And through a mutual friend, it is that expertise that initially brought us together to talk about what's happening in the world, what's driving the changes, where we feel those changes may be leading, what those changes mean for us in, in our lives. He's the author of, uh, of a number of books, best-selling books, 48 languages, now in 68 countries. He's reaching a lot of people. And it's through those books and his insights that, uh, not surprisingly, he was a 2015 nominee for the Nobel Peace Prize, the Nobel Prize in, in Peace. One of his most recent books, I love this title, Trans-Evolution, The Coming Age of Human Deconstruction. And this is obviously about the the movement that I've talked about in many of my videos as well and some of my books, the movement to replace our natural biology with synthetics, computer chips in the brain, uh, chemicals in the blood, sensors under the skin. The transhuman movement is kind of the umbrella that uh, many of these ideas fall under commonly. And that was the basis of the, the conversation that uh, that I'm going to share with you now. It's about an hour long, and if you're not familiar with Daniel's work, you'd like to know more about it, please check the link below in uh, in the comments section in this video. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we had sharing it together. It was completely unscripted. We didn't know where it was going to go or even how long it was going to take. Uh, we ended up stopping at one hour and agreed to call this Greg and Daniel Part 1, and uh, we will have a Part 2 within the next couple of weeks. So without further ado... Please enjoy the, the conversation that I had with Dr. Daniel Eschelin. Uh, Daniel, it is an honor to be with you. I have followed your work. I am a huge fan of your work behind the scenes. We have a mutual friend that's uh, that's put us together for the first time. Yep. This is completely unscripted. We don't know where this is going to go, and that's what makes it very exciting. No, we know it's going gonna, it's gonna to go well because you and I, we know what we're talking about. We have a lot of common interests as far as knowledge is concerned. And uh, I think there's a lot to, uh, to talk about. You know, the, I think the, the point of departure could be the point of transhumanism, something that you've researched for many, many years and talked about in your documentaries and, and films that I've watched many, many times and Guy amongst them, many other platforms as well. So let's start with that. So what do you see? I mean, where do you see that going? Because we can talk about what transhumanism is. But today it has transmogrified itself in something. Well, you know, I don't want to call it unseemly, but... Uh, um, there's a lot to discuss as far as the direction and what we're going to do with it and the fact that we have no language to really explain what's going to happen. Yeah, well, first, I'm, I'm just going to begin by saying I, I'm a scientist. I'm a, a degreed uh, geologist, a very strong background in math, physics, computer science, and, uh, and I am a fan of technology, so I am not anti-technology at all. What I'm seeing happening, Daniel, is there is a movement, and I'm going to use that word intentionally. I believe it is a movement. Uh, it is it is intentional. It's happened for a couple of generations now where our young people are being conditioned to believe that uh, they are powerless victims of the world around them uh, and that the the very nature of being human, of a carbon-based form of life, we are flawed – and among the flaws that are being taught to our young people, they say the, the ability for humans to have emotion is a flaw because it clouds our, our logic and our thinking. And the ability, the way that we reproduce through physical intimacy, 
is a flaw because it is it is random. It's by chance. You never know what you're going to get. And so we're being taught that we are a flawed form of life uh, and that we are victims of our external circumstance. And if you're a victim, it means you need a savior. And the savior that's being touted is the savior of technology. So we are we are now at this crossroad, uh, a, a pivotal crossroad where we are determining as a society and as individuals, how much of ourselves do we give away to the technology? Now, I'm, I'm very passionate about this for a couple of reasons. One of those reasons is there is a, a tenant in biology, Daniel, and I know you and, and your viewers have heard this. It's called use it or lose it. Right. And what, what that means in biology is that we, we have these highly advanced biological systems, you know, the immune response and human metabolism and the way that memory and, and, uh, neuron production, all these things, the way they work. If we begin to replace these natural abilities with synthetic, uh, abilities, with computer chips, with artificial intelligence, chemicals in the blood, sensors under the skin, what happens is that our bodies believe those functions are no longer necessary and they begin to atrophy in one generation. And then the next generation, when we pass those characteristics on through what is called epigenetics, the epigenetic programming, right. the next generation says, you know, maybe we don't need to do these anymore. This is exactly how you lose a species. This is how you lose the capabilities of a species. So our young people are being conditioned to worship the computer chip. Uh, and, and what they are not being told, and as a scientist, I find this fascinating, is computer chips are definitely fast. They're definitely efficient. And I'm a, a, a computer chip guy. I love, I love the tech. However, computer chips and all of the AI and everything we're talking about, it is limited by the physics of the material it is made of. In other words, the information is limited. It can only pass so quickly from, from one atom to the next atom, depending on if it's silicon or gold or, you know, whatever it is. And this is where it gets really interesting, Daniel, is because what we're finding is we say, what is the upper limit of the human neuron? What is the upper limit of the, the, the cell membrane? And what the scientists are saying now is we do not know our own limits because every time the human body, whether it's a single cell or it's a neural network uh, or it's a system in the body, when we approach what we believe is a limit, our bodies are conditioned and programmed to adapt and change and up level. We diagnose problems and we fix, we heal those problems. And just for example, new brain states, but I was in school back in the 50s and 60s, and even now, young people are being taught that uh, the brain states uh, top out around 40. The, the speed of processing in the brain is about 40 hertz, 40 cycles per second. And now the Tibetan monks that are being studied at UCLA through the scanners are showing that under certain conditions, they exceed that. They can go to 80 cycles per second and then 100 cycles per second. So scientists said, okay, we made a mistake. Now we have to have a new brain state. And then the, the monks said, well, if we do a, a different process, we'll go beyond that. And so they had to come up with the gamma brain state and the hyper gamma brain state. And now the epsilon brain states. 
we do not know the upper limit of what it means to to be a biological being. And we are in a generation, Daniel, where we're about to give our humanness away to the technology before we know what we're giving away. And this is, really, this is my message. That's a really good point, because, again, I think you'll agree that from the point of view of the elite, we're at war. We are at war with the elite. And for the first time in history of civilization, there is a technological opportunity to create, if we're the homo sapiens, let's call it homo mihoris, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. How do you do this? With genome editing. So what's that? Well, gene editing is, is a group of, of technologies that give scientists the ability to change an organism's DNA, as you know. And these technologies allow genetic material to be added, removed, or even altered at particular locations in general. Let me give you a simple example. Growing a baby outside the womb is known as ectogenesis. And uh, according to uh, papers, uh, scientific papers at the Deakin University study says an artificial womb would need an outer shell or chamber. And that's somewhere to implant the embryo and protect it as it grows. And so the artificial womb would also need a synthetic replacement for amniotic fluid, a kind of a shock absorber in the womb during natural pregnancy. And finally, there will be a, a way to exchange the oxygen and the nutrients. In other words, oxygen and nutrients in and carbon dioxide and, and waste products out. So the researchers would have to build an artificial placenta. And the uterus, again, it's, it's not a very complex organ. And so if you're the elite, you take an artificial uterus, you take an incubator, in the same way as if it were an incubator for chickens, and then you have artificial insemination, and we genetically shorten the gestation period, and you get as many of this whole horse with limited cognitive abilities as you need. And today, technologically speaking, this can be done. And I think what most people don't understand is that we are losing, we the people, we're losing this war. Humanity is losing. And so I think what we, what we would need to learn from the elite to change the dynamics of the game, well, because they play a long game and we don't. You know, we plan weekend, maybe next weekend, at most we plan somebody's wedding six months down the line. And these people plan hundreds of years in advance. For example, at the end of World War II, in 1945, while the Soviets were celebrating victory over the Nazi Germany, the financial elite that created the Breadwood's economic system that today is on its deathbed. They were already preparing the dismantling of the Soviet Union 50 years later. They outdid themselves. It didn't take them 50 years. But they were at it that long. So I think, again, what's under assault are not only our individual human rights, but the very institution of the concept of nation-state republic from the oligarchy's massive social engineering product conducted through uh, Tavistock Institute for Human Relations and and, and, and and others, much larger integrated networks of these uh, centers of applied social psychology and social engineering that emerged in the afterwards of, uh, aftermath of World War II. And these groups regard us, the people, and the principles of nation-state as it's kind of an axiomatic philosophical enemy. In other words, we're talking about behavior modification. So let me ask you this, from the point of view of science, Again, we can talk about transhumanism, human, transhuman, posthuman. What is the purpose, do you think, of this behavior modification we're witnessing right now? You, you're, you're thinking exactly like I'm thinking because that's where I was going to go next. Because everything you said, yes, everything you said, and those things are all happening. But ultimately, Daniel, we're, we're in the middle of a battle. You know, there's a battle for our thoughts. That's very apparent. You yep. need look no further than the legacy media to see 
how it's called the the fifth domain of, of warfare, how we're being programmed, our beliefs. There's a battle for what we believe about ourselves, about our origin. Are we the product of random mutations or uh, and lucky biology, or is there some intentionality? There's there's a battle for the the way that we believe our universe even began. Is it random physics, or is there some causation underlying that? All those are happening, and everything that you're saying, Daniel, is happening ultimately. I believe they are all distractions from a deeper battle, and it's a deep and ancient battle that has been playing out for a very, very long time. It's a battle for our very humanness, and even even beyond that, and I'm going to use a word, and then I'll define that word. There is an aspect of our humanness that is called divinity, mm-hmm. and a lot of people associate divinity with religion has nothing to do with religion. If you look at the definition of divinity, it's really interesting. Divinity is defined as the ability to transcend perceived human limitations, the ability to become more than the limits we have placed upon ourselves. And ultimately, I think this is the answer to your question It is a battle for our divinity because it is our divinity that frees us from the shackles and the bonds of the fear that keeps the human population enslaved through all of the methods you're talking about, Bretton Woods and, you know, everything else. The the wars that are being fought, uh, the intentional effort to break the bonds of our society. Rich against poor, men against women, black against whites, Christians against Muslim, adults against children, and it goes on and on. All of that, all of that is ultimately designed to steal from us our very divinity because when we have our divinity, then we exercise the full potential of what it means to be human, the extraordinary abilities to self Take a tour of a place from the comfort of your phone. regulate the human body, to self-regulate our immune system, to self-regulate longevity enzymes, to to uh, self-regulate our ability to uh, to create greater heart rate variability, which makes change easier for us. Super learning, super memory, super cognition, all of this is only available through what we call our, our divinity, our creativity, our intuition, our imagination. AI, computer chips, chemicals in the blood do not have imagination. So when when we give our divinity away, we are vulnerable to other people's ideas and other agendas of what our world should look like and what our lives should look like. I believe, to answer your question, this is the ultimate battle that we are fighting for our humanness, our divinity, and DNA is is the key when we replace the DNA with synthetic polymers uh, and you know all of the the things that are being proposed right now the DNA literally it literally is a biological antenna that allows us to access uh, intelligence that we're only beginning to understand through the best science of the modern world so now I'm not saying that every Every politician knows this. Most of them don't. 
Absolutely. But they're, 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 they're pawns in a game. But ultimately, those at the top playing this game, humans can only be subject to control if they lose their divinity. And I think that's the battle of, of our generation. And, and, and most people don't even know it. I also think if you ask ourselves, so what are they doing really? Like if you ask the question so, um, of the elite, well, they're bringing about forced change to our way of life. Right. Without our agreeing and without ever realizing what's happening to us. As you said, most politicians, 99.999% have no idea that this is being done. No. And the ultimate goal, of course, the complete extirpation of the mankind's inner sense of identity, the tearing out of mankind's innermost soul. You're speaking of the divine. It's a divine spark of reason. And the placement in this vacant space that they've created uh, of an artificial synthetic pseudo soul. But to do this, in order to change mankind's behavior away from industrial production into all kinds of, you know, pseudo things and bring us willfully into this world of post-industrial era of zero growth, zero progress, Satanism, trans-industrial sixth technological paradigm, one must force first a change in mankind's self-image. So it's fundamental conception of what we are. And so the image of man appropriate to that new era must be sought out, synthesized, obviously, speaking Spanish, and then wired into our brain. And of course, over time, that's how we will become whatever, from homo sapiens to all the horse. But by breaking the very basic value system, they extirpate the human being from this world or no? Yeah, no, I, I, I see that. I see that happening in... And what is the insidious thing that's happening now, Daniel, is in the old days, the attempt was to impose these things upon society. But that doesn't work because people will push back. So now what is happening? Of course, it doesn't work. It never no, works. no. So, so what's happening now is the ideas are being implemented through skewed and distorted algorithms in our social media through regulation of, uh, you know, legacy news media to lead people into a way of thinking that supports the agenda that is being imposed. So people are actually making the choices that are destroying their own lives and their own society. It's, uh, I'm, I know it's happening and I'm still amazed as I watch it because it is so efficient. And it is it is happening. Uh, it is working so well. It is actually working very well. And also knowing that, you know, the, someone asked me recently in an interview, how do we win this battle? And my sense from studying with the indigenous people all over the world and reading the ancient texts, I don't think you'll ever fight. I, I don't think you win the battle by fighting back. You win the battle by becoming the best version of yourself, when we awaken all of our potential, when we live what it means to be human, we've already won the battle. And Buckminster Fuller, I think, maybe said this best. He said, You're, you'll never change the world by fighting against the things you don't like. Now, we all know sometimes we have to fight. We all know that. But he said, if you want, if you want to change the world, he said, find a better way to do the things that you want to do and the old ways will collapse. And I believe there's a lot of truth to that. So I think when we, if we get caught up in the hate and the anger in the fear of what we don't want, Daniel, that's very different than living the life that we choose out of love. We love 
Theo's nose was cause for alarm, so Dad brought Puffs Plus Lotion to save it from harm. Puffs has 50% more lotion and brings soothing relief. Don't let your nose get burned. A nose in need deserves Puffs indeed. America's number one lotion tissue. We love to create beautiful things. We love to, to have a strong family. You know, we love to have strong society. That's very different than riding in the street and burning down buildings and turning over cars because you're angry. So, yeah, so by, so the way that we win is we live our divinity, our ability to transcend perceived limitations. And, and this is so interesting because even in the definition, the ability to transcend, it becomes, it means to become more than the limitations that you perceive. They may not even be real limitations. They're limitations that are perceived, that have been programmed. We've been programmed to think that we are powerless, limited victims of our environment. So it's, it's a fascinating time. And I, I am seeing this happen so quickly, Daniel. It, I don't think it will drag on for another generation. Running, we, no, yeah, we're, we're at a crossroad right now. Something's got to give. Something's got to give. You mentioned yeah. something which is absolutely true. I mean, the the whole idea of, of physical slavery, okay, colonization, physical slavery, force, brute force, that has been replaced by technological slavery. And again, in the past, it was done via military aggression. Today, you don't need to do that via military aggression. You do it with advanced technologies. Let me give you a simple example. Internet. What's internet? It's a digital gulag under the control of Big Brother within the confines of this permanent hybrid war. My internet is not working. Oh my God, how am I going to survive the rest of the day? And they live very comfortably and very happily within the confines of this make-believe world. And the collective degradation that we experience in society is, is palpable. So a world where physics and mathematics are considered racist subjects invented by a white race. And if you tell, and if you tell people that everything they need to know is available for free in Wikipedia, or that there is no need to study, that you can use, use, use chat, uh, GPT to get you any information you want to write any paper you want, and that everything is an internet, then two plus two becomes 22, and that whoever tells you two plus two is four is a racist. And the next step, we're building a society absolutely dependent on concentration camp technology to survive. And what I was saying, again, what you and I were discussing in the beginning about this move from uh, humanism to transhumanism, okay? We are living in a world of meta-systems. Now, if I cut off your access to Internet, most of these people will not be able to survive because they're empty vessels. Mm. The brain is an empty, clueless vessel. That's one thing. And the second thing, okay, has to do with human cognition. How do you think Greg, human cognition fits into this global plan of control. Well, this is this is the point that the the cognition is part of the divinity. When we talk about divinity, uh, when I'm not doing what I'm doing now, uh, I'm a musician. My wife is a musician, and we spend a lot of time with amazing musicians. And if you ask a musician, we're uh, my wife was just at the Grammys, for example, earlier this year, and she would ask musicians. Where did that amazing piece of music come from? Every one of them, every one to the T will say it didn't come from me. It came through me from somewhere else. That is our divinity. It's our creativity. It's our imagination. 
that uh, that allows us to express in in these ways. And cognition, all of our cognition is is part of that. So what scientists are finding now, and I'll give you a perfect example. The we are almost at a generation now where artificial AI visor uh, is now available. They've been available commercially to young people. So here's what they're finding. This is what the peer-reviewed scientific studies are showing. Young kids, maybe three years old, four years old, they wake up in the morning, eat breakfast. Their parents place them in the living room. They put an AI visor, and the kids sit there for hours and hours and hours. And in that AI visor, they are seeing things that they would never see in the real world. They're seeing situations. They are having an intensity of sound and of colors that makes going into the backyard playing with their friends seem boring because they're, they're seeing these. So now, now that this has been happening for a few years, scientists are doing the studies and what they're finding is that cognition is being damaged from kids using these AI visors, uh, you know, for extended periods of time. And here's the reason because they are watching. They are observing all of these things happening. They're not using their imagination. Right. They're not using their creativity. The AI is doing it for them. So there is a, a thickening in the brain, literally, the tissue and the visual cortex is thickening, but there is a degradation in other parts of, of the brain as well as social skills, interpersonal communication, emotional development, even the size of, uh, of the brain development. So we're already beginning to see uh, how physiology is changing, can change in response to to the technology. And uh, I just want to say, you know, for our, our... The Lexus UX is the compact crossover built for the city with a refined suspension and an available 12.3-inch touchscreen. The Lexus UX, engineered to fit in, designed to stand out. Click the banner to discover more. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Our listeners out there, again, I, I'm not oh, against technology. Gross. Uh, it's not good, bad, right or wrong. It's how we apply it and the thinking underlying the technology. Because tra- we already use transhumanism. You know, you get a hip transplant. That is a form of transhumanism or contact lenses in your eyes or, or whatever. And, and I think that's fine. We're talking about replacing large portions of uniquely human capabilities with synthetics, like putting a computer chip into the brain. Uh, so that parts of the brain are, are no longer thinking and, and creating those neurons or chemicals in the blood that mimic the immune response that the body already has. And if those chemicals mimic that immune response over long periods of time, the body's own immune res- response is compromised. And, and we know this. We know this from peer-reviewed studies. So I'm, I'm not saying don't use technology. I want to be really clear with our, our viewers. I think we're talking about, yeah, you and I are talking about something else. It's one thing, you know, we don't want to be living in the Stone Age, but the idea is that the, the idea of the elite of what transhumanism is and how we understand it in a good sense of the word are two different worlds. Because, again, what's if you're thinking about what is transhumanism? Because, again, people often, you know, imagine the ter- if you ask anyone, well, they think of Terminator, Rise of the Machine, Hollywood films, yeah. I roll, but and other many Hollywood films as an image of transhumanism. But is this what the elite are working towards? Because that's the question, because transhumanism is really, if you think about it from their point of view, is this ultra high tech dream of computer scientists and philosophers, et cetera, et cetera. It seeks to use this 
um, radical advances in technology to augment the human body, mind, and ultimately the entire human experience. It is the philosophy that uh, supports the idea that mankind should proactively enhance itself and steer the course of its own evolution. Well, and it all it all comes from the assumption that we are flawed to begin with. But so just to be be clear with our viewers, if if some of you maybe um, have heard of transhumanism and are not so familiar, there there are actually three levels of transhumanism, and we're engaged in two of those levels right now. So first level is what we just talked about. If you replace a knee or a hip or you know contact lenses, you're using technology to enhance the human experience. That's that's level one. Level two is where we begin to replace parts of the body with synthetics. And I'm not against this either. I mean, we today, Daniel, we have the technology. We can 3D print uh, a kidney to to replace a failing kidney. I think we can pretty much 3D print that entire body. Well, right, or right now, they're, they're 3D printing kidneys, hearts, and um, and the epidermis, so skin tissue for, for burn victims. That's a beautiful thing to help people that need that. Uh, to, to a limited degree. The third phase is the one that I think is the, the stuff that the science fiction is made of is where the thinking, and, and I've talked to some of these, these researchers. They believe that human consciousness is limited to ones and zeros and pluses and minuses and can be, can be that our personality, our consciousness can be confined to a computer chip. And if we are confined to a computer chip, then we become immortal. Because when one body breaks, you download the information into another body, a robot or another human. Ultimately, I think they're afraid of, of their own mortality. Uh, Ray Kurzweil, who is a, an innovator, uh, you know, he's a, a tech guy. I think he's, he's director of engineering at Google in one of exactly. the, the AI, AI firms or, or departments. Uh, and he's he's a real technologically oriented guy. So I'm not saying he's a bad man. I'm not saying that. But he very casually says by the year 2035, we will be a hybrid species. There will be no yeah. no no pure humans. But then this is so interesting. I was watching an interview and they asked him and they said, well, what does that mean for society? What does that mean, you know, for our children in our everyday lives? And his answer was so typical. Daniel, he, he he essentially said, don't ask me. He said, I'm just a scientist. I'm going to push the tech as far and as fast as I can. The, the social implications, that's for somebody else to figure out. So he's he's just having a great time developing new tech. But the social implications, and we're seeing this with the AI right now and, and everything that's happening with uh, AI in our lives. If you look at the constant breakthroughs, speaking of social implications and technology, uh, uh, which makes the transhumanist vision of a very real possibility for the near future. For example, uh, you mentioned neurochips, neurochip interfaces, computer chips that connect directly to the brain are being developed as we speak. And the ultimate goal of this brain chip will be to do what? To increase intelligence thousands of times over, basically turning our human brain into the supercomputer. So you have lifelong uh, emotional well-being is also a key concept with, uh, within transhumanist movement. And they're saying that this can be achieved, Harari is talking about this, through a recalibration of the pleasure centers in the brain. In other words, pharmaceutical uh, uh, mood renders have been suggested, which will be cleaner and safer than the mind-altering drugs, again, Harari. And this is 
uh, Huxley's 21st uh, century scientific dictatorship without tears. In other words, the era of the world controllers. And as Huxley said, there seemed to be no good reason why a thoroughly scientific dictatorship should ever be overthrown. And of course, the The goal is to replace all the, you know, aversive experiences with pleasure beyond the doubts of the normal human experience. Nanotechnology, what we know about that, that's a pivotal area uh, as far as the transhumanists are concerned. And so the size of creating machines, which are the size of of molecules, and again, they're talking about Global Futures 2045 International Congress. That's their project. That's their vision. You mentioned uh, 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 Kurzweil. Well, he's talking about singularity, which is uh, uh, technology and biology together. And singularity, according to them, would occur at a point in which artificial intelligence surpasses the capability of the human brain. And so we're going to have from cyborgs with very long lifespans uh, to downloading consciousness, as you mentioned, into the machine. Transhumanists say that it is impossible to predict exactly what this post-human will be like, but according to them, it will be better. So my question is, do we want to be an immortal transhumans? Or mortal humans. Well, this is where the, this is one of those beautiful places where the wisdom of our ancestors, the best science of the modern world, and, uh, and the technology that we have today come together in, in a really, a really powerful way. So I'm, uh, I am a multidisciplinary scientist and it allows me, I say that because it allows me to stay current with new discoveries in many, many different sciences. And one of the things that's not being talked about, Daniel, but the, the scientists are, are pretty much on board with this, is that we now know that modern we, we are called anatomically modern human, AMH. Uh, and we know that we showed up on Earth about 200,000 years before present, 200,000 years ago. Scientists agree on that. The controversy is how did we get here? The old story was random evolution, random mutations, and Darwin's idea of evolution. The problem is that new studies in genetics through DNA studies, we now can extract the DNA from the fossilized remains of the beings that we used to think were our ancestors, the ones that we came from. And now that we have done that, we see that we did not descend from these earlier forms of life. We didn't descend from Neanderthal, for example. Uh, and the genome from our earliest ancestors 200,000 years ago and our genome, it's exactly the same. We have not changed in 200,000 years. Now, when they look at specific chromosomes, human chromosome number two is a big mystery because it is the result of the fusion of two pre-existing chromosomes, and I, most of our, our viewers know that on the ends of the chromosomes are the telomeres that uh, protect the chromosome when it splits uh, as the cell divides. Those telomeres are always supposed to be on the ends of the chromosomes. Human chromosome number two, they're on one end and on the other end, and they're also in the middle because the chromosome is the result of that fusion After the fusion happened, there were genes that were added, genes that were taken away, genes that were silenced, and it happened exactly 200,000 years ago when we emerged. And if that was the only chromosome that had those kinds of mutations, you could say, well, you know, it's, it's unusual, but maybe it's lucky. But it's not. Human chromosome number seven 
underwent a rare mutation that allows us to, to have complex speech and allows us to sing, uh, connecting our tongue and our jaw and our brain. So the point is that we know that we are not the product of random processes uh, evolving slowly and gradually over a long period of time. Something happened, something mysterious happened 200,000 years ago. The science knows that. They're, the controversy is what, what happened, but they know something happened. And we were given the abilities that we're only beginning to understand now. So the question is, do we believe that we know more than who or what is responsible for us being here? My sense is we know just enough to tweak that biology, but we do not know the long-term implications. And that's why I, I personally believe we owe it to ourselves uh, to know who we are. What does it mean to be human? And what is our potential before we give it away to the technology? And, and what I'm seeing happening right now, I'm seeing two parallel societies. Daniel, there's one, one element of our society that's all in on all the tech. I mean, they're, they're in, you know, give, give me a chip in the brain and, you know, whatever. And then there's another element of our society. I, I live in a rural area in northern New Mexico. And I go to my little co-op to buy my fresh vegetables and, and my groceries. Mm-hmm. And this is where I get to see my neighbors. They don't know what the stuff you and I are talking about. They don't talk about this stuff. Mm-hmm. But what they do know is this. They said something is wrong in the world. The world is moving too fast. We are losing the values that we cherish as individuals in the society. We need to go back to the basics and so they're they're not going to go in on the technology. They're growing their own food. They're taking their kids out of school. They're cr- growing their own business. They're not plugged into the global economy. It's a local economy. So I'm seeing two parallel societies at the same time. And I, I think what's going to happen, Daniel, is, is what humans do is we're going to check each other out. And we're going to say who's happier, who's healthier, whose lives are more fulfilled, who has more creativity and imagination? Who are the best artists? Who are the best musicians? And I think that's the way we're going to go. And I think realistically, it will probably be some middle ground. I think we'll accept some of the technology, but we're going to keep the elements of, of our humanness. I think that ultimately is, uh, is where our society is going to go. And, and I think it'll be very polarized. I think there's going to be a, a technological element that's going to look like those cyborgs. You see in, um, you know, in science fiction, and then there's going to be the pure humans. And even now, Daniel, you know, there's a call in some countries, Latin countries, for blood from people who have never ex- ex- accepted some of the technological interventions that we have been offered or required over the last few years. That blood is becoming more and more valuable and the human birth rate is declining very fertility on a global basis is declining so the ability to conceive and the natural human biology and human blood is now becoming recognized as more and more precious you mentioned uh hollywood and in, in, in the films and in parallel worlds well transhumanists they they have big plans for humanity and their star started project is called project avatar okay human-like robots controlled via brain computer interfaces Supported and financed by what? U.S. Department of Defense, via DARPA, via NASA, 
etc., etc., etc. And what's fascinating, Greg, is that uh, David Cameron, the uh, director of Titanic, Avatar, his futuristic film, Avatar, and now a real uh, uh, world, they're almost identical. And so if you start looking at the elite plans and the, and, and, and the film storyline, they're too, uh, too similar to be uh, uh, coincidental, for example. Did you see the film Avatar? I have, yes. Okay, the, the, again, for, for those who might not have seen it, uh, the film begins in the year 2154. Pandora, okay, think of the name, Pandora, is run by this corporate elite on top of the world. Okay, that's the, the, the one world government. It's not a free market enterprise, but total monopoly. Now, Earth has been mined, you know, to depletion, natural world destroyed, and the ruling elite won't hesitate to do the same with other worlds. And so to facilitate their planned exploitation of Pandora, a scientific elite works under the occupying military force, which in turn uh, serves the mega corporations of financing the mission. And so these towering 10-foot blue avatars, are the result of individual human DNA fused to Pandora's humanoid DNA. They are called Navis. And once this hybrid body has been grown in a tank, what we just talked about before, okay, uh, the team can transfer an individual's consciousness into these avatars, retaining the person's full identity. Are they telling us what they're going to do to us and we're just too stupid or too blind to see it? You, yeah. you know, there is... Um First, I love the movie Avatar, and it illustrates a principle that now has become a philosophy in some scientific circles. And so the philosophy goes like this, that consciousness informs itself through the things that it creates. So what we think is um, uh, entertainment, it might be entertainment, but it also is our consciousness creating through books and music and sculpture and dance and movies what it is that we are asking ourselves to remember about ourselves. So if you take this concept and you look at some of the big, especially science fiction movies, Matrix, for example, the first Matrix. Yeah. Now, it, you know, there was Hollywood, shoot them up, and, and they had to do that. But But the theme of the Matrix is that there's a world that we cannot see that influences the world that we can see and that we exist in both of those worlds. That's exactly what science is telling us right now. And you look at uh, the film Inception about our ability to, yeah, yeah, it's a very deep film, our ability to dream within dream within dream and to actually interact with one another and have business deals. That's what happened in the movie. They would go into the dream state, seal the business deal, and then they'd walk into the boardroom and it was a done deal. But the people around them had no idea, you know, what That's just the happened. That's the film with Leonardo DiCaprio in case people. Yeah, yeah he was in that. And then, and then you look at the, at the films that the young people are being drawn to now. They're all about superpowers, you know, Wonder Woman and the Avengers about dormant powers in the human body. So when we see all of these, we have to say if consciousness informs itself through the things it creates, what are we asking ourselves to remember through our entertainment, through our movies? When you look at Avatar, I think it's right on. I think you nailed it. And uh, and I think that The Matrix, a, a dear friend, a colleague of mine, Dr. Bruce Lipton, uh, we were touring Europe uh, in a train the year that, uh, that the, the Matrix came out. And we were talking about the movie. 
And he said to me, he said, you know, people think it's science fiction. He said, but it's actually a documentary. And I I had to think about that. He said, the Matrix is a documentary. It's telling us about our relationship to the field. So I I think I do. I I think there's a lot of truth. But, you know, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Because, again, one of the things, uh, if we're talking about Matrix, we're talking about the elite. Uh, What are the elite afraid of today? You know, I um, well, I was going to ask you something very similar. What I was going to ask you was the conversation we're having is not occurring within a vacuum. There are many things happening in the round. There's disclosure that is happening on whatever level you believe is authentic. There is the climate change narrative and and the geoengineering of our planet. There is the the buckling and the collapse of a global financial system. And the, the the economic system that it's part of that. So so this conversation of, of our transhumanism, it's not in a vacuum. All of these things are happening and they resonate. Ask, they they yeah. they have let me so let me answer that then the yeah. question. And now I want, I want to see what you think. Uh, uh what are they afraid of? Or how let me let me ask a rhetorical question. How does the world work from a historical vantage point? Because what they're afraid of now, we've seen this before, is just we, the people, don't know our history. What's the ideology of the Western world? Well, at first we had slave owners, and there were fewer numbers, and all the others were slaves. And so this modus operandi did not obviously resist the the, the test of time. And eventually the Roman Empire, okay, gave way to the feudal order. We're talking about between the 4th and the 6th century. And then the slave owners were forced to do what? To share some things with the former slaves. And this system, well, it could not resist the test of time either. And so feudalism gave way to modern capitalism, where each ex-slave bought a small car, a small house, vacation two weeks a year in Disneyland or wherever the hell they go. Why? For the simple reason that slaves were physiologically the same people as patricians, the slave owners. Mm. And so first of all, they, they multiplied without any control. Second of all, they, the slaves, we, the people, the great unwashed, as Kissinger and Rockefeller calls us, we needed to eat three times a day, every single day. And third, we developed consciousness and self-awareness. And so as a result, you had appeared again and again and again Spartacus, who wanted to become a slave owner. And so the system changed again and again. And therefore, the elite had this dream of creating a new subspecies who possess a limited cognitive capacity and who can easily be reproduced in a synthetic tube way, what we're talking about before, the incubators, etc. And today it's more than doable with transhumanism, with technologies, with the sixth technological paradigm, with a shift towards this new world. We've gone from industrial to post-industrial to trans-industrial, which is artificial intelligence, robotics, virtual world, etc., etc. And that's what we're at right now. And so for the elite, their problem is, they actually, it's called Greek paradox. To go to a higher level of, of advancement, in te- technologically speaking, you need to dismantle everything which was built before. And that's why we see the dismantlement of society, the industrial, the post-industrial world need to be destroyed for them to have their trans-industrial society of the future. And so we're at the point of this clash, as you said, two different, who are we? You know, two different parallel worlds. Are we people, homo sapiens, or we're a different species? And a good reference, uh, you mentioned the uh, uh, Matrix, the film. And, and, and again, we're talking about which level of consciousness are we in? And how is that going to affect the future? 
So let me ask you, what do you think? What, what do you what do you think they need are afraid of? I think they are afraid of our divinity. I think I, I'm when we talk about the elite, there are levels of elite, and some of those elite are pawns playing. No, I'm not a talking game. about presidents and prime ministers. These no, people yeah. are nothing. Yeah, yeah. So they are pawns, and there are are different levels. Yes, there's a financial game. Yes, there's a power game, and all those I acknowledge. But on a deeply spiritual level, this is an ancient battle between light and dark, good and evil, I believe. And the way uh, it is our divinity that allows us to love. A computer chip cannot love. Uh, AI cannot love. It can mimic the love of the algorithm that it's given, but it cannot love. It cannot imagine. It can assemble bits and pieces of information, but it is not creating something. It's not drawing. This is where the science is breaking down because we, modern science, has yet to acknowledge the truth of how our consciousness even exists. They're searching Brian Green. I just saw a video with Brian Green. He believes consciousness is a phenomenon that results from the interplay of electrons and quantum particles uh, in in the neurons. He thinks consciousness is in the brain uh, when clearly the the science shows us that the brain is and the neurons are antenna, biological antenna that tune us to something that is not in the brain. And that something is where our divinity comes from, our imagination, our creativity, uh, you know, the uh, our appreciation for beauty, thing, things but like how that. Would you define, how would you define divinity? I, I did that early on. It's that the definite, and this comes right out of the dictionary. Divinity is the ability to transcend perceived human limitations. So it is the ability to become the best version of ourselves if, if it's only possible through DNA tuning into that. If we're replacing DNA with synthetics, we lose that access, and, and that's how we lose our divinity. The reason I asked is yeah. that, again, the global elite, they're convinced, you mentioned 2035 before, that by 2035, the first successful attempt to transfer one's personality to an alternative carrier will take place. And so they call this the epoch of cybernetic immortality. In other words, in one generation, bodies made of nanorobots can take any shape or rise alongside holographic bodies. And by 2045, which is a key point in many different cultures, the you know Chinese culture, uh, we will see drastic changes in social structure. And the main priority of this development is what they call spiritual self-improvement. In other words, a new era dawns, the era of neo-humanity. And to most people, it may seem like some, you know, wacky uh, conspiracy theory. But you can extrapolate this towards the future. And again, all this information is readily available in texts and interviews. Sure. You know, people such as Ray Kurzweil, uh, Klaus Schwab, Harari, Davos, just go on their webpage. You know, World Economic Forum, it's all there in black and white. Yeah, well, this is the thing. It, it is no secret. They're very proud of what they believe is uh, is the... The future that they envision for us, they're very proud of uh, of the abilities to implement that future. And I, I think they honestly believe that they're doing something that will benefit uh, at least some people. The question is, what kind of a world do we do we want to live in? 
I think we can't answer that until we answer the most fundamental question. Who are we? Exactly. We are not. That's exactly are, what I was thinking. Who yeah, are we're, we? We're, well, we are not the product of random mutations in lucky biology. Now, as a scientist, I scientifically, I cannot say who or what caused those mutations 200,000 years ago. What I can say is it appears to be some kind of an intervention. That's all I can say scientifically. Now, my, my personal opinion, when I look at the evidence, I look at the cultural evidence from all the indigenous people. I look at the archaeological evidence that's coming to light. I look at the anthropological evidence. And now we look at the fossil evidence and the genetic evidence. All of it says that we are the product of some kind of an intelligent intervention. You know, the, the mutations that give us our humanness, uh, chromosome 2, there's one gene, it's called TBR1. It's responsible for 80% of the, the neocortex where we, it's the neocortex that gives us empathy, sympathy, uh, compassion, the ability to self-regulate our biology when we choose. Other forms of life do it by instinct. We can sit down in a moment and say, in this moment, I choose to strengthen my immune system. I, I choose to embark upon a, a journey of, of super learning. No other form of life can do that. It's all because of those mutations, and those mutations are not an accident. So when, and, and we're only beginning to understand what that potential is. So when we look at modifying our biology, we're looking at modifying something that I believe was given to us 200,000 years ago that we're only beginning to understand. But there's another, there's another piece of this, Daniel, and it's really interesting. The Supreme Court, uh, I believe it's 2014, handed down a ruling on... I use Febreze fabric refresher every day to make my home smell amazing. On my bed, my couch, my jacket or jeans, in between washes, even shoes. Febreze doesn't cover up odors with scent, but fights them and freshens. Over 1,000 uses. Febreze fabric refresher. Genetic modification uh, of life. And the question is, uh, does natural biology, natural DNA, uh, is a life form made of natural DNA given the freedoms guaranteed through the Constitution? In this case, it was in America or, or any other country. And, and because the pharmaceutical industries are trying to, to patent DNA. And what the, uh, what the Supreme Court said is you cannot patent something that is natural. You cannot patent the natural DNA. However, if that DNA is modified in some way, you can patent the modification. Yeah. So if we are embarking on a journey where we modify our collective DNA, where it's being engineered uh, so it's no longer natural DNA, there are legal implications. There are implications in terms of freedom uh, and in terms of our rights as a, a form of life if we are no longer natural DNA. And this comes right back to the transhuman, uh, the whole trans, transhuman idea. So, you know, you have to ask yourself, who benefits from a society that looks like this? Because it's, it's not the average person. You know, the average person isn't going to benefit from a society like this.
if you kind of extrapolate or go back in time to what, you know, to, to, to the roots of some of these ideas, it, transhumanism itself isn't new. It's rooted in many ancient orders and the philosophy of eugenics. Sure. And at, at the heart of transhumanism, it represents this kind of an esoteric quest for godhood among certain circles of this elite connected to Freemasonry, occultism, science, technology, or in supposedly evolving superior being ethically replace lesser humans. And so this philosophy, you know, we're speaking of, of, of Avatar before, is portrayed in the blockbuster film Prometheus. I don't know if you saw that. But I have seen it. Many, I own it. <laughs> I've seen it many times. Yeah. Because, the, so again, the idea of Prometheus, that's a great film. I liked it a lot. It's disturbing to a certain point if you understand the meaning of it. The, but the idea, I think, of Prometheus is at the core of, of, of many of these ancient civilizations, the ideas uh, uh, presented in the film, which is at the heart of Western secret societies. So you have the, uh, across the world, we'll see these early civilizations or their obsession with what they believe to be some kind of off-world influence. And we have from Nazca lines in South America to the pyramids in Egypt, with the artifacts, with the testaments to early man's obsession, no? to all this off-world manipulation. And every ancient culture believed that they were communicated with men somewhere in the sky. And one could say that even that Prometheus is simply an imitator, art imitating light and putting a 21st century spin on the beliefs of this Dogon tribe in Africa. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I've spent much of my adult life. Uh, I was blessed in the 1980s to begin traveling and exploring ancient and indigenous societies that I'd studied when I was a kid. And every one that I've gone to, Daniel, every single society that I've gone to, from the, the monks and the nuns in Tibet to the, the yogis in India and the sadhus in Nepal and all through the, the Kurundaros and the, the Yucatan and the uh, Quechua in the southern Andes and all through the American desert southwest, all of them allow for a relationship with, uh, with beings they call a family beyond this world. And it's an ongoing relationship. It's not an ancient relationship. It's a, a current relationship. So now, you know, the Western world, we're, we're in what's called disclosure. Well, disclosure happened a long time ago uh, publicly. What I think people are waiting for is an acknowledgement on CNN or from uh, <laughs> Moscow or Washington, D.C. of these relationships. But that's what they're calling disclosure. But the fact of that we have interacted with and that we have technology from, you know, other worlds uh, we have known for, for quite a while. So that's what I'm saying. The, the, this conversation isn't happening in a vacuum. So I'm, I'm just going to take us a, a, a little bit different direction. I had, um, uh, I have a number of friends who were working in an industry. They were, they're therapists. Uh, and they were working with, uh, globally with what is called the abduction phenomenon. So people that have been, uh, they believe taken from this world alien abductions, you know, and they've been tested on, you know, or, or whatever it is that's happening. And when they, and, and then they have emotional problems from that. So they go to the, the therapists that, that specialize in this. So one of the first of all the different people, I mean, this was across different continents and from the 1960s all the way up through the 1990s. John Mack from Harvard University was a, 
was part of this before before he died. And the common theme is when the people are taken, they will typically ask, why did you take me? You know, what is it that you want from me or why are you interested in me? And a couple of answers come up that are, I think, relevant to this conversation. One of them is that uh, a large number of the abductors, they say that that we humans are at a crossroads in our evolution now that the, the abductors were at a time in their history and they went down the path of technology. They became machines more than biological beings and they regret that decision and they're warning us not to make that same mistake. Yeah. They're saying don't give your humanness away. Don't give your biology away. And then a, a lesser number of these, it was really interesting because the what they called UFOs, they weren't aliens from another world. They were us from our own future yeah. coming back saying that there was a time that humans made the choice to go the transhuman route. They became hybrid beings and they regret that decision. And they're asking us to to not give our humanness away. Don't give they're our biology away. Reconsider and change our timeline. Did you see a series called uh, many years ago called Fringe? I did. Uh, absolutely. You you and I watch the same program as my you friend. And I, you and I watch the same program. Listen, I was going to say, look, we've been doing this for an hour, and we're thinking of going for another half an hour. How about I propose something else? Let's find a time in the near future. Let's do another hour or, or another 10 hours because you and I have so much to talk about. Okay? Uh, I, I, would, I, I would be honored, and I think this is a very fertile conversation, fertile ground, because – because it's happening right now, Daniel. This we're you exploring. Know, you and I are explorers. We're exploring ideas. You know, we're touching things which are there to be touched, feeling them, the frequencies. And uh, I think we're finding a common path. Again, you and I were thinking about the same things, the same movies, the same ideas. We understand things in a very similar way. And I think that's the idea of bringing this energy towards a, a, a particular objective. And I think if you have another time for another hour, I'd love to do another hour with you. And we have so much to talk about. Uh, you mean at another time? At another time, yeah. Another, another, another time, yes. I, I think, I think to close on on this one, well, I want to leave leave our viewers with, you know, we cover a lot of ground. I think ultimately, we are on a journey to find the the best version of ourselves. What does it mean to be human, and how can we awaken our humanness? in the healthiest way possible to become the best people and to create the best possible world. And I think ultimately every part of this conversation, we have to put it into that context. Absolutely. When we think, we think about it from that way. I, I think it helps us to make good decisions in our lives and for our families. And so, Daniel, in I appreciate humanity in the name of humanity. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you, your work, your lifetime of Likewise, research, your, your right. passion, my brother. And I yours for many years before I even knew you personally, I've been reading and watching and your stuff over and over again and, 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 you know, admiring everything you've done. Thank you so much. Well, I, thank you. That's good for me to hear today. I look forward to our next and um, we'll arrange that sooner than later then. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take care, Greg. Thank you. Take care. Oh, my gosh, that was great. I just wanted to say that 
in my experiences with the Galactic Federation and the other galactic groups out there, the computers and the androids or droids are all amino acid computers and they work like us. And it is not this, you know, gears and wires and servo mechanisms. It's... They have consciousness. They have consciousness. And Mm -hmm. the thing that Greg Braden is very careful not to bring up, who changed us 200,000 years ago? Enki and Enlil. And the people that came from Nibiru. And that's a whole nother discussion for a whole nother day. And it's absolutely true. Well, Mother Mike brings some things up now. Yeah. Let's see. And Tiamat's in there too, along with Nin Herzog and Anu and the Pantheon of, oh my god, it's as, as bad as Dynasty or the other soap operas, but on a galactic scale, because it is about free will choice, following the that, laws that of the we, one. That book we read to everybody, Buddha and Redface, touched on this too. Yeah. Went yeah. from the Pueblo nations to all the way over to China, and then he walked from there to India. Holy man. They are... The, the the elite, as they call them, are afraid of us because they know when we fully turn on our Jedi abilities, they have no power. And uh, I pass the talking stick here. No violence. We're not going to play power games with... No revenge of the Sith. Yes. We saw what happened. Oh, boy. They are still trying, Rama. Oh, um... Never mind. Well, just do this. Yeah. I Before we go to Michaela and Ethan Fox, the spiral of time, um, mm. I'm just going to say a couple of things that I disagreed with from last time. And one of them is that somehow they were saying that you don't cross paths uh, more than seven times in a period of time. And I don't know what that's about. I just know that uh, Mike, uh, Ram, and I, we know we've been twin flames since since antimatter. Yeah. Made a conscious choice to come in from a long time ago. And uh, that makes a difference. And so remembering our history can change all of those ideas more than what Sheldon and Michaela Sheldon and Ethan were alluding to in the last session. Yet we will all listen here and we will cuss and discuss when we get to our conference call tonight. Yeah, I'm getting there. Uh, I'll read a little bit while you get there, darling. Yes. YouTube is now running ads on our channel, even though we don't monetize our videos. If you don't have YouTube Premium, 
and want an ad-free experience, you can listen to Awake and Empowered Podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, and others. Do we have any of those, Rama? Oh, I've used them before, yeah. We're going to have ads if we aren't going to be on any of those. Yeah. That's okay. We'll just push the button. Michaela Sheldon channels the Council of Light. Archangel Metatron and Egyptian God Thos. The conversation begins with the topic of the ancient Atlantean and Anunnaki civilizations. Mm. The discussion continues with an exploration of how linear time has only existed in our dimension. Since 13,000 years ago. And events prior to that time would not be measurable based upon the same standards. Ethan and the guides go on to explore the Anunnaki's emergence on Earth in the time of Enki and Enlil for the purpose of mining for gold. Other topics include an extensive exploration of dimensions and density and how they interplay. In this context, they talk about how the third through the fifth dimensions are similar and how they differ. The guides also explain how density plays a role in our human experience in each dimension. The topic concludes with a revealing look at the consciousness levels of the Anunnaki and the Atlanteans, as well as Enki and Enlil, Enlil and Enki. They had bigger brains. They were 15 to 22 feet tall. And like in the other video they were talking about in Avatar, Jake Sully and his family were blue and they were about 10 feet tall and um, whatever technology the corporation were playing with how to transfer your consciousness into the you know, avatar body, you know, uh, when you start messing around with AI and soul matrix, things get a little fuzzy. And this is where I have to bring it to people like Commander Soltek and Commander Monka and Lord Ashtar. They know how to tweak things in the right way. And these folks may not bring them up. <laughs> Here we go. Okay. This is two hours and seven minutes. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Channel Revelations. I'm Ethan Fox, and I'm here with Michaela Sheldon. And we'll be spending the next couple of hours talking about ancient civilizations as well as how the information from ancient times applies to modern times. And uh, Michaela is a trans channel, as I've mentioned before, so we'll be speaking directly to the guides. Uh, but just so her conscious mind doesn't have any interference with what we're talking about today, I don't discuss any of the questions with her beforehand. And she'll be unaware of what we're discussing until I talk to her later about it. So... Uh, so whenever you're ready, we can get started. And who are we speaking with today? 
We are the Council of Light. Okay. Um, I would also like to have Metatron handy from last time since some of these topics will be things that he may have some specialized knowledge in as well. There's one simple hearing hack anyone can use to improve their hearing almost overnight. Did you know that hearing impairments have nothing to do? So is Metatron here as well? It is our pleasure, yes. Now, when you say our pleasure, is that does that mean that Metatron is a collection of beings or, or is it um, just one consciousness? When a being like Metatron is offering information, it is not one being at all. It is a consciousness made of many. It is a soul drawing upon all aspects of itself throughout space and time, as well as all of the records that become assembled by that being for the purpose of whatever is necessary to support the ones who come to this transmission. Okay. Uh, I'd also like to have Thoth available. Is he also with us? Yes. Okay. Now, in in many of our previous conversations, we have talked about the um, the cataclysm and the great flood that happened around the end of Atlantis. Uh, I'd like to continue that discussion, and um, in particular, I want to begin with a little bit of a discussion about how time works and how. Uh, dimension shifts actually function as it pertained to Atlantis and the Great Flood and the cataclysm that occurred about 13,000 years ago. Um, now, in, in our previous conversations, we discussed how during the at the very end of Atlantis, there was a portal that was opened and through the portal came various Anunnaki beings and uh, and that uh, and at the same time, there was some sort of a nuclear event that occurred on Nibiru. And that nuclear event is what triggered the um, the Great Flood or the cataclysm that that caused the or triggered the end of Atlantis and the shift to this new dimension that we're currently walking from about 13,000 years ago. Am I understanding that correctly so far? We could clarify a bit because the end of Atlantis in terms of the fall isn't directly connected necessarily to the events of Nibiru. What you must keep in mind is that the entry of the Anunnaki, uh, based upon what was taking place in their own home star system, uh, brought within that civilization or into that civilization uh, a, a series of genetic manipulations, uh, new intentions, different vibrations. And the Atlantean civilization as a community was operating very much in a semblance of oneness, which we know is difficult to comprehend, but but we can simplify it by saying they were upholding um, a state of coherence where each individual, while operating in their their highest, most um, uh, resonant singular nature, was contributing to the whole uh, based on some balanced and instinctual understanding of what the whole needed from them to become better. 
so when we're looking at the fall of Atlantis, what we have to keep in mind is the technology uh, of the time, which we've explained in many past transmissions was uh, an elemental um, technology, meaning it was working directly with the elements of Earth, somewhat like what many of you would call free energy technology, but using those elements to support the elements of each individual Atlantean, because there are elements in the body, uh, nonetheless, very important to um, a soul's operating structure uh, on the planet that it chooses. And when those elements are vibrating in perfect balance, um, a soul is able to manifest collectively, uh, both for the benefit of itself as well as the benefit of another. And when we um, uh, look back at history, uh, especially at the events prior to the fall, uh, what we notice primarily is a very dramatic shift in the balance of those elements, uh, both within the earth as well as in the technologies that caused uh, an effect in the society itself. Roofers are furious about this new product that's going viral. Replace your whole roof in as little as eight hours. And right now we're. Okay, but the the fall of Atlantis was not just because of that technology, right? As I recall, there was also some sort of a nuclear event that occurred on Nibiru simultaneous to that. Is that that is correct? Yes. And the two together caused this issue. We agree. Okay. So I want to understand um, when we discussed the fall of Atlantis. I'm going to ask a number of different questions and paint some pictures and you can tell me if I'm on the wrong track. So Atlantis, although it ended based on our current timeline, so we could say linearly 13,000 years ago, Atlantis stopped existing in our timeline. But in a broader sense, Atlantis never ended, right? Is it, is Atlantis continued on and it still exists today in that former dimensional timeline. Am I correct? You are correct, because anything that is created can never truly be destroyed. Uh, its vibration continues on in, in some form uh, beyond what it was before. But does did the civilization that in our current timeline reality that we see as having ended did it continue on, meaning future generations were born and, and continued on whatever they were doing as a society, but in our timeline, we perceive it as having no longer existed? Well, at the time of the fall, it, it wasn't a complete and total destruction right off the bat. Uh, there were many who understood what was yet to come and had prepared themselves to to take home in new locations, some of them taking home on ships, others um, uh, traversing the inner earth, uh, some even setting up new tribes, for example, in distant locations. So if you're asking us in, in today's modern world, if there are still human beings that would carry an Atlantean lineage directly, we would say yes, because many of the Atlanteans um uh, took on both new um, homes and, and new structures. 
Okay. Now, the Anunnaki that came through that portal, was that the first time in Earth's history that the Anunnaki came through to the Earth? No, no, it was not. As a matter of fact, we can go back to the very beginning of time uh, prior to humans being seated and a very similar event having had taken place. Although we wouldn't make it exclusive necessarily to Anunnaki, um, there were a variety of beings that came into this civil, uh, uh, dimension, we'll say, uh, to take up home and to um, reap the rewards of, of a very abundant planet. Now, there are a lot of ancient texts that reference the Anunnaki and various ancient civilizations. And it's debatable whether or not those texts were meant to be taken literally, as we've discussed, even the Book of Enoch previously was not meant to be taken literally. Uh, and of course, even many biblical stories, although there are historical elements, were not meant to be taken literally. So it's hard to say if these ancient texts are accurate as a literal uh, event that occurred. But nonetheless, um, an author by the name, researcher by the name of Zechariah Sitchin, wrote quite a number of books in his lifetime. Uh, he's no longer around, but but he, uh, in his research, wrote extensively about the Anunnaki using a lot of these ancient texts, and um, including even biblical texts and other archaeological discoveries and so on to create a narrative of um, uh, Nibiru and the Anunnaki and their lineage on Earth. So I, I want to talk about some of those and get some grasp on where some of those storylines may be correct or, uh, or, or just storylines for some other purpose. Now, one of the things that he talked about, and, and so this is where I want to understand time, because if uh, if there was a dimensional shift that occurred 13,000 years ago in our linear time, then time would not have existed the same way prior to 13,000 years ago. Am I correct in that assumption? Well, yes. If there has been a dimensional shift, time would operate differently dependent upon the dimension as well as the consciousness of the beings that inhabit it. Okay. Then in, in some of what Zechariah Sitchin wrote in his books and his research, he indicated that the Anunnaki first arrived on Earth, or at least they, from his narratives, they arrived on Earth in a significant way about 450,000 years ago. Now, how can he define 450,000 years based on these ancient texts if time prior to 13,000 years ago didn't follow the same format it does today? Well, that's an excellent question. You might say that as someone who is channeling that information, there is a vibrational determination being made based upon the period of time in which the creative energy was being output Hello, and, everybody. and the direct um, to correlation show. to that in the, the past. Evolution. But, but as intergalactic doing okay. souls, I'm doing we all understand right. that everything is happening in the present moment. That there is a quantum reality and through which all creative too much events unusual um, to report. are, are However, um, there is bound. And, and within that 
quantum that time, I'd like to tell um, you about certainly as my wife a material my, being, there are um, instances so where my wife we need to calculate what has existed in the past and what has existed in the present. In Indiana, but they drove up there. from our determination, to God, um, we think it would be very difficult to even put that into a numerical type of determination. Because uh, if time is happening simultaneous, and if something had happened in another dimension, town, to place you know, it, it even equally within the Michael number Jackson of years to the time that you are standing, that would be a very um, anyway, challenging endeavor. Days, I think. Well, the, quite a the tribe they had about occurrence that he's wife made written about that happened, first according to him, 4,000 years ago, trip, was the arrival of back, the Anunnaki. And also the story of Anki and Enlil. So first, did Anki and Enlil actually, were they actually Anunnaki beings? So let me jump right in. They were. I'd yes. like to okay. tell you the. And this was prior to 30,000 years ago, that for right? me. I'm gonna this, or was, were they the ones that came through during that them, okay? uh, portal that opened in Atlantis? Or after? This is about uh, you're asking to us to place the time in which Enlil and Enki arrived on the Earth? Well, I'm curious if they the arrived since 13,000 years, since we entered this current dimensional timeline, and or your neighbor, as yourself. in the Atlantean timeline, were they the ones that came through this, the portal, or was it before that time? Uh, it was certainly before that time. Okay. Because these were so, so is it fair to say, although we can't conceive of time in the same way, because it was a different dimension, that a considerable amount of, let's say, experience or whatever but you want to refer to as time past from creator, the uh when Enki and Enlil came to Earth and the, are you ready? the end of Atlantis. You ready? Don't forget. Yes, we we're not going to forget them, are you? Yes. Uh, now, at the time that Enki and Enlil came to Please. Earth, did Atlantis even very exist? Very important that you do, okay? Conceptually, right. uh, it was in the minds and hearts of men. So we can't necessarily say the complete formation of that civilization had come to fruition. Uh, however, there was a great um, deal of focus on uh, a group of enlightened beings uh, creating a civilization where they man would bring highly advanced technologies, like healing applications, meditative things. modalities words, to the planet Earth, uh, not only to understand how those things could um, create a very successful community, but but to share these ideas with a great many others. Not long ago, Rita Levy Montalcini celebrated her 103rd birthday. And then during the festive. Now, um, if Atlantis was just starting to come into being at the same time that Enki and Enlil and the whole group of Anunnaki came to earth to mine for gold, um, were they both existing in the same dimensional timeline together, both civilizations? Not necessarily. Is it possible for both of those to exist in different dimensional timelines on Earth and never actually have interacted with each other in any sort of tangible physical form? It, it absolutely is possible. In fact, this is how we see the earth in, in many of these ancient periods. Um, uh, and let's explain. Uh, today, many of you are speaking about multidimensionality and moving into the fifth dimension. 
Now, in the fifth dimension, it is difficult to conceptualize how a material being would work with multiple dimensions. Yet what we've noticed about your past is that often the Earth as an intergalactic soul is helping to somehow prioritize that, meaning souls who are ready for the next level or phase of enlightenment may be operating in a dimension in which others are are not tangibly uh, accessing. And this is another example of how the inner Earth today resonates, which comes from a previous conversation uh, that we have had where the inner earth is still alive and still very abundant with beings and and creative energy uh, is existing in a dimension other than the one that many of you on the surface are able to access. So so to be able to um, interface with both requires a certain level of consciousness and, and a sustainable higher vibration uh, through which a soul is is multidimensionally traveling. Okay. So both civilizations coexisted on Earth, but were in different dimensional timelines. And therefore, they really, unless they were, there were beings who could, as you were mentioning, communicate with or enter into both dimensions. On the whole, the two civilizations didn't really coexist. They didn't really interact with each other. And they both existed at least until 13,000 years ago when the cataclysm occurred. Am I on the right track so far? Yes, we'd agree with that. So when the cataclysm occurred, it, it appears that all remnants of Atlantis, with the exception of maybe some of the pyramids that are around the world, have um, been eliminated from our physical reality, meaning we found we haven't found a lot of artifacts necessarily that were actually created in the time of Atlantis. But there appear to be some artifacts remaining from the Anunnaki, also in stone form, obviously, and today on the planet, there appear to be many religions that were founded on the Anunnaki civilization, whereas um, other than those of us in the spiritual space, it doesn't appear to be that the Atlantean teachings have carried forward in any formal way. Um, Is that, am I on the right track so far? You you are, and, and we think that was very purposeful, of course. Okay. So is it possible that the Earth's consciousness, let's say, or whatever experience needed to be had, chose the timeline of the Anunnaki over the Atlantean timeline over the last 13,000 years, and we who have incarnated here since that time are are functioning in that Anunnaki timeline more than the Atlantean one. Well, let's clarify what you are speaking of here, because you mentioned the the Earth's consciousness. And, and certainly the Earth is a conscious being that is supporting the co-creative efforts and manifestations of all beings that exist upon her. Yet it is humanity, we believe, that has been led astray and has been lowered in its dimension. And this is how the spiral of time works. You are not creators from nothingness. You are tapping into the spiral of time and events that have happened that are purposely connected to the planet that you have chosen and the karmic themes of your race to 
carry on um, those creative threads. But if the earth exists in multiple dimensions, then it is the um, free will, uh, so to speak, uh, of the race that exists upon her to choose the dimension through which that spiral is um, um, bringing that information to them. Have you wondered if your life experience could become your new career or maybe a new business? What would it be like if you could take the challenges you've been through? So in theory, it's possible that the human race or civilization could have chosen a more conscious path. And if that had occurred, the cataclysm might not have occurred 13,000 years ago and might be living in more of an Atlantean society versus Anunnaki. Is that my understanding correct? That's an interesting question because you are trying to put a, a massive orchestration of creative energy into a very linear perspective. And, and, and while we want to agree with you by saying, of course, that, that anything that happens within any civilization on any planet is, is the result of the vibration and the, the creative input of all of those involved. Um, but unfortunately, what's happened on planet Earth, has there has been a very, we'll say, inorganic and suppressive energy that you have been focused into. And, and because of this, you've not only created cataclysms, uh, but you've been carrying out um, creative activities in the um, legacy or, or in the name of many malevolent beings. I guess what I'm trying to understand is, was it that we changed to the current timeline, which is maybe a lower vibrational one in the last 13,000 years? Was that the result of the portal that opened and the Anunnaki beings came through causing this cataclysm um, 13,000 years ago, or was it that humanity was simply cho choosing to have a lower vibrational experience for the past 13,000 years, and therefore we chose that timeline? Well, well, choice is something that we have to first define, because uh, free will certainly involves choice, but free will exists in in a certain dimensional range based upon the, the souls that are operating within it. Meaning um, you believe that you are choosing uh, in, the, in the highest vibrational way for yourselves. And all of the energy that you are receiving, the options um, are, are based upon what you are siphoning from the, the universal field or from the Akashic records. Now, if this is the case and a dimensional shift takes place, you are either opening that Akashic Records to receive more or you're somehow restricting it to one option or another. We, we can step into you, the window of your current experience and explain it much better because many who come to these transmissions are aware that you are living within a, a period of higher dimensional transition. And there is still a third dimensional reality that exists on planet Earth. And there is the formation of a fifth dimensional reality that many are creating and stepping into. The difference between a third or a fourth dimensional reality and the fifth is very profound. And, and this is why. The 
frequency that is accessible in the fifth dimension uh, operates in multidimensionality, meaning that it's a, it's an open doorway or a window into working with all dimensions simultaneously. In the third dimension, that is not possible. So if the Anunnaki came through a portal and were creating very malevolent acts and, and held those intentions at the same time that a civilization like Atlantis that was highly enlightened existed, what we must understand is that the human souls on the planet at that time were either swayed in the direction of a very stagnant and lower vibrational timeline and trapped there, unable to ascend, or they could have chosen through the awakening of consciousness to continue the activities of Atlantis. Uh, but that is indeed not what happened. So, so, so you do find yourselves oftentimes spiraling in the same history, but you're just reconfiguring the story uh, in a different way. Uh, you are doing this every day. Um, you have done it here for decades of time. And it is simply existing in the same third dimensional reality with no access beyond it. There's one simple hearing hack anyone can use to improve their hearing almost overnight. Did you know that hearing impairment? Okay, going back to Enki and Enlil. Now, were Enki and Enlil two separate Anunnaki beings? Um, or were they two halves of the same consciousness uh, when they moved? I assume they also, well... According to the story from Zechariah Sitchin, they use spacecraft to arrive at Earth. But as we've discussed before, like in the case of Thoth, spacecraft can also be dimensional vehicles. So these were, from my understanding, according to him, two separate, appear to be male beings. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. And um, Enlil was said to be um, uh, the... Uh, second in line, or rather the first in line to become the king or leader of Nibiru. And uh, Enki came to Earth primarily as a scientist. So he was um, doing experiments, genetic experiments on the whatever human type of beings that weren't quite human at the time, supposedly, um, that existed on Earth. Is that storyline correct? Somewhat. Uh, we see Enlil and Enki being equal parts of the same soul vibration coming through a portal and having been dismantled, meaning they're hybrids um, and became um, uh, individual beings from one taking on different characteristics. Okay, so, so this is similar to what we discussed in previous conversations about portals through which some of the ancient Sumerians came through uh, and in the process of doing so their multidimensional DNA was sometimes changed and may have had elements of reptilian or whatever um, that maybe were not true to their multidimensional aspects is that what we're this is true what you must keep in mind is that the Anunnaki portals uh, that we have been speaking of they were focused very much on research, not all of it, genetic research, but but some of it. And this research, while being done on the 
human beings that were present at the time and and, in earth civilizations. Um, It was not necessarily um, best understood by those who created it, meaning uh, portals somewhat take on uh, a life of their own. They create a consciousness. And in in technology, um, we can see very stark changes that take place when we're using technology in a portal. And it's simply because um, a portal is... um, uh, connected to the greater universe. It's, it's a part of the galactic grid system. And if the galactic grid system is, is operating in a certain vibration, that portal is going to raise or lower. For example, we know all of this seems, um, uh, detailed to what you are asking us about, but, but we want you to remember that the technologies that existed in those portals were turned into more of a malevolent type of focus where Beings were coming in sometimes with a uh, high and, and well intention for the humans they were going to interact with, but became modified genetically uh, and found themselves in a situation on planet Earth that was different than what they had anticipated. Okay, let me encapsulate a few things that you said and make sure I'm on the right track. So Anki and Enlil were one being on Nibiru, and as they traveled through the portal and came to Earth, they became two. So would this be likened or similar to if we as a human soul, prior to incarnating on Earth, could potentially incarnate in two different bodies at the same time on Earth in the same timeline, even on the same uh, in the same continent, for example, but be having two entirely different experiences, two personalities, and so on. Similar, yes. Okay. So Enki and Enlil, when they incarnated onto Earth in this way, were they aware that that was going to occur? No, they were not. As a matter of fact, as a consciousness splits into two, uh, there is little remembrance of its history. It is as if they are being reborn in a different timeline and and focused even into a different divine plan. While you were watching videos on YouTube, today so far I've already made $10.7,000. And yesterday I made about $5,000 doing something called... Did they then appear on Earth in two entirely different personalities, essentially two halves of the same whole? Or were they meaning... Could one have been more evil and one be more or rather benevolent and malevolent or something like that? Yes. In in the case of Enlil and Enki, what we are seeing is a division of consciousness such that the soul is taking aspects of itself and reassembling them into two different manifestations of consciousness. And in um, and in a genetic uh, type of manifestation like this, what we must keep in mind is that there are going to be deviations from the norm in terms of what you would expect as a human when you're making these determinations from the heavens. Uh, sometimes uh, a soul is directed into all of the malevolence of its past. And it becomes very aware that it is on a physical planet working through ego, for example, uh, and able to create things for its own benefit or that of its race. Uh, while another may take on the more angelic qualities of the soul uh, here to create more peace, 
uh, here to follow an enlightened path. And, and that is indeed what had happened. When such a split occurs with a multidimensional being coming to Earth, does it also cause a split in talents and interests? For example, Enki was said to be very scientific and uh, benevolent, according to Zechariah Sitchin's uh, writings, and Enlil was more militant or more military and um, uh, and not at all intellectual, according to the stories. Well, keep in mind that it is not a perfect dynamic by any means, because while we could say that sometimes uh, when these anomalies happen, there is an unequal division of masculine and feminine energies uh, because of the technology and the, and the portal that these beings went through. Um, there were more unequal, we'll say, um, energetic areas of connection where um, one was focused more within itself while the other was focused more upon the whole. Now, in this in this universe, all 13 dimensions of it, which we discussed last time, is that a phenomena that only occurs in this universe? Meaning, if a soul comes into this universe, they, um, they, well, I suppose, depending on the dimension, you may, so let's say the, the same Anunnaki being that split into Enki and Enlil on Earth incarnated instead onto the 12th dimension. Would they have had that split occur or would they have just been able to bring the whole of who they are in one being? It's hard to say because it is such a, a different set of criteria when uh, a soul is using a portal to enter the 12th dimension. In, in fact, uh, the 12th dimension being more of a collective vibration is one where souls would not adopt an individual personality so much at all. Um, it is a, a unified type of telepathic exchange and those that reach the 12th dimension have gone through um, a certain level of evolution. That doesn't mean that a, a, a negatively focused technology couldn't somehow um, disturb that vibration, yet we haven't seen it to date. So, so it's not to say that the 12th dimension is perfect. But what you must understand is the, the portals that exist throughout the universe, and especially those that carry these forms of technology, um, they, while there are 12 dimensional beings that might use them from time to time, they're not exchanging in an open way with the 12th dimension simply because um, it's, it's the law of the universe to ensure that as beings move into higher dimensions, they have the ability to to only access the parts of them that have evolved to the highest extreme um, and in so become reunited with parts of themselves that have also done the same. Um, we know this is a difficult determination because we're looking at an ancient civilization that was enlightened like Atlantis uh, versus the one that you are comparing it to. But so we want to explain that even though Atlantis was, was highly enlightened, it wasn't exactly operating in the 12th dimension. So, so portals that were open to Earth um, at the time uh, were actually allowing in a, a variety of beings, uh, regardless of their intention, uh, regardless of their form, 
and it was not necessarily a two-way flow, if, if that is to be understood. There's one simple hearing hack anyone can use to improve their hearing almost overnight. Did you know that hearing impairments have nothing to do with your ears? The ears are nothing more than a microphone to the part of the brain response. Okay, so what dimension or dimensions was Atlantis operating from? We, we see Atlantis, we were to measure it today, um, operating more in a ninth dimensional type of frequency. Um, and, and for us, this is perhaps um, one of the highest dimensional civilizations that had occurred on Earth since its inception. And, and it's hard to imagine, of course, that, that Earth uh, at her inception was actually a 12th dimensional being and still is today because those that have um, decided to incarnate in this timeline certainly aren't feeling the possibility of that 12th dimensional reality. But 12 dimensions um, that exist uh, within the universe, we've talked about the 13, but we're only using 12 here because we're matching it to the strands of DNA you have currently. Um, these are somewhat um, operable uh, only because the universe has expanded to that degree meaning the the beings that have arrived on Earth, those at the very beginning of time, we we call them seeders, we refer to them often, Uh, they came as 12-dimensional beings as a magnetic draw to the consciousness of Earth. They were not here to ensure that a 12-dimensional reality became the norm, but the, the love in their hearts and the intention that they held was certainly one of the most high vibrational that we have seen on your planet for a very long time. So we might say that you've worked backwards from that, in other words, because there has been some infiltration of this planet from from malevolent beings that have caused a great deal of confusion uh, and created a lot of distortion. Um, Atlantis, even though uh, beings that came from the intergalactic universe were uh, enlightened teachers uh, setting up the framework for it, uh, was still a material reality. So so you must also keep that in consideration. Uh, material as an, an energetic manifestation, uh, in order to be solid and to be utilized in a physical reality, can only vibrate so high. It can only vibrate into uh, perhaps a dimension that will um, sustain it. And we see that highest dimension threshold for material being the ninth dimension. And what dimension was the Anunnaki group with Enki and Enlil operating from? Well, they also, um, in terms of the dimension that they arrived in, matched a ninth dimensional frequency. Uh, But remember, of course, this doesn't necessarily mean that they've been evolved in terms of a consciousness to work within the fullness of that ninth dimension. Um, But when they arrived on Earth and came through the portal that they did, um, we do see a bit of a lowering of their frequency more to a fifth dimensional level over time. So they were ninth dimensional on Nibiru, but when they entered Earth, they entered into a fifth dimensional experience. Correct. And this is why... Although they coexisted with Atlantis on Earth, they, the two didn't interact with each other. Yes, that is a, an excellent determination. Um, any being that is operating in a certain dimension 
uh, is not going to coincide with another, especially at such um, intense range of difference. And in a similar fashion, I imagine there are other civilizations on Earth now that are operating in an entirely different dimension than than we are currently. That is correct. Yes. And therefore, we would not interact with them. We would not see them or come into contact with them. This is an excellent example of what we are speaking of. Yes. So to put this in a new and, and, and different framework, we've talked about the Earth being a multidimensional consciousness, uh, having originated in a 12th dimension and still having the capacity to exist in all 12 dimensions. Uh, there are non-physical beings that exist in timelines on the Earth, but they are not intersecting with you necessarily because they have no need to work with material. Help me to understand the difference between uh, density and dimension, uh, or, or and does it even, does that difference even exist? Because a lot of spiritual teachings and teachers have talked about densities and dimensions. How does a density operate in a dimension? If we were to use the Anunnaki, Enki, and Enlil civilization as an example. Well, there are several different ways that we see density being used on planet Earth. So so we want to first share our definition, and then we'll clarify some of the ways it's been interpreted. Dimension is a container that has been created by the universe in order to prioritize and organize information. So any timeline that is being created anywhere in the universe holds an imprint. That imprint is a calculation of its vibration, its density, and its dimension. We know that you all understand what vibration is, but density has more a relationship, we believe, to the material weight that a timeline holds, not necessarily the dimension it arrives in. So if we're looking at, for example, a a human physical timeline in the current reality you stand in, we may see that it is spiraling in the direction of the third to fourth dimension, where it holds a certain vibrational weight, a certain density, meaning it's connected to manifestations of material, and because of these things is echoing more in the resonance of a certain dimension. We look at dimensions as opportunities for souls to incarnate in various forms and to create in different frequencies, meaning there are simply more options and more um, um, uh, available um, energies to choose from that a soul can shape shift into if it chooses. Now, uh, in today's world, we know that density is sometimes looked at in a vibrational form. And and we do uh, agree that density can take a vibrational form because we know you understand material essentially is density. But um, material, for example, uh, a concrete wall Uh, is a very thick and low vibration uh, compared to what you may hold in your energy field. While there may be density in your energy field, 
uh, for example, an emotion that's holding a lower vibration uh, or a belief system that's holding a lower vibration, it isn't something that's tangible. So, so we can use those terms uh, or definitions for density interchangeably uh, if we choose. We can even say that a timeline you're creating can hold vibrational non-physical density that is contributing to the determination of its dimension. Meaning, there may be a, a collective of souls in a family that carries a certain archetypal lineage or some form of trauma. And that trauma being a lower vibration is a density in and of itself, is something that's spoken about, it's something that's argued about, it's something that causes a great deal of pain. And if it is threaded throughout the timeline, it's regardless of what the souls desire, it's always going to hold it in a lower dimension. And that's why healing from a, a spiritual standpoint is so important because when you're healing, it's not that you're striving for a higher dimension. You're actually attempting to change the vibration and the density of what you're creating such that you're creating something that not only uh, appeals to you, but also uh, no longer carries with it any residue of the past, especially if that residue is in a lower vibrational range. Do you ever have that feeling of knowing that something is missing? You know you're meant for more, but not sure what to do and where to start. Okay, let me just use a very simplistic, third-dimensional, linear illustration to make sure that I understand what a dimension is. So in the 13 dimensions that make up this universe, all of that information is arranged into 13 different uh, dimensions so in, in order to organize that information so if for example if i were to take a very physical basic example if this room that we're sitting in was a dimension then that dimension allows us to have these objects on the wall and these items on the shelf and this table in front of us um, so in a very linear basic way is that what a dimension is? It's arranging the available information in the entire universe and and allowing certain things to appear in one particular space or experience. That is correct. And we want to add um, uh, an even deeper understanding here. And, and we'll use technology as an example since we're speaking of Atlantis. Technology is seemingly something very physical, tangible, uh, and would carry a density. But we must consider the imprint of the density. Now, imprints are a very lengthy topic for us to get into, but you are imprinting everything that you are creating with a certain vibration. And and for, for sake of simplicity, we could say it is the intention that runs within it. So if there is a very benevolent technology that is created. It could be extremely dense in terms of its material presentation, but hold within it an imprint of higher vibration where it is designed specifically through the um, uh, heart-centered focus of healing uh, and uplifting others. Whereas the technologies you're working with in your environment, even though some of their intentions may be 
convenience, for example, and information still exist in a very dense imprint where there is very malevolent focus within them. So they'll always hold you in a lower dimension because of that imprint. It's the same concept uh, with your living space, for example. Certainly, yes, the density of what you have chosen to exist within in your space um, is showing you a relationship you have to its dimension. But in ancient civilizations, for example, where temples and pyramids and, and homes were constructed differently, um, it had little to do with the density of the material and more to do with how the material was actually uplifting the density, <laughs> meaning there could be an alchemical change that could happen right before your eyes. So so these are some of the differences that we're speaking of here in terms of density. Okay, I, I want to make sure I understand this in a very simple way. So if Let's just talk about dimensions for a moment. Forget density. So if this room is an arrangement of some of the information that's in the universe into a particular dimension. So let's say this room is the ninth dimension or let's say third dimension. Right. Okay. And because of that, all of the information uh, that is in the universe that is not of the third dimension would not exist or be available to exist in this particular room. So the objects that are in this room, as an example, or the experiences that we could have in this room are all things that are in that third dimension. But if the house next door was existing in the fourth dimension, it would have different objects and different experiences than this room would have. Well, well, let's take it out of the context of a room and say that you are the consciousness that is creating the dimension of your space. So everything that has come into the space of your home, you have not necessarily chosen through your free will simply because it pleases you, but it somehow matches your vibration and the dimension that you have decided to exist within. And we see this happening all of the time where human beings will have a dramatic shift in consciousness. And all of a sudden, the things that they have chosen, whether they be material decorations in their home or technologies, they begin to become changed, broken down. There's no longer resonance with them. Um, so, yes. We agree with what you're saying. Someone in the home next door to you could be living in a completely different dimension. And all of the material that they are upholding around them in their space vibrationally, which you believe is real and, and certainly is, is a dimensional reflection of the life that they're creating. So in theory... In my environment, I could be, I could be living in a dimension that's completely different than next door. So for example, this could be a fifth dimensional environment and that could be a third dimensional environment. Is that true? It is true, yet we, we still want to take it a bit out of the environment and put it inside of you because you are the one creating the environment. It's, it's somewhat like operating within an auric field. You, you can't see the auric field, but you can feel it. And many of you may be aware that it's there. And there are some people who can even see the changes within it. 
your home or the space that you live in is an energetic reflection of not only the dimension that you've arrived in, but how you are ascending through that dimension and will constantly change. So if you are standing next to an individual on the street and they exist in a different dimension than you, it's not that you would not see them, yet there may not be things that you are able to ever understand about each other or be in resonance with. You may not even be compelled to speak to each other at all because there is nothing about you that's drawing magnetically anything about the other. And often what we've uh, recognized in terms of metaphysics is that some are operating in higher dimensions than others and can be in very close proximity, having completely different conversations and experiences than those that are with them, either as family members or roommates. So, so there is a lot of interesting dynamics playing out here in this timeline on planet earth, but, but yet that's always been the case. It's, it's the workings of the universe. Okay. So what is in the dimension of the environment that I exist within is a projection from within myself. And that's true for every human being. And we're all projecting different dimensional realities in our environment. Correct. So far. Correct. You're, you're vibrationally upholding the material that you have accumulated. Okay. So material meaning physical things in my space are a projection or rather something that I'm vibrationally holding in this space based on the dimension that I'm projecting. Correct. We could even call it a perception. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what happens if, so let's just say, and is there a limit? So for example, could this be a 12th dimensional or, or is five or four, is there a maximum that I could uphold in a in this reality that I live, it's it's a very difficult determination to make, and, and somewhat individual. So, the collective that you have decided to be a part of will always be involved in how high of a dimension you're able to individually reach. It doesn't mean, however, that your soul can't reach into the twelfth dimension and receive information. But here on the earth plane, what you're operating with in terms of material somewhat has a cap. But that only applies to what you are able to tangibly see, work with, and feel. We know that you understand there are human souls very adept at channeling, uh, at energetic healing, at uh, time traveling, and, and speaking to interdimensionals. Uh, but that is not something that accumulates on planet Earth as density. It's something that is um, uh, integrated as wisdom. So, so you can operate in the 12th dimension. The question you're asking us is, can you hold that dimension in the space that you have decided to occupy as a physically incarnate soul? And we think that today is somewhat impossible, only because... In the 12th dimension, there's no need for dense material. Uh, it is just not a reality where the souls who are choosing to be in that form um, require the uh, interaction with such types of energy. Okay, so when you're referring to material, you're referring to physical, tangible things I can see, touch, sense with my senses. Um, 
what is the maximum that I can hold in this collective reality that I'm sharing with others? Well, again, that is an individual determination. However, on the whole, what we believe is the fifth dimension is somewhat the bandwidth of consciousness that many of you are able to access and hold for a very long and meaningful time. But remember, that fifth dimension is a gateway into the multi multiverse, the multiple dimensions, even in this universe. Um, and the reason is this. Uh, the fifth dimension is where a soul begins to work more with light as opposed to material. And it's not to say that you don't have still a relationship with the material in your space, but you are far more inclined to be working with uh, meditative and, and astral projective type of modalities, uh, creating your reality, not necessarily through physical effort so much, uh, even though effort will still always be required on a physical plane, uh, but operating more in your light. Okay. So it's possible, in, to use the earlier example, if we're walking down the street next to someone it's possible that one person could be walking in the fifth dimension and the other person is in the third dimension it is certainly possible that that is the case and because those dimensions are close enough together we would still be able to perceive each other as physical you would and and this is why um right now uh, what's happening on planet earth is somewhat rare in terms of the ascension timeline in other on other planets and other star systems um you are operating in two to three dimensions simultaneously and and you've been doing this for quite a, a number of years and it's not to say it's wrong to do this, but eventually what a collective is going for is to move everyone incrementally and evolutionary uh, or on an evolutionary journey or path into the same next higher dimension. Uh, you still have a bit of a weight holding you back in terms of those who are not willing to awaken, even though there are a part of them within that is uh, that are or is examining um, what needs to be seen in order to do this. Uh, so there's been a bit of a lag time, we might say. Uh, also, what we're noticing, uh, in addition to the example that you've brought up, is that there are human beings operating in different dimensions that will never cross paths on this same planet. Now, we know that when we say this, there's great concern because there are families who are on the opposite end of this timeline split, where there are children who don't seem to be progressing in an evolutionary way uh, versus their parents. But genetics and soul contracts, they tend to override this model because um, souls will bring along with them all of the beings necessary that they are here to serve. So, so we give that also as a caveat. All right. So if, um, well, one of the things you said was that on the whole, even those of us who may be more conscious on the planet today, we can't advance beyond a certain point because those who are less conscious, who are part of our collective, are, in a manner of speaking, holding back that move forward, correct? 
That is correct because you are co-creators. So you are not creating alone, even though we know it feels that way. Uh, your soul's divine plan intersects with every other human being that has chosen to incarnate in this timeline with you. Okay. Let's say, and, and uh, in our earlier topic, which we were talking about how there are other civilizations who are coexisting on Earth today who are at a higher dimension, high enough that we would never interact with them or even see them in physical form. Is that because they're higher than the fifth dimension? Yes, that okay. is correct. So basically, third to fifth dimension, if a being is walking the earth today, we could physically perceive them higher than fifth dimension. They could be walking the earth today, but we would never see them. Yes, that is correct. Okay. What happens, let's say this environment that we're in is existing in the fifth dimension as a projection of myself. And somebody, let's say not a friend of mine or even somebody close to me, happens to visit maybe somebody here to repair something or whatever. Um, they uh, exist in a very third dimensional space. How would they interpret the environment? Well, they would interpret the material environment the same as you. The question is, how would they integrate the vibration of that material? And that is an individual determination. So so uh, the, the space that you are creating, the environment that you live within, is a vibrational uh, equivalent or even soul signature of your choices, your consciousness, uh, all that you've become in this life. So when another soul enters, while they may be able to touch and interact with the things in your space because they're now, even though third dimension, entering your own, um, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're having the same experience of it that you are. There are some things that they might see with the human eye, but not be able to consciously understand or to recognize or even remember that they interacted with because if something is of a high vibrational nature um, and a lower vibrational soul uh, interacts with it, while the goal is always to awaken the one at a lower frequency, uh, it does take some time, in other words, for that change to take place. So there are opportunities, we believe, for souls that enter um, a higher dimensional space than the one that they exist in to now um, um, see something other than what they ever have, uh, to walk away somewhat changed in that environment, but not necessarily know how. Um, there are a lot of, there's a lot of intangibility <laughs> about this, in other words, uh, that's hard to describe, but the, the light body is always taking in what is necessary for a soul to have a, a, a conscious uh, next level awakening. The critical minds uh, may not be operating in the same experience. So this is what happens, for example, if we were to have family members over who are not of our awareness or understanding, maybe they're operating in a more third dimensional way. Even if they come into our environment, our environment may have a lot of things in it that are 
fifth dimensional in nature, they may not possess the understanding to be able to perceive those things in their true or in, in a more than physical light. If tuna is one of the healthiest and leanest protein you can eat, then why aren't we eating more of it? We'll tell you exactly why. Tuna on the supermarket shelves is basically smelly mush. Where something may have a certain meaning to someone in the fifth dimension, uh, meaning it could be an anchor for cosmic history, or it could be a remembrance of something that they have lived before. Uh, someone in the third dimension may see it as very flat. So, so what we're attempting to show here is the difference between multidimensionality and a more material density where someone does not have the, the access, uh, to the energy of space to the vibration of material, but are just entering it as if it is flat, um, uh, an earthly determination of, of what society should be. <laughs> and, and this is the, the big change that we're seeing taking place in those that are ascendant and awakening. They're becoming far more empathic, far more uh, sensitive. Uh, everything has a purpose. Everything has a meaning. Uh, which is a much different way of operating uh, than in the third dimension. And we could say this is a lead into multidimensionality because we see beyond the physical meaning of something being in space. We know it also has a very important vibrational role in being there. Okay. So for example, in a very simplistic way, if somebody were to walk into this room and they see the flower of life on the wall, to them, it's just a flat piece of art. But for me, I perceive the multidimensional aspects of it as well as it being a flat, flat piece of art. Correct. And you're also reaping the rewards of the energetic interaction with that understanding. It's not to say that if a third dimensional being put a flower of life image on their wall that they wouldn't receive the energetic benefit. But there has to be some uh, conscious attunement to the vibration, meaning uh, we're accepting of it, we're understanding what it is, we embrace it uh, in our lives, because anything that um, we might bring into our environment that could help us can be resisted if our consciousness will not accept it. So, so yes, we certainly agree that that is a prominent difference. All right. Using that example, uh, in a very simplistic way, me existing in this environment and having somebody come in who is not part of my circles, who is existing in a third dimensional uh, perspective. How does density play into that? How is his experience different from mine based on density? Well, density is always going to be a part, as we've mentioned, of the determining factor of the dimension you enter. So a third dimensional being could enter a fifth dimensional space, but never interact with that space at all, because the density that they're holding or that they perceive does not allow them to interact with it. So so there has to be some agreement there or even um, uh, matching form of consciousness, we might say, uh, in order to reap the rewards of stepping into an environment that is a different dimension than the one that you exist with it. Uh, some openness to it, in other words. And, and what's interesting about this question is, is we do notice that 
many human souls who have um, for a very long time been living in, in fifth dimensional timelines uh, tend to draw those around them that exist more in the third dimension for the very purpose of setting off a chain of events that awaken them to the possibility of doing the same. But but the level of density will always determine whether or not that integration can happen, um, whether or not the energy can actually be received or perceived, in other words. Um, imagine the um, depth of perception uh, that you might have as an eagle soaring over the landscape um, to have that that eagle eye and be able to tune in to a very fine and small detail in in a very huge landscape is something that we think higher dimensional beings are able to do. They have the the particular senses and uh, mastered the energetic interpretation of of all that is happening. And it isn't something that always has to be understood or felt in the moment. Um, we actually see this as sometimes being a problem. Uh, spiritual beings practice to the point where they feel so many things that they want to stop and determine everything that they're feeling. And, and that can even weigh them down in the process of awakening. Um, so different dimensional realities are holding different densities. Uh, in other words, the higher dimension that you are in, the less density that you are working with. And this helps you to have a clearer view of everything, whether it be the actual physical material in the space, uh, its purpose or the energy behind it. Is there a hidden camera spying on you right now? You won't believe it. Take a look at how many hidden cameras are available to buy online. My name is Josh Schaff and I've spent over eight years so then um, a third dimensional, a person operating in the third dimension who may be in my same physical space, and let's say I'm operating in the fifth dimension, and we're having a conversation, is it fair to say then that in every case that third dimensional person has a higher level of density than I would in the fifth dimension? If it is truly a, a lower dimensional reality, yes. Um, and it is just the case that it accumulates in this way. Um, if a soul has not risen beyond the third dimension, it's because the density that they're operating with has become too great. And a lot of spiritual teachings use densities in a similar way as dimensions, meaning they number them third, fourth, fifth, sixth, for example. Is that even uh, accurate or is it just simply density is just more or less, meaning you may have more density, and if so, you're operating at a lower dimension, or you may have less density, in which case you're operating at a higher dimension, but the numbers, uh, numbering them is not really relevant. It is just a way that some human souls have decided to define density and dimension as one, and, and we think it's relevant uh, because Again, the, the higher dimension that you are in, the less density you will hold. But it's not possible, for, for example, let's say hypothetically in the density range that we were to define 1 through 13 in densities and we were to also have 13 dimensions in this universe, as we've discussed before, it's really not a viable way of understanding to say I'm in the fifth dimension operating in the fourth density. 
or I'm in the third dimension operating in the fifth density. That's not really logical. We think that's a difficult determination to make in a stagnant sense because density is always changing. And, And certainly there can be multiple beings in the fifth dimension that are operating in different levels of density. So it's, it's, it's not truly possible to say that one dimension is equal to any certain amount of density. Um, there are also going to be times that human souls go through difficult challenges or periods of transition in their divine plan uh, and are struggling with something uh, physical or otherwise that is going to create some density. It does not mean that that density is affecting them the same way as another soul uh, in the third dimension, but we don't see density necessarily as uh, being able to um, be measured in a, in a collective sense, uh, even though it can be looked at and determined from time to time uh, based on where a race is and its evolutionary process. Um, to categorize it in exclusion of a dimension would be um, to negate the individuality and unique process of the soul. So if we were to have, let's say, 100 people, 50 of them are operating in the fifth dimension and 50 are operating in the third dimension, all of them, there could be 100 different densities then. So the 50 that are in the fifth dimension could have 50 entirely different densities that they're experiencing and the same true for the third dimension is that am i understanding correctly it is it's a difficult way of looking at it but it but it does make sense and and keep in mind that density can also be a soul's relationship to material and the world so so you have come up in a very suppressed um uh, timeline where the metaphysical teachings and prophecies of ancient civilizations have been hidden from you. So you have come up learning that you must work hard to make a living, that you must earn a certain amount of money in order to pay your bills. And this is a very dense way of existing in the third dimension because it doesn't account for the idea that you have any semblance of energy that you are able to put to good use beyond what you're taught. Um, so yes, we, we agree with what you're saying, um, but, but also want to make the point that as a collective, sometimes we notice that the theme of holding or accumulating density comes from the same patterns uh, where uh, groups of souls have been brought up in certain belief systems uh, religious teachings, uh, educational programs that keep them very suppressed in their perception of what reality is and its density. Okay. What I'm trying to understand in simple term is, um, if the, if there's an infinite number of densities that we could be experiencing on earth as individual beings. So, uh, rather than it being something that's quantifiable in a number, meaning 1 through 13, for example, in terms of densities, that every human being... So on Earth right now, we may have half the pop, probably more than half the population who's operating in the third dimension at a very high level of density. And 
maybe a smaller portion of the population that's operating in fifth dimension with much less density. Is that correct? It is. And and we're going to throw another curveball here at you because we want to remind you of the equation that we have brought in previously that includes vibration. So there can be souls that exist in the third dimension who are in a very dense relationship to energy, but vibrating very high. And because of that, the amount of density they hold in their energy field could actually be less than someone who is in the fifth dimension who has a more expansive access to the multidimensional universe, who has a more conscious relationship to material density, but is suffering. Um, and, and, and unfortunately, this is something you must also take into consideration where we're not trying to make things more complex here, but it is nonetheless a very complex uh, and chaotic transition that you are walking through here on planet Earth. So dimension does not necessarily dictate the level of density that a soul is carrying. The souls that enter a specific dimension together have a different relationship to to density and the physical plane, a more conscious one than others do. All right. Let me try to simplify what you just said to make sure I understand. So let's say somebody is existing in the third dimension. Um, Let's say that person is my gardener. So I have a gardener. They're existing in the third dimension and they have very low amount of density. Now, so somebody who is experiencing life that way, maybe somebody who absolutely loves gardening, they find joy in it, they have very peaceful lives, they have um, a very positive hus- you know, relationship with their husband or wife or relationship partners. They're generally living a very uplifting life experience. Because, but But to them... This is a very flat world. Uh, They see physical things like the flowers and plants in front of them and they work with them with their hands. They really don't perceive of higher dimensional ideas or, or wouldn't even be able to have this conversation that we're having today. But nonetheless, they're experiencing a very uplifted life compared to what you're saying. Somebody could be existing in the fifth dimension with a high level of density or higher level of density, maybe not as third dimensional people would, but nonetheless higher than a fifth dimension person would have to have uh, or would normally have. Um, and that person, because of being in the fifth dimension, they have perception of, um, for example, they could understand what we're discussing here today. They don't perceive this room as flat. They understand the multidimensional aspects of what we're experiencing. They may even be healers or channels or anything like that uh, and even be communicating with even higher dimensions in the fifth because as you said earlier the fifth is a gateway to the other dimensions so but but if they had more density they may have really bad relationships and be suffering with physical problems or emotional problems or relationship problems and generally be very miserable person in their human existence is that does that encapsulate the idea it is true and 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 we would add to that to say that if you think of each dimension as access to information meaning that 
in the third dimension, perhaps, we are meant to only be focused on the material plane and, and not consider that we should be working with any semblance of energy. Um, anyone who is there who is happy in that dimension and living their lives to the fullest is is um, not accumulating a great deal of density, but but working with it the way that they should. But but as you move into the fifth dimension, you have more access to energy, information, the spiral of time, the Akashic records, and as such, able to use it in order to accelerate your soul's evolution. So so the the idea of evolution in each dimension um, takes a vibrational shift where it might accelerate a bit further simply because we have the opportunity uh, at our fingertips to be able to access things beyond the veil, beyond what we know to be true in only a physical realm. But if someone is suffering in the fifth dimension, meaning... They're using that heightened awareness and perception to proclaim that they would rather not be in a physical body. The question is, are they actually evolving or are they able to tap in and use what they are able to access now to to put into motion all of the changes necessary uh, to evolve as a soul? Um, that is something that that we believe is um a part of your human free will and free will in terms of a definition is something a little bit different in our determination than what you may consider. We don't see free will necessarily as the ability to shape your life to whatever you want it to. Free will is the ability to continue to ascend enough to receive the information needed to leave the past behind and become a better manifestation of it. And there's always a wave of energy that you have carved out that is moving you through space and time in order to do that. So there can be beings that enter the fifth dimension, but they can become just as stagnant and not evolve as those in the third because they have determined that through an expanded awareness or consciousness, the earth is just as dense as it was before. So how can we understand if, if, for example, is it fair to make the assumption that if you're generally a very happy, uplifted person, that you probably don't have a lot of density versus if you find yourself suffering a lot in life, you probably have more density, regardless of what dimension you're operating from. We agree with that. And and this would be the determination of the vibrational density that we are speaking of. However, uh, the vibrational density that you hold in your structure somewhat becomes a filter to your ability to create in the material world. So so anything that's weighing you down um, uh, energetically or vibrationally is going to suppress your soul's ability to create to its infinite potential. And uh, we meant you talked about this earlier, but I want to sort of clarify and simplify the concept. So all density is being created through some sort of trauma or suffering. For example, even it could be as simple as worrying about something, um, but it could be 
physical, psychological, sexual traumas as well. Uh, but it could also be the collective society that we live in today uh, and the various limiting structures that are put in place to reinforce density. So it could be coming from any of those sources that we take on and carry individually. Correct. And, and most often, sadly, uh, what we notice is it is seeded uh, into your collective awareness. Okay, seeded meaning seeded genetically or seeded through psychological programming? Uh, in and... many, many different ways. We think the most powerful is your attention. Uh, when your attention is gathered and placed on something that is chronically and constantly fearful uh, or detrimental, uh, it is going to cause an accumulation of density. But, but certainly uh, within the DNA and within the body, there has been an accumulation of, of toxins. For example, these are all densities that hold the soul back from being able to work with the dimension and the consciousness uh, that it has accessed. Uh, but we consider actually the the vibrational densities, the ones that are caused more by fear or suffering to be some of the most uh, important, those that that linger the longest. And, and it's not to negate the importance of a pure and clear physical body uh, when it comes to detoxification. But what we know is that if you're moving between dimensions, meaning you're moving upward and onward into a higher one, you're going to be reorganizing your material. They they typically go hand in hand. So, so a soul that has arrived in a fifth dimensional timeline, who's truly living in this way, has probably gone through many of the physical steps that it needed to take in order to remove the more physically dense and laden toxins from the body. It is just one step among many uh, in the ascension timeline. All right. I want to sort of understand better because you, you're talking about attention as a an avenue through which density is created. So, for example, what I would like to resolve with that is, well, there are things happening in the world today that may, uh, may be fearful or fear-based or may be fearful to certain individuals. You're not saying necessarily don't pay attention to anything going on in the world, right? Because obviously we're in the physical world experience physical life. When you say attention, are you meaning ignore everything that isn't positive or, or are you referring to how we interact with those things? Meaning something that's happening in the world or even in our lives to two different people, one may experience the same thing as fear and the other one may experience it in a very positive way or in a neutral way. So what, what do you mean by attention? Well, attention is gathered to fearful, we'll say events, whether they be false or true, in the hopes of humans falling victim to them. And when we say fall victim, it means that you aren't able to raise yourself up above the vibration of that fear. And this is unfortunately something that we've seen go on for, for, for many decades where humans have been unnaturally forced to tune in to what is going wrong. And never would we say you should not um, um, attune to those things because if and when they are real, uh, it is important for you to know. Yet 
that is the question that we are chronically asking is what is real versus what is false. And unfortunately, we've seen a great deal of uh, what we'll call um, uh, false light or false information being implanted within the physical environment that you live within. Um, and it's constantly garnering attention. And even when something fearful that is real is paid attention to, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to affect every soul in the same way. This is where the difference in dimension and consciousness can really be seen and, and understood. Because if we live in a third dimension that's very flat, and we cannot reason with the idea that things would ever change, or there are systems and programs that we simply have to subscribe to because it's always the way things have been. It's very easy in a dimension like that to keep human beings processing um, an emotion like fear, creating more and more density that keeps the reality stagnant. Uh, we think as you move into a higher dimension, there is by um, default more critical thinking because you are able to see more of what's going on beyond the very linear and physical material perception of the 3D. All right. So if we were to use the last few years as an example on planet Earth, there was a lot of fear. Um, but if we were to take, let's say, two different people who were exposed to exactly the same information of the fear-based things that are going on in the world, would they both accumulate the same amount of density from it? Not necessarily. What's okay. the difference? The difference is how a soul responds to that fear or that information. And it isn't necessarily uh, dependent upon an immediate response. That is what is interesting. And let, let's take what has happened on the earth the last couple of years and, and put it aside for a moment. Let's say you come home to, to your home and you walk in the front door and realize that you have been robbed. There could be an immediate fearful uprising. It would be natural for you to feel fear knowing that someone else had entered your apartment and perhaps taken things very valuable. What an unconscious soul might do is stay in that fear and operate from it, where a more conscious soul might be able to process the fear, yet operate from consciousness, meaning even though the event was fearful, even though some fear might remain, it's easier to neutralize the situation, not to have to get over it very quickly necessarily, but to experience a range of emotions as opposed to just one. When you think of multidimensionality, you might think of many different genetic options, many different um, choices that you have at your fingertips. When you are in a lower dimension like the third the range of options and emotions are typically more narrow. And what that means is we're used to staying in the emotion of what's happened to us in the most heightened sense. So those that practiced in ancient civilizations, some yogis, for example, enlightened teachers, 
did so uh, in order to neutralize energy, meaning they were able to feel and be present with whatever was happening, but go through a series of emotions such that one did not take over. And that's the beauty of an imprint. We could have um, a very unfortunate incident like our apartment, our home being broken into, and we can feel fear in the moment, but we can neutralize that fear by going through the action steps to resolve it and actually become an agent of change in the world such that a pattern like this actually becomes broken. Where in the third dimension, what we tend to see is the initial fear holds on. And and it creates um, uh, a stream of memories through which future events are born. And that is the problem with density, is that it accumulates from one experience into another that could be completely different than the one we experienced. So, So everything is cumulative in that way. We can experience fear, then justification and then forgiveness and then calm. And then we can go back to fear again that it might happen in our future, but rationally remember that we are safe. And all of that is contributed to our level of of density, to the imprint that we leave on the experience. And imprints are very magnetic. So if we are recounting an event that happened to us in a very fearful way, Um, We're actually drawing from the Akashic records from the spiral of time, more events in the same vibration, in the same imprint. And that's why so many people on planet Earth have not evolved beyond what they call karma, or they're having the same experiences over and over again with different people and in different settings, because there's a strong imprint either related to fear or disempowerment or unworthiness. And that is so magnetic. It's so powerful that it's drawing more and more of the same. So, so in a, in a higher dimension, we're less apt to keep drawing the same experience. Certainly we are going to revisit history because that is universal law. We're always going to have history come back around because it is the foundation of what we are here to create. But we will approach that history completely differently than we ever did before because we're open to feeling whatever we need to, to responding in different ways, to accepting non-physical information at times. And in in so doing, we evolve beyond it. So what is the most ideal way to approach life? Is it to focus on only the positive and ignore things in the world that may be scary or that may bring about fearful emotions? Or is it to experience all that there is, even the things that are fearful, experience the fearful emotion, but process it from a higher vantage point or a higher state of being such that it doesn't overtake your life? Well, in this timeline that you have chosen, if you were to exclude all fear from your life, you would never live out your soul's true purpose because you have come here based upon a historic pattern of fearful events. But your soul knew that you were courageous enough to face them because you had the opportunity to 
accelerate your consciousness uh, wide and strong enough to be able to interact with anything and not let it define you. So, so in, in ancient civilizations, as we mentioned, yogis would practice the breath of, for many reasons, of course, but, but one being the ability to feel it all, to feel at such a deep level that something like fear could never stand in the way of the soul's creative ability. Uh, it, it is not that fear is even negative, we feel. Some of the problem today is that humans do not want to feel fear. They do not want to see it. They've been taught not to look at it. And, and that does not build, we believe, the spiritual muscle necessary to get through these very challenging times and, and actually find yourself in a higher dimension. Because there are always going to be challenges that must be faced. The, the uh, polarity and the dance of dark and light. This is something that, that every civilization throughout space and time has studied. But what we've come to understand is that it's merely all preference. Even though here on planet Earth, the darkness has become so dense and so dark that you're still experiencing the traumas and the crimes against humanity that that suppress you today. What you're aiming for is to see those with such a clear vision and to accept in your heart that they have happened, that you can mourn them like the people who experienced them yourselves enough to say that I am now going to take it into a higher vibration and live my life to the solution while I honor the past and what's still happening on planet earth. So, so we don't suggest ignoring fearful situations at all. In fact, we think that sometimes the fear is calling you and, and challenging you to, to see exactly how powerful you are and, and the, the, the plans that you have brought to the earth uh, manifest before your very eyes. It's, it's fear that calls you to do things that you may not have ever done before uh, it is just that, unfortunately, that fear has been constant and chronic, and it has been very hard for the nervous system to hold. And that's why we're always recommending meditation as a regular practice, not only because it resets the nervous system, but it, it accesses a part of you that knows, regardless of whatever happens on planet Earth, what, what you may come into contact with or not, you are here with the criteria to change it for the better. Okay, that's a perfect time to, to say we're going to take a break. We're here to change it for the better. Okay, so we will take a little break. Uh, and we'll see you in about 10 or 15. And we love everyone. Thank you for doing this collective work together where we listen together to the uh, the higher beings coming through Michaela and the commentary that Ethan is making and we're all collectively guiding thank you, thank you everyone so we'll see you in a few thank you, namaste for now Richard yes there you go <laughs> yeah, guess what? What? 
I uh, got a thunderstorm blowing up here right now. Oh my goodness! Yeah, it just started. It already had a power fluctuation, knocked out the the modem when the when the power uh, dipped, and I had to wait for the modem to come back up. All right, then I had to shut down Firefox. You know, oh, I had to restart no. Firefox. Get BBS radio back up, get my charts back up, and now it's making noise outside. But anyway, <laughs> that's just a local situation. Okay. The global situation, uh, yeah, we've got this um, situation between Pluto and Neptune. You take the midpoint of that. Uh oh. Did we lose you? Uh oh. Oh. Oh my God. Well, Rom. Yeah. I maybe you should just play K Pots until we wait. Uh, Richard got knocked off. Oh. Maybe we'll play Richard for a, play K Pots now, and then that storm will settle down so that Richard can talk to us after K Pots. <coughs> I think that's what we got to do. Richard's all gone. Maybe the storm will be better after we play this. Let's just play Kipacha. Sorry, everybody. The Richard, the astrologer, is having us uh, a very strong storm. So Kipacha it is for now. Blaze the violet fire over there. Here we go. <laughs> Here we go. Kaipacha with the weekly Pele report for Wednesday, July 26th of 2023. And last week I was out on the Pacific coast, uh, Playa Herradura. And this week I'm on the Caribbean coast, uh, outside of Puerto Viejo. Look at this uh, tree with the sand and the leaves. <laughs> On top of the branches, I mean, nature, Mother Nature is an artist constantly giving us new artistic expressions of life and in so many different ways. Life and death, the moon is in Scorpio and she is going to stay there until tomorrow, Thursday. 
when she's going to go into Sagittarius. Uh, she will be trining Saturn, opposing Jupiter today, and then tomorrow she's going to move on to oppose Uranus and square Mercury and Venus. Mercury and Venus are coming together, conjunct tomorrow in Leo. And then Mercury is going to inconjunct Pluto before moving into Virgo, right? So there is a shift here in our thinking, in the mind, lots of Mercury energy going on. Uh, I want to talk about this. It's actually a yod that has to do with uh, Mercury in conjunct Neptune and in conjunct Pluto with Pluto sextile Neptune gives us the fickle finger of fate. Yes. And the Yod is a very powerful configuration. And I want to talk about that a little bit. So Mercury is I'm going to be highlighting, you know, in this, you know, even this mantra, I think, has uh, a lot to do with this Yod and a lot to do with Mercury. Um, don't forget Venus is still going retrograde. And so Mercury is moving away, joining Mars and Virgo, which is ruled by Mercury. And Venus comes into an inconjunct with Neptune on Sunday. And the moon keeps moving around Saturday. Uh, she will trine Chiron and Mercury and Venus making a grand trine before she squares Neptune. And then uh, the, the other big thing is Mars trine Jupiter. Mars will be trining Jupiter on Tuesday. It's exact the same day that Mercury comes into a square with, I'm sorry, not a square, an opposition I'm a little distracted here because I want to give you a sight of the island out there as we come out of the jungle. Uh, what do we see? Dun, 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 da da. <laughs> yeah, baby. Oh. All right, let me look at the camera and talk to you. All right, this sea is so wild here. I got to show it to you. All right, it's right down. I am on the crashing rocks. <laughs> oh, baby. But it's so spectacular. It's so spectacular that I just wanted to share it with you. So I'll try to concentrate and deliver some astrology here in the midst of all this, but it's all tied together as above, so below, as without, so within. The macrocosm mirrors the microcosm. The face of the Father God is reflected in the waters of Mother Earth below. So there's a lot going on here. What I didn't, didn't mention there was the full moon. The full moon is a coming, and that full moon is a happening in Aquarius, right? What's that degree again? I've got the Sabian symbol for it. I think it is very powerful and very appropriate. It's at 9 degrees, 16 minutes of Aquarius. Let me read you the Sabian symbol 
for the 10th degree of Aquarius, even though my books got all soaking wet on the way out here. <laughs> 10 degrees of Aquarius. This is an interesting one. I'm going to really try to weave together the numerous different energies that are happening this week. The moon's moving out of Scorpio into Sag, then into Capricorn, till finally next week into a full moon in Aquarius, right? So she's building, waxing, growing larger and larger and larger, reflecting back more and more. And we learn through relationship, through this reflecting mirror of other people. And this is a man who had for a time become the embodiment of a popular ideal is made to realize that as a person, he is not that ideal. The keynote is the need to deal with human beings as persons rather than as screens upon which one projects one's dream and ideal. Here we have a final statement on the relationship between mental, spiritual vision and living reality, between persons and the ideal they appear to incarnate between the great lover image and one's need for love. A love that the presence of that person stimulated and aroused. The star's popularity fades away. The person remains. What has this episode of popularity actually done to the person? This is a question that can be applied to a great variety of circumstances. <laughs> this symbol brings to our attention an issue that is basic and may confront us in many different forms. Person versus archetype. This can mean a critical need for self-re-evaluation. Having just had my birthday and I'm looking at my solar return with the sun opposite Pluto. <laughs> this old Plutonian metamorphosis underworld, Venus retrograding down into the underworld. I talked last week about the need to re-evaluate who we are, what we value, what our priorities are, what is success, what is fulfillment, is it popularity? Are we the image that we put out on Instagram or Facebook or Telegram or YouTube? Is that us? Is that me? No. It's an image. This is Neptune. Neptune rules movies, rules the collective unconscious, rules magic, illusions, images, photography, 
and projection of our unconscious desires, longings, inner attractions. So here we have Mercury moving away, the 150 degree aspect, that quincunx aspect is a breaking free, a graduation. So Mercury Neptune is almost like, you know, the, the movie screen we have in our forehead, you know, it's like, you know, we see what's going on. It is our imagination and it helps with writing, singing, dancing, embodying spirit, bringing the spirit into form. It's very beautiful. And then Mercury is breaking free, graduating from its time with Neptune. And this is an adjustment. Neptune, the heavier body, needs to let go of Mercury. We need to come out of that world of illusion, innocence, hoping naively, projecting, imagining that, oh yes, that, that image is the truth. And we need to like go deeper. We need to dig down past the surface and into the underworld. And then we have that, it's a 210 degree quincunx, Mercury around from Pluto up at 29 Capricorn. And that is a very powerful, you know, Pluto is the planet of metamorphosis, of death and resurrection, of reanalysis, of rebirth, of regeneration, of transmutation from this innocent little naivety child into the grown, mature wisdom keeper. So this week is about, you know, the need for each of us and every one of us to take our Mercury, and I talked about that the week before last, right? That the ego is the captain of the ship, but not the owner. And Mercury is this, you know, the messenger of the gods. And it is the tool of the ego. And we really need to use that to really decipher what we want to bring through and what we envision and what we imagine versus the Virgo reality that is. So right after that in conjunct, Mercury is really moving along very rapidly, joins Mars in Virgo. You'll have Mercury and Mars both in Virgo for the next month. Earth, practical, analytical, real, grounded, work, effort, service, bring it in, bring it through. So we can see that we're walking on a little bit of a tightrope here. And this tightrope is between worlds. 
the world of spirit and the world of matter. And we don't want to get lost or taken away into that world of spirit. And we don't want to lose that world of spirit and get lost in matter and the physical, yeah, material existence without spirit. That's what this week's mantra is about. Our, you know, it's like our job as humans is to unite spirit and matter. We are spirit in material, physical bodies. So we need to walk in spirit. We need to walk with spirit. We need to talk to spirit. We need to listen to spirit. We need to witness spirit. We need to ask spirit to witness us. We need to have this live, breathing exchange with the invisible, unseen spiritual worlds. And this is what is under threat today. Steiner talked about it a hundred years ago. The vaccine that would close off the portal of the spiritual world from human access. The transhumanism movement that really just seeks to, you know, <laughs> use artificial intelligence. I've gone on this chat GPT calling astrology a pseudoscience. It's who's programming these artificial intelligence. Who's programming the algorithms for the chat GPT? This is a very materialistic, machine-oriented, aramonic energy that is devoid of the living, breathing sensations of magical mystery that are in the rocks and the stones, the trees, the birds, the animals, the waves. And it's what makes us human. I gave you a link last week in the notes for the Greg Braden talk where he talks about our divinity and what sets us apart as human beings from anything else in this plane of existence. And it is that potential of evolving into more than we are. And we do that through, guess what? Evolutionary astrology tells us we evolve through our emotions, through our feelings, not our brain, not our head, not our Mercury. So it's interesting that Mercury and Mars are heading off and Venus rules the heart chakra, is pulling back and staying in that sign of Leo connected to the heart. And so we can see this kind of separation occurring. <coughs> what we want to do is sit with it and sit in it and be absorbed and not allow ourselves to be you know, shut down, shut off, drawn into the virtual realities, drawn into the screen, drawn into the images, drawn into the false personas that we can experience through all the social media. And we need to gather together in living 
breathing groups. And we need to have intimate union and connecting through the heart, through love, through emotion, through a feeling connection to stir that spirit within us. That kundalini life force is a living juice, this lusciousness, this indescribable spiritual energy that can't be boxed, it can't be explained, it can't fit into ones and zeros and sine waves and computers. So let's not lose ourselves as we enter this Aquarian age and as technology becomes so amazing in so many ways, we need to really pull in and remember our source and remember our truth that we are so much more than our thoughts, than our thinking, than our machines, than our bodies. We are a, we are, you know, divine beings capable of, you know, so much of, you know, what we're doing with computers. One day we will be able to do without. And what we want to be doing is developing our extrasensory perception, telecommunication, telekinesis, teleportation, clairvoyance, clairaudience, to really experience more than observe, more than be entertained, become the entertainment. <laughs> yeah, baby. Ow! So, yeah. This week's song is The Court of the Crimson King. I love, love, love King Crimson. Very old band, but still awesome. Check it out in the link below. This week's mantra is It is ever more important to live in spirit every day as without its higher, wiser vision, I may not see the way. We ask for spirit guidance. We open our third eyes. I have to read you the degree of the resolution point of the Yad is the exact opposition of Mercury, which is the 29th degree of Aquarius. It is a butterfly emerging from a chrysalis. The capacity to utterly transform the character of one's consciousness by radically altering the structural patterns of everyday living and the types of relationships one enters upon. We need to really incarnate spirit 
through our actions, thoughts, deeds, words, relationships. This is Virgo, the polarity of Pisces. This is the 29th degree of Aquarius. It really calls us into metamorphosis. Key word for this week, for Pluto at the 29th degree of Capricorn, we metamorphose ourselves and we metamorphose society and the world. As we change, the world changes. Our perception changes and we transform and heal ourselves and each other. So it's being in spirit, not watching, not observing, not praying to something out there, but, but really invoking and inviting this magical spirit into conscious revelation. <laughs> it is ever more important to live in spirit every day as without its higher, wiser vision, I may not see the way. May you see the way this week, this life, with spirit guidance, and not get sucked into the mainstream, baby, but break free, liberate, and love. Namaste. Aloha. So much love. Okay, Doug, can you hear us? Will you please call Richard back? He's not able to call you because of the storm, but I think he called us and he said, All right. Thank you, Commander. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mother Nature's talking, everybody. Yeah. There you are. We can hear you, Richard. Okay. Did the the rainstorms slow down a bit? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. Okay, so we played we played uh, K Pacha while you were away. Right. Right. I I I got the computer computer back on. Got the BS radio 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 rad
thing going on in Niger. Yeah. yeah. This week, you know. What's that all about? Kicking out of kicking out an elected president. I still haven't heard anything about who who the guy or the committee is in the military that's so pissed off at their duly elected Democratic president that they causing all this fiasco. All right, this is this is a, this is a combination of a, a Pluto effect with a Uranus conjunct Jupiter effect. Because right, Uranus and Jupiter are kind of running the whole show globally in Taurus, okay? Mm-hmm. And, you know, Putin hasn't come to his senses. He's still insane, all right? Okay, Richard, Richard, i got to just tell you that's not the real Putin. That's our fake Putin. And Putin, the real Putin, is not in this at all. Okay. Okay. The character playing the part of Putin, is that better? Yes, but make sure you know that that's the United States creation. Well, we know there's a whole lot of bad guys operating, and they're, they're able to use the energies of the current situation to promote their agenda. And the promotion of the agenda that we're all seeing is our government. And it has nothing to do with Russia at all. Well, it is a fiasco, and it's going to remain a fiasco, uh, I guess. Let's see. It's going to take, it's going to take a, uh, it's going to take about a year for Jupiter to get into Gemini and far enough away from Uranus. On the other hand, you know. All these, all these, uh, these uh, fires around the globe, and all this extra heat. Yeah. So, it, 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 there's a saying because uh, I was, I've been re- I've been reading uh, Hindu Hindu materials lately that. Um, yeah, it's like uh, someone gave Agni, the god of fire, a job to do, so there's lightning strikes all over the place, starting the forest fires. Right? All the majority, over the place. By, by, by and large, the majority of forest fires are started by lightning strikes. And lightning is ruled by Aries, where... Chiron is hanging out retrograde in Aries. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a thing that appears to be long term to me. So oh, that's, yeah, that's my that's my current analysis as far as I can figure it out. I keep, you've reminded me before. I keep. I keep forgetting how crooked the U.S. government is and the secret government behind the crooked uh, objective government is and all that stuff. You got that right. All right. You got that right. Now, 
just so you all know, the details on the full moon on the 1st is at 2.30 p.m. Eastern. Okay? And at that time of the day, the other planets are below the horizon in the northern hemisphere. Uranus is about to set at 2.30 in the afternoon. Jupiter is below the horizon, so Jupiter's, probably Jupiter sets around 1.30 in the afternoon. Okay? The full moon's going to be at 2.30 in the afternoon, and there's no relief until after Uranus gets below the horizon uh, during the day. So uh, everything everything's better after after uh, 3 p.m. Okay. The the uh, the troublesome energies are below the horizon after 3 p.m., which leaves Sun, Venus, Mercury, and Mars high in the sky for another six hours. So that's that. All right, I'm done. Okay, Richard. I'm so glad you got it. I had to get it off my chest. No, I'm glad that you got it off your chest, and I'm glad you got back after we did what we did, and now let's go listen to Tanya Gabrielle. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Fulmer Aquarius, exuberance, exploration. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but see, it's, it's still... Leading up to the full moon, like you know, the uh, the the day before the moon's going to be conjunct Pluto, right? Yeah, and Pluto right now is all about reorganizing the reorganizing of the necessary reorganizing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, all over the planet, all all the governments, all the food supplies, all the health. Problems, all the everything. We're just screwed. Okay, here we go. go. Take it away. All right, take it away. Gabrielle, Wealth Astrologist. Welcome to Star Codes. This is the podcast where we look at an upcoming event in the astrology and numerology. And in this case, it is the full moon in Aquarius with the sun in Leo, both at nine degrees, happening at 731 universal time, which is 2.31 p.m. Eastern New York and 11.31 a.m. Pacific in L.A. Now, August in 2023 has two full moons this one on august 1st and then the virgo sorry the pisces full moon on august 31st the last day so it's a very exciting month and it means that we really will be fully immersed in our feelings in august now let's take a closer look at aquarius where the moon will be so aquarius is all about the future 
discovering new things. It governs science and technology and exploring uncharted territories. It governs genius, anything that's out of the box, politically incorrect, different. Aquarius stimulates inspiration because in order to get those brand new ideas and futuristic perceptions of what's possible, we have to tune in to our intuitive sense. So Aquarius likes to go where nobody else goes and it goes out of bounds and covers new ground and focuses on galactic ideas or theories that leave old paradigms behind, right? And so Aquarius is an air sign. It does govern the higher mind, whereas Gemini governs the lower mind and they work together. Gemini is more practical and Aquarius more esoteric and into astrology, numerology, for example. So there's this higher consciousness element with Aquarius as we explore new pathways, new angles, new ideas. And so there's this sense of the divine with Aquarius because it reaches beyond what the limited mind, the practical mind, likes to focus on. It likes to look at your divine mission, what your contract is for this lifetime, for example, aside from the scientific element. So Aquarius likes to find inventive solutions and it looks to long-range, far, far away goals. There's a huge humanitarian aspect to this where it takes an interest in those things that will benefit humanity down the road. So there's an interest in others, but more in a, a distant sense, not in an intimate sense. And so there's a real opportunity here to see the big picture, to create tremendous breakthroughs in your understanding of life, whether it's your own or the, the collective awakening that's going on. Aquarius does govern the awakening. And of course, we are in the midst of moving into the Aquarian age from the Piscean age. So we are in general filled with information, as we know, and innovation. And there's a sense of brilliance and eccentricity too with Aquarius because Aquarius likes to understand how things work and, and look at the unconventional or the unique, right? That really appeals. So there's an element of surprise. There's an element of excitement. There's an element of the unexpected. Uh, Aquarius in astrology governs the 11th house which is the house of friendships and groups and networking. So that's also enhanced around this time. And also for the whole Aquarian age, the collective being sort of the biggest group we can imagine as humans and seeking knowledge, seeking wisdom, seeking freedom. Now, the shadow side of Aquarius is aloofness, inflexibility. It is a fixed sign, having a fear of intimate engagement, not getting involved. Now, think back to around January 21st of 2023, this year. That was when we had the Aquarius new moon and when the sun was in Aquarius. And whatever you experienced or envisioned at that time is now coming to fruition. It's coming full circle because full moons are the culmination of things. And coming to fruition 
brings to mind the word fruit, fruition. So you are enjoying the fruit of what you birthed back in January, especially around that new moon period. So let's look at more closely at the code. So the sun and moon will be at nine degrees, moon in Aquarius, sun in Leo. Nine degrees is also the number of culmination, just like the full moon is the final single digit. So there really is a sense of you coming into a level of wisdom and understanding about something in your life that will propel you forward in a new way after the full moon period is over. And so there's a sense of joy with that as well, because Jupiter is forming a T-square to this full moon. Jupiter will be square to the sun and square to the moon, and that creates this very powerful T-square, this double square. Jupiter will be at 13 degrees in Taurus, and Jupiter actually forms an exact trine to 13 degrees Mars in Virgo, which is amazing. It really adds some fire so there is a sense of real, your engines being fired up, longing to dig in your heels and sticking with it. These are also, a lot of these signs we're looking at, like Leo and Aquarius, are fixed signs. So they really move in a groove and stick with it. But then we have this other expansion of Jupiter and the fire as well, which really helps you move fast and get from one part of your life to the next. The goal goes very, very quickly. So you can explore with a lot of passion. And this really makes this a very intense, but also very exciting and in a way liberating full moon, even though it's a culmination, the full moon, this is a This is a full moon that will help to extract and let go in so many ways because of this beautiful code. Now, moon square Jupiter does expand your emotions. So keep in mind that you want to look at when you are maybe over-exaggerating or over-feeling or being oversensitive. At the same time, you feel very happy to share your heart. Jupiter does govern joy. And there's a generosity that really infuses your soul with this T-square to Jupiter because you feel recognized at that soul level. Jupiter governs wisdom and Jupiter governs higher education. So the understanding that we are all one. Now, the sun square Jupiter gives you strength. It gives you a sense of happiness and inner joy that you naturally have and it brings that out. Remember, with a square, you want to do everything in moderation. So even though Jupiter is a benefic and a square to Jupiter does bring out the activation of the joy and the expansion and the wisdom, you still want to watch to not overdo things. So be sure you stay focused and disciplined with all this really good energy and also guard against overspending during this time. Now, there are other transits to this Aquarius full moon and one of them is another opposition that is actually exact and it's between Saturn and Mercury they're at five degrees Pisces for Saturn opposite five degrees Mercury in Virgo and having these two oppositions does mean there is a tension that needs to be resolved and brought into balance energetically so with Mercury involved with Saturn there is a sense of how you communicate needing to be looked at 
especially in your work environment. And with Saturn and Pisces, boy, that's really an elevation of our spiritual life in general. And of course, we'll last a couple more years here while Saturn moves through Pisces, but it's a very important time. It gives us the ability to really research in depth. You're going to want to know more about our true history on Earth, for example, at this time especially because Mercury is in an Earth sign of Virgo. So in-depth research, serious analysis, deep conversations, covering all bases, being meticulous in dotting all I's, crossing all T's, and making sure you're in a serene environment because Saturn is in Pisces. And this is going to be very important to allow you to breathe and not panic if something comes up in your life. Now, helping matters, of course, is that exquisite Mars Jupiter trine at 13 degrees, and it is exact as well. 13 is the divine feminine number. It brings transformation and empowerment, and Mars and Jupiter coming together, like I said, they're two fire planets, and they literally ignite something that is so high vibrational and confidence-inducing and creates bountiful results and fortunate outcomes. So take advantage of that because with the number 13 as well as the degree number, you really can transform areas of your life regarding energy and financial flow, expansion and joy, and you can experience great results in all areas of your life, business, relationships, health, spirituality, inner peace, the environment that you create. So this is a real gift during this incredible moment here where the Aquarius full moon with two oppositions also has this incredible trine with Jupiter and Mars. And then there's one more transit that we need to look at, and that's Venus is quincunx to Neptune. Quincunx is 150 degrees. It's also called inconjunct in astrology. And this is happening while Venus is in retrograde. Now, when Venus and Neptune get together in general, it governs governs beauty, the mystical, pleasure, and music. Love, both planets are connected to love. Venus to intimacy and romance and love between humans and Neptune is unconditional love. And we are all one and the collective is, is together. So love takes on a new meaning. And while Venus is retrograde, we really do learn and look at what love means to us and we we turn our idealism into a sense of loving in a spiritual way so we're searching for something that is beyond what we understand love to be it is not able to be put into words it's that exquisite so this is a very important time because you can see potential in a new way. You can see potential for friendship, for connection, for non-judgment, and not to look at what people identify with, but look at their hearts. Yeah. It's also a good time to oversee your finances when Venus and Neptune come together. And this is a Venus retrograde. So you're reevaluating love and financial flow to begin with at this time. Now, of course, Aquarius, where this full moon takes place, 
is the sign of freedom. It's the sign of breakthroughs. It's the sign of discoveries and exploring uncharted territories, such as astrology and numerology, the divination arts that I feel literally are sister divination arts and should be looked at together as one. And if you're interested in knowing more about your astro-numerology chart, I do have a wonderful free webinar for you at starcodeclass.com. And what we do is we take your birthday and your birth certificate name and we create your divine blueprint. And you will have the description of your destiny and life purpose number written in those codes, as well as looking at the degree numbers in your astrology birth chart. There is a free PDF that will help you guide you through the free masterclass. It's really an amazing way to get to know your own soul code and understand others and be more non-judgmental and loving and caring towards others because you understand them at soul level. So you can watch that free masterclass at starcodeclass.com. I will see you next week. Have a beautiful, beautiful week and wonderful Aquarius full moon. Lots of love. Up now, you're going in and out. And I'm getting getting an echo. You're going in and out, though. All right. All right. Say something again. The book I would like to tell you about. Oh, dear. Not so good, huh? Okay, Rama, Rama muted our end up. You sounded better, but we're going to mute out, so go, go ahead. Okay. Uh, the, last, the last book that I told you about was called The Soul and Its Mechanism. And that was written by Alice Bailey herself. The next one I picked up and read, which I believe is the last one by date that they published from uh, the Master DK is called Telepathy and the Etheric Vehicle, 1950. I believe that was the, that was the last, the last one here. So, uh, section one, teaching on telepathy. And it's got a very interesting table of contents for folks like us. Uh, telepathic work, the three major factors, three types of telepathy, 
plus two other groups of telepathic possibilities, the three types of energy involved, group telepathic work, the science of impression, its solar and planetary function, then uh, chapter 8 here, the supreme science of contact. And it's three interdependent modes of expression. Its goal in the evolutionary life process. Expanding areas of conscious interaction. The results of contact and receptivity. Relations of the human to the hierarchical center. Sources of impression for the disciple and his contribution to the divine plan. So that's, that's, uh, let's see, then what, oh, then we got uh, higher aspects of relationship within the universal mind, interplanetary and extraplanetary relationships. Humanity's key role. So that first part is like 139 pages worth. And then section two is teaching on the etheric vehicle, the nature of the etheric body, the basis of non-separateness, the functions of the four ethers, which is where telepathy takes place. Planetary and human centers exist in etheric substance. The changing pattern of the planetary etheric body. Then he gets into the centers and the personality. Relationship between the higher and lower centers. The nature of space. The planetary life is a center in the solar system. And the index starts on page 199. So uh, now that I've reported that to you guys, I can put it in long-term storage with the others. So uh, that's, that's my contribution, and I've got a couple more for you that I'll share with you at another time. Thank you, Richard. I, am, I really am glad you. you got to get through all a, storm. Well, I hope you heard, could hear me all right, but that that is one of the most fascinating books, and when you when you put it together with the, with the other instruction on, on the human body, you know, the soul and the etheric body, you put that together with telepathy in the etheric body, then you've got a pretty good general explanation and instruction on how our human bodies work here on the planet mm -hmm. inside the etheric body of the planet. God bless Alice Bailey for showing up on the planet. I guess. <laughs> well, we all showed up. What we yeah, do with we all, we all showed up, and uh, 
we got we got a whole boatload of, of work to do. We sure do. Uh, and we yeah we 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 got to come together right now. Yeah, the song right. says, "Namaste." Namaste, Richard. Until we meet again, aloha. Aloha. All right. Well, let's have the phone number, Rama. Um, seven two zero seven one six seven three zero one, and the pin code is three five three eight six three pound. And one more time. Um, seven two zero seven one six seven three zero one. And the pin code is three five three eight six three pound. All right, everybody, let's have a little powwow here on the conference call, and then we'll come right back to the best radio in the universe. Top of the next hour, BBS Radio. So I'll see you on the conference, everyone. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Namaste. See you there. Thank you, Rama. Those are such beautiful songs. All right. Well, we are going to complete with our sister uh, Michaela here and Ethan Fox. And the spiral of time. And the spiral of time. And how many? What? How many minutes are we at? Uh, hour and thirty-seven minutes. Okay, so we've got about. 35 more minutes, right? Yeah. All right, here we go. Let's do it, everybody. Behind a legacy for future generations of something that is necessary to move the earth into a higher dimension. All right, let me encapsulate a few ideas to make sure I understand the bigger picture of everything we just discussed. So if, if I as a soul want to maintain a low level of density or even reduce the amount of density that I have, regardless of what dimension I'm operating from currently, I could do that by diverting my attention away from things that cause me fear or negative emotions, whether those are in my personal life or the world. But by doing so, I would be neglecting my purpose for being here as a soul in the first place. So while less fear due to my attention to uh, not focusing on, you know, for example, we have this philosophy in the spiritual space that we should always focus on the positive. And, and so if I'm understanding correctly, by focusing on the positive, if we truly could do that, then we would reduce the density that we're, that we're carrying in our experience. But if we were to focus on the positive all the time and ignore everything that's going on in the world, uh, pushing it away in a manner of speaking, not, not simply because we're living in a society where maybe we're not impacted by those things, but if we are impacted by things that are fearful and we simply ignore them to the best of our ability, we would be neglecting our purpose for being here as a soul to experience those things because they are happening in our reality at this time. Are you mad? Because I am. 
I'm mad about inflation. I'm mad about how the government has spent our money. I'm mad about decisions being made around the border. I'm mad about people putting politics in front of human beings' real needs. We're living in crazy times. Well, we think it is important to create a life that feels good and you are fulfilled and joyful as a soul. If you are taught to not look at what is happening um, in terms of trauma or fear, by its very nature, that is a restrictive energy. You are restricting from your experience something that could only be here that is necessary to direct you in the way of light. And that in and of itself will create more density. So if a soul is resisting looking at what is happening to the world's detriment, it is somehow suppressing its ability to feel at the highest level. And in so doing, processing stuck energies and emotions, even from the past, becomes that much more difficult. And we think this is somewhat entwined in the intention of even teaching this model to begin with. While some are very well-intentioned in wanting to raise up the vibration of all that is positive by not looking at the negative, we think it's better to um, create a more resilient and strong structure that allows you to be the calm in the midst of the storm because so many of you incarnated here at this time as light workers and mentors and leaders of new communities. And it is not an easy time on planet Earth to be doing those things, nor was it for many ascended masters who incarnated on Earth during similar turbulent times. If they had been asked to not look at the negative, how would they have known where their mastery was most applicable? And and we believe the same goes for you. So so it is a constant balance, however, we believe, to be able to see what's happening on the earth to humanity's detriment while also creating a life that serves you. But the two have to meet somewhere, and that's what's most important. Uh, we talk about um, creating from nothingness. Uh, no one here is creating from nothingness. But what we see in many spiritual teachings is there is a preclusion to focusing into the future. What is it I desire that I only want to focus in on with zero point precision to allow manifest? I am going to block out what's happening in my reality and only focus here. And there's no bridge to create from what was before into the future when you do that. So sometimes those who don't manifest their desires believe that they are not as advanced uh, in these practices when in fact they've never quite made the connection to where the, the truth of their soul and the most important vibrational story rests in order to create the future that they actually desire. Meaning every problem that we've ever encountered in our life is, is born of the solution. So it's moving us to create a life that we never would have if the problem itself had not existed. And, and this is the inherent issue with attempting to jump out of the problems is 
you may create a life that feels blissful and, and happy, but you are not forging a connection and unity consciousness uh, to others as well, which we think is the foundation of so many soul plans at this period in time. Uh, you're here not to consider yourself only, but to co-create with many others a new earth. So if you are all individually doing this, which we know is very good, it certainly impacts the earth. So so we don't want to diminish the, the worth, for example, of, of setting out to create a life that brings you joy and makes you happy because that in and of itself is service. But if that is done in exclusion of what is going wrong in your life or on the planet, that's where we see some of the um, issue going on. And and perhaps even um, an accum- accumulation of density that is very um, mysterious and not detectable uh, by most humans, uh, yet comes into your reality anyway. All right. Then to go back to what you said much earlier about attention to things is what creates density. You're not referring to attention to world events that may cause fear, but you're referring to the act of getting lost in the fear, if I'm understanding correctly. Well, there is a prominence of um, fearful events and stories um, uh, and uh, media that humanity is chronically focused their attention on. And in fact, we see you being drawn in that direction. So from the moment that you wake up and and put on the morning news till the very second you close your eyes at night, uh, you are um, influenced by a variety of things that are leading you down a fearful path. And many of those are very unnatural, some seated and untrue is what we're saying. So so false fear is uh, a real dilemma, uh, we believe, in this timeline. And that's why we say it's so important to focus your attention equally, um, both on perhaps things that you need to understand that are happening on the planet in detriment of the human condition, while also focusing your attention on what you think is important to, to, to change that, both in your life and in the lives of others. Um, it's, it's a, again, a balance that we think is very hard to achieve in this timeline, but, but a worthy cause to place your effort on. It is not a tension only that creates. We, we cannot stress this enough. And, and we know that in the third dimension, spiritual concepts were put into very linear and simplistic definitions so that humans could understand the basics of how to work with energy. But you've graduated beyond that third dimension enough now to understand that attention, it is very important. It's the prelude, we might say, to your your vibration and how your vibration culminates in manifestations. But you would not have arrived here without some semblance of a soul's plan in action, meaning you're here creating um with the foundation of something that you saw as an angelic being long ago that you put into place through multiple contracts and and meetings and various 
vibrational influences that were going to change you and make you into the person that you've always wanted to become. As a creator, you're negotiating with that plan, meaning your goal is to raise it up into the highest vibration possible. You're trying to reach as high as you possibly can into um, the the upper dimensions, uh, into your metaphysical prowess, uh, into working with all of your energy and using the full range of consciousness that you've been given to co-create with all that you decided long before you arrived. And, and let's put this into context because we could say that what's happening on planet Earth today is, is something that you would have anticipated, even though for many of you, it's been quite a, a surprise. You wouldn't have wanted to suffer, but you would have saw it perhaps as, as one of the greatest opportunities to come to a planet and work with a pattern that needed to be broken. So you said, I will come here with all of the gifts and abilities from other lifetimes, all of the wisdom that I have access to from the cosmos. And I will put it into a unique soul being that will interface with many others and create a life that by its very existence is different than what the generation before me would have chosen. That's ultimately the purpose for why you are all here. And it is not just vibration that is important either. We must consider where vibration comes from. Attention certainly is one aspect of that, but how we respond to what we see, how we feel about what we perceive. These are the things that not only linger, but also have been very neglected purposefully, uh, purposely uh, within humans. You have been taught not to feel or you have lost the connection between what you experience in the moment and how you feel about it. Many of you question even why you feel a certain way as if it is right or wrong. When that feeling is so important, uh, even if it's fear, even if it's anger, even if it's something that's been deemed a lower vibration, because in that feeling is a message. It's calling you to some action. And that action is the ultimate form of creation. It stems from an intuitive part of you that senses the world around it, that's opened itself up to a, a grander perspective and now is able to work with everything it perceives to put something new into the world. And and that we think is another important um, add to this conversation is evolution stems from new creation and new creation stems from what was before. And this is ultimately where those in the fifth dimension we think are most benefiting the planet is they have a willingness to stretch the bounds of um, what they are creating to not have to be accepted or fit into the norm of what society expects. Um, that takes a very strong-willed soul, one that has practiced in not only some semblance of, of breath work, but also uh, in knowing itself to the highest degree. Because if we go back to ancient civilizations, um, knowing thyself has always been the most important teaching uh, of those of the time. 
when we know the self through the experiences that we inwardly have, we outwardly become a manifestation of the highest consciousness. So ideally, if we find ourselves in a storm, let's say, whether it be personal or world storm, the ideal way to be is not to turn away and ignore the storm, but rather walk through the storm and grow through the experience and turn it into something positive, even though we experience fear in the doing of it. Well, to be fully present with it, we will add as well. Um, many would not want to be fully present with fear. They would wish to push it away or to run from it. But the second you become present with any emotion, you are able to integrate it and use it as a benefit in your creative activity. And this has been um, a teaching that has not fully taken hold, we believe, on planet Earth at a time when it could be so beneficial. Uh, the more present that you are with the emotion that you have, regardless of what the emotion is, uh, the better off you will be because that emotion will not define you. Um, it could not linger long enough to create any amount of density, but it is feeding you valuable information. And a soul that is aware will use that information consciously and to the benefit of its planet. And is being present with the emotion something that becomes available when you're in operating from the fifth dimension? Because as you said earlier, you mentioned those in the third dimension um, get stuck in the fear and repeat the same patterns because at the third dimension, they're not able to move beyond it. Am I understanding correctly? Well, the advantage that we see many having in in the fifth dimension, uh, for example, is that the the consciousness that you attain allows you to participate in physical life as a material being while also accessing a metaphysical part of you that is observing how the interaction takes place. So so it is truly the crux of becoming multidimensional when we're able to participate in reality, but also have the capacity to observe how we are participating and how others are participating with us without allowing it to somehow complicate our vibration. And, and that's, the true difference, we believe, is that in the third dimension, the, the consciousness, uh, again, which is not wrong, it, it, it's, it's focused more in a lower vibrational and dense and linear reality where a soul is within itself, but not accessing much beyond. Uh, in the fifth dimension, that access of the soul within itself and beyond the self become a, a simultaneous type of activity. Uh, and this is where immediate knowings can actually come in and, and souls become very clairsentient. In other words, uh, they may immediately realize that their, um, their, their reaction to something is coming from the past, uh, coming from a, um, an Akashic pattern that, that they have lived before or something that has been in their family lineage, for example. All of these things are so important because they allow us all to make a new decision. So let's say there are two individuals, one third dimensional, one's, one's operating the fifth dimension, 
and they're both experiencing, physically experiencing a traumatic event. Let's say, you know, weather event or something like that. And the person in the third dimension is only able to be consumed by that fear emotion that they're experiencing or whatever emotion it is. They are that emotion. They all they can do is to be within that physical body and to they cannot see that the emotion is separate from them. Whereas the person in the fifth dimension can experience the exact same thing the third dimensional person is experiencing, but they are also able to observe themselves experiencing that thing that the third dimensional person is experiencing. Meaning you may still have the fear of the event that's taking place, but you're also able to see yourself as this human being who's experiencing this third dimensional event that's causing fear within that body but the body is also not you simultaneously. Am I correct in this understanding? We, we agree with what you're saying. And you must also keep in mind that when events happen um, in a certain geographic region, for example, and, and a group of souls experience them together, uh, they are somehow magnetized to that event because there is um, a commonality between their divine plan and something that they are meant to do or receive uh, through this experience. But those that are in different dimensions uh, in the same event are always going to perceive them completely different, even if the outcome is the same, meaning at the material ground level, um, we can calculate um, very easily uh, the events that have taken place. A more conscious soul will put it in the context of spiritual purpose. How am I to respond that is somehow helpful to others or helpful to the world as opposed to looking at it in detriment to themselves? It's somewhat like having the ability to step out of ego. And, and it does not mean that a highly conscious soul does not experience the fear of the storm in the moment. But the fear of the storm is not the only experience that it's having. So so this is the, is the advantage of multidimensionality is within one experience, we're having many simultaneously, and we're able to either choose uh, which one we prefer or to use them all somehow to our benefit or especially to the benefit of those around us. So the ideal way to experience uh, human experience in the fifth dimension as a fifth dimensional being, for example, um, is to observe whatever is in front of you, which may be what's happening in the world stage as well. Experience those emotions, whether they be positive or negative, as fully as possible. But at the same time, be an observer of your experience. And in so doing that it that way, we also minimize the amount of density we are carrying in our energy field in the fifth dimension. Is that correct? But and the reason that that density is minimized is it's not just the observation, but but how the observation allows us to consciously attune and respond. So so every moment is built from the last. And what um, heightened observation or, or fifth dimensional consciousness allows us to do is, 
is feel the emotion while also consciously responding to it and even expressing it, which which we see um, uh, is is a very difficult past that that humans are dealing with is it's been so hard to constructively express emotion. It, it's been suppressed for the most part. But but when you're not observing yourself in an experience and you're feeling something so intense as anger or fear, um, you may be apt to share that with another. So it's not just the density individually that we believe becomes impacted, but often Humans are exchanging and sharing density and and accumulating it in others based upon their emotional immaturity or or we'll say inability to consciously process what they are feeling and experiencing. All right. I'd like to bring our conversation back around to how we began. Uh, and that's the big topic. We're going to continue this conversation in future shows. But but we started this conversation with the Anunnaki and the Atlanteans. You mentioned that both were operating in the ninth dimension and both coexisted on Earth at the same time. So if both coexisted on Earth at the same time in the ninth dimension, how is it that they had no interaction and were not aware of each other? Because if I understand correctly, in the third or fourth or fifth dimension even, if we coexist with someone else in the third or fifth dimension, we interact with them, even though they may not play a similar role in our lives. Remember, just because a timeline has the same dimension does not necessarily mean that it's made up of the same density imprint and vibration. And we brought to your attention the intention uh, of material or technology or of the beings who are there on planet Earth. Just because you have an expanded consciousness does not mean that you are using it for the benefit of yourself or many others. Access to information can be used in many different forms. So just like your vibration will will call a soul who may be in likeness to you in, in many different respects, uh, those that are not of your likeness will not be drawn. And timelines of the same dimension uh, do not equal each other necessarily in terms of their contents and the beings who are playing out the stories uh, in those dimensions. So would that be sort of like if I'm in this environment here and this environment that I'm sitting in right now were ninth dimensional and my neighbor could also be in a ninth dimensional environment, which is totally separate from mine. So we're both having a ninth dimensional experience in the same planet earth, but they don't intersect. That's correct. Okay. So the Anunnaki and the Atlanteans coexisted in the ninth dimension on earth at the same time, but they were essentially in two different places uh, or realities, in a manner of speaking, that didn't interact with each other. We agree. Okay. I understand. Now, what about density? Were they both in the same, similar density as well? Not at all. Uh, now, we're not speaking of material density so much because uh, even though in the ninth dimension, the density would have been much lighter and, and different than it is today, uh, remember what we're speaking of regarding intention and the purpose of, of 
working with dense energies like earth and elements and material. Uh, we could say the Anunnaki who came very interested in the precious elements of gold on planet earth were not holding the highest intention, respect or, or benevolence uh, for the earth or, or the beings upon it. Yet in Atlantis, we see a very high reverence for earthly elements working with precious crystals, for example, especially harnessing the power of water, not to its detriment, but to the benefit of the earth and all involved. So, so this is the stark difference that we are speaking of. So the stark difference being that the Atlanteans operating from a lower density were considering the impact of their actions on everyone else as well as the entire planet where the Anunnaki were operating at a higher density uh, and although both in the ninth dimension um, and they were taking certain actions, let's say gathering gold um, in very selfish uh, perspective without considering the impact to everyone else and everything else? Uh, correct. And uh, in, in uh, a simple way of looking at this is that the Atlantean civilization was operating in a love-based frequency and, and unity consciousness, uh, where perhaps the other timeline you are referring to was not. Now, with Enki and Enlil being two aspects of the same consciousness that split into two, was were they both operating in the same density or having access to the same dimension or was one more benevolent and one more malevolent? Well, certainly there was a difference in the uh, dimension and density that they were working in, but it does not necessarily mean that they were not aware uh, of each other because they were entangled in a very similar genetic code, even though uh, their intention and uh, influence uh, was more, um, um, or we'll say was uh, opposite uh, of each other. Was Anki operating at a higher dimensional perspective than Enlil or not? Uh, we would say a higher dimensional perspective in terms of the ability to work with energy in a benevolent form, uh, meaning able to access uh, universal energy and manifest things uh, instantaneously for the betterment of those that he was serving. So would we, would it be fair to say that his intentions, Enki's intentions were positive for humanity and the planet and the Anunnaki race? We agree. Yes, we agree with that statement. And Enlil was not positive. Correct. And he was aware, uh, so that both of them were self-aware enough to know that their intentions were either positive or negative. Well, self-awareness, it is um, um, somewhat um, hard to determine uh, outside of the self because we don't know exactly what was going on in moment to moment uh, within the minds and hearts of these beings. At the same time, all we must look at is their history <laughs> and their actions. Uh, those who are operating in a, in a malevolent fashion, we question, are they fully self-aware for 
uh, if a soul is um, an aspect or a manifestation of God consciousness and, and here to um, create something uh, of that caliber, uh, they could not fully be self-aware if they are harming the earth. Okay. Well, we're going to pick this up next time and continue and um, carry on further from where we left off today. So thank you, Michaela. And thank you to all the guides mm-hmm. for being with us today. And thank you all for joining us for another show. And we'll be back next week with another Wake and Empowered podcast. And you can also watch us on uh, various other platforms such as Spotify and iTunes and Google, for example. Uh, and we'll soon be bringing back our live streams as well uh, with Michaela and with me and Barb. So look for that in the next couple of months or few months, and we'll add that into the lineup that we have going on currently. So thank you, and we'll see you next time. Thank you, Michaela. Thank you, Ethan. And we're going to just move right along here. This is called True Surrender and shamanic healing embark on a profound spiritual journey with author and teacher Allison Charles as she shares her personal story of transformation and performs a shamanic channeling to reveal George Nury's animal spirit from her experience as a division one coach and her media career to the dissolution of a toxic relationship. Charles shares footage of her on the path of surrendering to the divine, including undergoing leech treatment therapy in Bali. Mm -hmm. Learn how simple spiritual practices can create profound change empowering you to become your best and most liberated self. Join Charles and Nuri for an inspiring conversation that will ignite the spark of transformation within you. This is 48 Minutes, and let's get started, Ron. Come Welcome to Beyond Belief. Allison Charles Story is with us, a shaman, best-selling author of the Animal Power Book and Deck, and she leads global talks, courses, events, and hosts the internationally acclaimed Ceremony Circle podcast, which will tell you how you can hear it. Allison, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, George. It's an honor to sit and share space with you. How did all this happen to you? That is the trillion dollar question. Do we have enough time to no, explain all? No, we would need to have a whole series uh, to cover it, but I will do my best to whittle right. it down because yes. Give us the cliff notes. The version. cliff note version is I had a background that was not who I am in this moment sitting with you today. My background was intense elite athletics. My father was my coach He put me in my first running road race before I was even three years old. Really? Yes. And then that set the course for my first really entrenched identity, being known as 
the best and this athlete and this runner girl. And I was an athlete for the University of Alabama. I actually was a division one college coach for some time. And it was when my physical body started to break down that I started to have some glimmers of the truer me inside of me. But then I got pulled into radio, actually. I was a hip hop morning show host for many years. And then that took me to New York City where I left. You're that Allison Charles. I'm that girl. Yes. I love you. (laughs) And then I transitioned into the world of television. I had so much fun. I was a daytime television talk show host. What markets were you in? Oh, well, it was a a national show. I was called The Juice, and it was a wellness talk show, and we had celebs and chefs and all sorts of people on. And then this evolution? The evolution happened. Uh, My story is one of those snap of the finger and your life changes uh, moments. And it did. It did. I was living in Brooklyn. I had pivoted out of a very suffering-filled, long-term romantic relationship. I just couldn't seem to pluck myself out of some cycles of insanity that were running for more than 16 years. That happens. It has, has it ever happened to you? I wondered if you could relate to that. I wasn't sure. Not quite like you. Okay. Well, I, I got out of the relationship, called off the engagement. I moved to Brooklyn, uh, New York on my own. And then as the story sometimes goes, about six months later, we were thinking of venturing out as a couple yet again, but my spiritual guides said otherwise. Don't do it. Don't do it. They blew the whistle. And on this particular day, I went to tell him we could head out the door in a few minutes, but he was asleep. And as I walked back through my bedroom, I had my clear audience gift turned on and I heard spirit speak to me and say, stop and turn around. And I'll whittle the story down. That voice guided me to seeing the truth of that relationship. It blasted my egoic shell, lifted the veil of illusion, and uh, showed me who I really am. Has that voice stayed with you? Louder and clearer and more and more present. I could actually get really emotional thinking about the support that is ever present for me. I'm very grateful. Allison, you have a phrase called winning but lost. (laughs) What does that mean? I was so grateful when that uh, when that message downloaded in because I thought, oh, this perfectly encapsulates my pre-awakening life. You know, like I said, all of these accolades, all of these awards. And in that past relationship on the outside, a lot of people thought it was an amazing relationship. But there was, you know, abuse and, and all sorts of things going on. Uh, behind the scenes. And so winning but lost means you have all of this external validation and all of this external success, but on the inside, you're lost. You're not connected to your soul and you're not connected to your inner guidance. This voice that came to you, did you summon it up? What happened? I think on a deep soul level, I did summon it. I think I was calling out in an unconscious way for support to get out of those cycles of insanity. But no, I I really liken it to a true divine intervention where the angelic realms and different spiritual guides all came in. I felt their presence in the moment, but I understood it more clearly in hindsight that it required my guides to step in and to really change the course of my life. And they stepped in in a big way, didn't they? Huge way. I, I flew to Indiana, where I'm from, after I had this divine intervention, and I stayed at my grandmother's house. And in that back bedroom, over the course of a month or so, I had additional awakenings, and they were reviewing, taking me through a review of my life, but showing me 
instances without the denial that I had so staunchly been in. They were showing me those instances in truth and illumination. And that was the moment where I decided I need to surrender. I need to get out of my own way. And I'm ready to receive guidance and heed guidance. And I spoke a surrender statement and that's what I did. How did they approach you? In a dream state or? No, no. It was through the Claire audience. And then when I was in Indiana staying with my grandmother, that's when my clairvoyant and my, my visual connection came in. Now, you know, I think my seer gift is probably my strongest. I'm able to see so much about life, about people. And it's like I said, it's my greatest gift, but it's one that has come with a lot of challenge and a lot of responsibility to see so much in people. Allison, what made you so open to accepting this? Ah, What made me so open was the fact that I knew I could no longer live the way that I had been living. It caused so much pain. My body was trying to get my attention. I had autoimmune disorders, panic oh, disorders. Geez. Everything was going wrong. With Everything you. You were shutting was down. clamoring to get my attention. But I was in a codependent system in that relationship. And so I would try to take psychic courses, but my ex wasn't a fan of that. So I would shut that down. And so it really took a lot of help to get me on the path that I'm, I'm on today. Sounds like it was very toxic for you. It was. And that's, that is what has kept me so steadfast in living in true devotion to the divine. I know what denial feels like and I know what illusion feels like and I knew I could never go back. And so my prayer when I spoke that surrender statement is show me the way and I have heeded the calls and I have committed to living in devotion to truth and to the divine. So you've become a shaman. I have. And you know, you've done thousands and thousands of interviews with so many spiritual teachers, I'm sure many shamans. And I was born a shaman. It's just at a young age, I felt I needed to kind of shut down and suppress my gifts. So it took that divine intervention to wake me back up. But the point I always like to clarify is after my surrender moment, I didn't set out on a quest to become a shaman. I set out on a quest to heal myself. And it was through that devotion and listening to you need to go to this healer you need to have a soul retrieval session with your aunt who's a shaman in staying the course on that journey that is what allowed the true calling inside of me of being a shaman that was always there it allowed it to start to open up and inform and communicate Mm -hmm. with me again and when you say you surrendered who did you surrender to beautiful question and thank you so much for asking that i surrendered to great spirit great mother earth and my own soul. And that vertical line is the line that I hold in the most pristine and pure way that I possibly can to this day. And that's actually where the name rock star shaman comes from. Those main connection points. How do you help other people at this point? Ah, the main way is through my embodiment and it's through me knowing that integrity is the most important thing. It's through my dedication to facing all aspects of myself and really being a spiritual teacher and leader who does my very best to walk the talk. Allison, people are going through a very strange time right now. I can feel it. Mm -hmm. I can see it. They're uptight. They're not as happy as they used to be. And I'm not talking about everybody, but generally. Do you feel that too? 
Absolutely. The, the old ways of living, the old paradigm systems, they can last no more. They will not work anymore. And it's this energetic system that might feel scary or challenging, but it's really just trying to usher people into these ways that we're talking about, ways of surrendering to these unseen realms and the spiritual support that's always there, these ways of going inward and, and connecting with our soul. For some reason over the last, you know, hundreds or thousands of years, especially over here in the U.S., the vast majority of people are so disconnected from the truth of who they am. They're so disconnected from spirit. And if you're disconnected from those places, you're missing out on the vast majority of all the support and all the love that is here for us at all times. Do they even know who they are? No. And that's where the suffering that's the and that's where problem. the pain comes from. And I have been on the shamanic path long enough to know that the way that I walk it, there's validity to it and there's there's power to it because I can honestly say I am with the system of true fulfillment, true peace and true happiness. And it's because I face myself and go within when I had all those awards, I was not truly happy. And so thankfully, we have shows like this that show people rituals and practices and ways where they can go within and start to get to know the totality of themselves, because that's the key. And let's say there are some people watching this program right now. And they want to change themselves. They mm -hmm. want to pick themselves up like you did. How do they start? You know, I really recommend a surrender statement. And I have found that it's the simplest of spiritual practices that really can guide people most powerfully. And it doesn't have to be a long surrender statement. Even if you're not someone who is a daily meditator, even if you're someone that doesn't already have an altar space in your home, it's just simply taking an honoring 30 seconds to close your eyes, to maybe put your hand on your heart and your lower belly, to take a breath and to speak to whoever it is you speak to, whether it's the universe, Gaia, uh, you know, who the angelic realms and finally speak your willingness to get out of your own way. And the key is, though, to heed the messages that come in, because I see a lot of people surrender and speak a statement but then the guidance will come in and they'll block it out they don't follow through you have to be take responsibility in that way i have an altar of my producer tom in my house i have a picture <laughs> with flower no, i'm kidding he's your main guide he's, i'm kidding i'm <laughs> kidding but what did you mean by an altar in your house you know i at this point i feel so blessed to have a very ornate altar in the home that i share with my husband luke and austin texas we have a ceremony loft where the entire second floor of our home is it's essentially devoted to that. It is. It's a living, breathing altar, and there's incredibly powerful healings that have so taken like a place church? there. I I feel that it is. Yeah, a lot of people say when they come in, it feels of the frequency of like temples and uh, monasteries that they've that they've been in. But I want to make clear, it doesn't have to be that. It can literally be. It doesn't a, have to be that elaborate. No, right? it can be a dedicated space. That's what it is it's it's a place of dedication where you will go at least once a day to connect to the truth of who you are and the unseen realms and it can literally be a rock that you found on a walk and maybe a feather it can be simple it's just a dedicated space what are the unseen realms ah the infinite expanse of of that holds the the wisdoms and and guidances of of all that is it's everything that we don't 
tangibly physically see right here, but through my seer gift being my main gift, I'm able to instantaneously connect into these unseen realms. And when you learn how to do so with honor, uh, with reverence, with responsibility, the keys and codes and healing transmissions and messages that can help guide your life. It's beyond what we can articulate in human language, the support that lives there. Is there a danger? Is there something that you should be aware of before you dive into it? Yeah, there are a lot of things that I think it's wise for people to take into account because it holds infinite uh, transmissions and energetics and infinite types of beings. Just like there's duality here, there's, there's darker or lighter energetics on the other side. So I always do a very simple prayer of protection. I always call in the highest and most pristine divine blessings and and protection to be with me. So I know I'm always held in that space before I connect in. But the other important thing is once your gifts start to come online and, and once you start to live in that devotion to infinitely evolve and allow your gifts to open more and more, that comes with great responsibility in that respect as well. Just because you can see so much about someone that does not equate to you should instantly tell that person what you're seeing. I usually wait. I'm never invasive with my gifts. I usually wait for an invitation and there's a lot to keep an eye on. Take me on a somatic journey. Well, I have one rattle here that I just wanted to to clear the space of of the chair. All right, you're going to have to show us how you use it. Yeah, well, um, I typically use drums, but I also use rattles, and I also can guide people without an instrument as well. I think a lot of it has to do with the embodiment energetics that I carry and this really clean, clear pristine line to these most divine places. And I have journeyed thousands of people. I have in the middle of Manhattan and Bryant Park, I've taken more than 10,000 people on a shamanic journey. I've done live. Yeah. Yes. I, I have really been able to take consciousness teachings and shamanic teachings into places where it's been lacking and where it's needed most and help people in these more mainstream communities remember who they really are and remember these ways that our humanity sacred practices. What would be some of the benefits, Allison, of pulling out this information? Ah, there's countless. Uh, A recent healing session that I did, we worked for about three hours cutting any energetic cords to pass. That's intense. It it is, but it was so beautiful. You know, just releasing and clearing the way of any past relationships that oftentimes we aren't even aware. You you break up with someone and you think that it's over, but energetically there can still be these like energetic connection lines and cords that are really tethering you back. Or a death of a friend. Yes, yes, all of that. And so we spent about three hours clearing that. Um, Shadow work is another huge one. One, I facilitated or co-facilitated a beautiful women's only gathering with about a hundred women. And with my drum, I took them into a shamanic cave and allowed them to feel and face some shadow aspects that they've been previously suppressing and denying. And I mean, there's not much greater liberating work that one can do. So I had a friend, he lives in St. Louis and uh, he's restricted to a wheelchair. Mm. He was born with almost no legs. Oh, wow. That's, he was deformed. Mm-hmm. 
but he got around and everything. I bought him a car when uh, a couple years ago, a little mm. junky thing for him to get around. That's so beautiful. And he had it modified. So, he, you know, he had like pedals for the gas and stuff yeah. like that. And I hadn't heard from him in a year, which is not unusual. But uh, I went on Facebook and found out he died. Oh, bless. Found out he died. Uh, those are tough times for people, mm. aren't they? Yeah, those are, you know, yes, especially when it's, yeah, when it's an experience like that. You know, I haven't really shared this story much, but in your vulnerability and sharing that, it's, I feel called to share, you know, my husband and I, we have such a beautiful relationship and we've been on the pregnancy journey and up until, you know, about a year ago, I I had never been pregnant and didn't know what that experience was like, but we were really calling that in and and we did get pregnant and about uh, nine weeks later, I had a miscarriage. It's okay, you know, thank you, but it ended up being, uh, yeah, I feel the waves of the power of that experience because of who I am at this time in my life and because I'm in such healthy relation with the totality of myself and with the totality of all that is and the full spectrum of human earthly emotions, I was able to navigate that experience and be more connected to miracle energy than ever before. Hear the messages of the spirit of that baby telling me why it happened. And it brought my husband and I together. We were able to give back to our land, the dissolving of that miscarriage, and it ended up being one of the most beautiful experiences of my life. And that is what the shamanic path has afforded me. That is what has taught me. Well, you have done this shamanic path all over the country. All over the world. You brought it all over. Let's take a look. Yeah that flows through me and wants to access you. I'm just here to deliver that to you all tonight. I'm ready. And through the chakras in the palms of your hands, you're going to start to invite in whatever divine energies that want to access you for your highest, greatest earthly good. It was fascinating for me because I started getting a lot of the visions and channeled guidance for what to offer on stage yesterday. And as it was pouring in, there was a channeled song that you'll hear in a second, but it was, hey, ah, hey, hey, ah, ho. Hey, uh, hey, 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 I don't get to see people like this often, and when I do, I'm a happy-go-lucky person. So, to... This is beautiful, too. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> well... Thank you for your energy. Come back and just bring that energy with you so I could just, like, absorb it. Uh, I don't get it often, especially in this beautiful city of New York. This was such a mystical, powerful, magical, action-packed day. I'm electrified from it. I can tell I'm going to be feeling all these energies for days to come. To be able to bring these kinds of medicines and this kind of consciousness work into an event like this, um, it just it means everything to me, and it opens my heart. So thank you for coming along for the journey, for the ride. Wow, I will see you next time. You are having a good time there, too. Thank you for feeling the joy. I mean, this path has been the wildest ride of my life, and I have had to access levels of courage and bravery within me that are so far beyond what I could ever try to explain. But it is also 
brought me the deepest joy and fulfillment. And the thing that I was reflecting and, and watching that clip because um, those yeah, those was that? What, uh, those events were some year some years ago when I was living in New York City. Okay. I, I'm not real good with time, but let's say at least five, six, seven. Are maybe. you still doing th- similar things like I, that? Yeah, I was recently um, keynote speaker at a, a big um, uh, plant medicine and another type of conference called Meet Delic and um, gave a talk about higher power couple with my husband at, a, at another big conference. But what I'm seeing is um, lately I've been called more into community work and down in Austin, there's a huge spiritual community. So I've done a lot of uh, blessing ways for for mothers and and really holding space for friends sure. in the community to, to transform. That's amazing work that you do. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, I appreciate it. And I truly live uh, in a space that's that's not of the mind but it's of divine and it requires me to get out of the way and to trust, you know, to get on a stage like that and to. That takes guts. It really does. And to be honest, I'll tell you a quick funny story with that HBO film festival guiding that journey and for 10,000 people. It wasn't until I got off stage that the man who hired me said, do you know, in the 25 year history of this film festival, you're the first person to ever come on the stage before we air the movie. We've never hired anyone to do that before in the history. And I'm really glad I didn't know that before. Uh, (laughs) You know, it's in hindsight where I think, oh my gosh, where did I get that courage? The courage is because I, I heed what divine tells me and I trust in that. I trust, even though I'm not a, a skilled singer, I'm, I'm a medicine singer. You did well. Well, thanks. You did well. I just trust that what I'm told I need to do, I do. And I know if I'm right with God, goddess, then I'm good. The way that you handled the crowd inspired them. You could tell that they were getting into what you were doing. What was the end result when it was done? Ah, I just, I really feel even what I just did right there, that, that soul relief. It takes me back to that question you asked earlier about this massive shift in consciousness and this, this shadow revelation that's been happening, especially over the last few years. People, even if it's on a deep soul level, or even if it's more on an unconscious level, they know that there's something different meant for them. They know that there's something that they need to lean into. And I'm sure you're seeing it more and more people that might have, you know, scoffed or joked or laughed at having your palm read or doing a numerology report or going on a shamanic journey even two or three years ago. Now they're leaning into that and asking their friends for different trusted guides to go to. So there's a definite major paradigm shift where we're being witnessed to. Allison, we talk a lot on this program about spirit guides. Mm. What, in your opinion, is a spirit guide? Well, there any guide in the unseen unseen realms, I, I only call in and allow in benevolent spirit guides to work with me. Um, but right after I had my divine intervention, Ascended Master Jesus was who presented to me. And he has been my main. You go straight to the top, huh? You know, <laughs> thank, thank you, Jesus. Um, no, you know, no joke really intended, but I, yeah, I could not be happier than, you know, to have Ascended Master Jesus as my main guide. And then the next four guides who came in happened to be power animal guides. 
Now, what's a power animal guide? They are the animal guides in in the spirit realms. Every single animal, every single creature has healing and wisdom attributes for us. And when they start to present, they're presenting for a reason. They have a message for you. They have an alchemical code for you. They have something for you that can positively transform your life. And the black jaguar, the bear. Let's go to some of these pictures that you brought with us. Yeah, these are probably pictures, yes, from my book. Um, So the black jaguar for me was, um, this is my, my core power animal guide. So along our life journey, we all have a core animal who is with us from birth until we transition back to the other realms. And then we also have different supporter power animal guides that come in depending upon where we're at in life. Like and what the we bear? Need. Like the Let's bear. Let's take a look at the bear. Yeah, the bear was a huge one for me. The bear taught me how to truly surrender and be held uh, by the spiritual realms. It would guide me to... Uh, sit in its lap and learn how to lean back and be held by its support. So I'm forever indebted by it. to bear and the deer and the frog were the other two. Oh, frogs are some of my favorite really? creatures. Why is that? I don't know. I Since I was a little boy, I used to raise tadpoles. Wow. And watch their little legs sprout, so, turn them into little frogs, and then drop them off at a nearby creek. Oh, my gosh. It was just a kick. That's so beautiful. I love frogs. Well, the frog really taught me, um, especially as I was trying to get out of those old cycles of the relationship, it carried for me the code and the messaging of uh, leaps of faith. And as you probably know, frogs only ever leap forward. And that was the precise message that I needed right. to get into embodiment with. No more going back, no more looking back, only leaping and moving Never saw forward. a frog leap backwards. Never, never. Ever. No. And what about the deer? The deer is the path of the heart. And I, oh my gosh, another wave of emotion comes over me when I think about the medicine of the deer, because that has been a steadfast guide for more than a decade. And and the deer actually played a huge role in me getting together with my now husband. So the deer showed me to not shut my my heart down despite the betrayal and the huge heartbreak that caused my awakening. It told me to stay steadfast in keeping my heart open. And now I'm in the most incredible relationship, all thanks Good to Good for you. Yeah. And your book, of course, is called Animal Power. Animal Power. Which you did, and that's where the illustrations are, no doubt. Yes, that's that's where all of those animal illustrations came from. I worked on that book ooh, for so many years. That was probably one of the greatest initiations of my life. And the funny story with this is I for about three or four years, was called into different literary agent and publisher meetings when I was living in New York. They they wanted to work with me and wanted oh, to, me to write a book. That's the place. I couldn't get, couldn't get clear on what the book should be. That took three years to get clear. I finally got the right agents, had a meeting. I said, okay, I'll write a book on surrender. I flew off to Bali to write the book. First morning meditation in Bali, hundreds and hundreds of power animal guides came it's in. Coming at you like crazy. And they said... That is not the book. You're to co-create this book with me. Thankfully, my team was on board, and I worked with the animals for many years to birth that into fruition. How did the animals have this kind of clout and power? Well, because they hold so many incredible wisdom attributes. One that also evokes emotion for me is the leech. 
The leech. The leech. And I love to tell this story because it's one of my greatest teachers. It taught me how to shift from fear to love. And I don't know if we have time, but I did send over some really cool video footage of me getting leech therapy done on my I feet. have it. Here okay. we go. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Okay. I Okay. And how long do people keep them on for? Well, anywhere from half an hour to an hour, or as they drop uh, out themselves. Just breathe. Can you feel it? I feel it. Little I'm trying to like, you know, I'm trying to become friends with it. I'm trying to give him good energy. And just... Do you feel it now? I do. I felt him. I felt him attached. That, that's the whole. That's the whole thing. I think it's just knowing that they're going to plump up and get fatter and fatter and filled up with my blood. And not with the blood, with your with your lymphatic liquid. The blood by percentage is about ten fifteen percent. This is a very deep detoxification of liver. So any uh, problems, health problems that are that are associated with the toxic liver will start to clear. One of them could be uh, skin problems. One of them could be asthma, asthma and, and lung problems, uh, or just general. There's many people coming uh, just to cleanse their body. Oh, Mr. Plasinski, one of them's really digging in their teeth. I feel more stinging now in one of these up here. Just a little, but that's that's about it. What's the number one reason people come in for leech therapy? What what health benefit? Uh, migraines, uh, headaches, uh, varicose veins. Um, high cholesterol, um, cysts, like uh, female cysts. And, and with high cholesterol, because I know it's a really common problem, especially for Americans, like mm-hmm. where, where do you put the leeches for that? That's where you put oh, Yes, because cholesterol is created by our own body. And among our own body, liver is the main component of that process. Okay. This is a, 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 a chemical factory, if you will, in a tiny little body. If you cut them open, you have hundreds of different pipes and different rooms and, and storage and this and that. It's a very complicated uh, animal that produces a miracle drug that was, uh, the leeches are over 20 million years on earth and they never fail and they always do the work. I'm not sure I'd go through that. I know very deeply that you could muster the courage to do it. I could muster the courage, but I'm not sure I would do that. Yeah, you know, they were a massive teacher of alchemization because you could see my face in that video. Why were you breathing the way you were? Trying to calm myself, trying to open myself up to receive and also trying to make that pivot from from fear to love. Were you kind of freaking out? I was absolutely, um, I had never seen a leech in real life. And then when I went to this medical clinic with that renowned um, Austrian leech therapist, you know, he pulls out a jar with literally hundreds of leeches. How did he get them out? Did he reach in there? He he reaches in. Is he, is he wearing gloves? Uh, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. But it still, it felt right for me. And the beautiful thing that I learned is the leeches have hundreds of teeth. And you feel it. When, Little tiny ones. Yes, right? tiny teeth. And you feel it when they latch and attach even though they so generously secrete a painkiller, I still very much felt it. The like, leeches secrete a painkiller? They have their own painkiller. Nice they, of them. I know it's very kind. They're very beautiful creatures. 
And then once they are attached, they start to extract the lymph that needs to go and start to detoxify. And then they put that in one chamber and then in a different place, they start to provide to you these healing enzymes. I forget how many, it's more than 100 healing enzymes. How long did he keep those on you? It was a good amount of time. I want to say it was close to an hour and towards the end of the, well, that was more the mid, middle of the video. You saw how they started to inflate almost like a balloon. And what happens is they will get so full that they will just start to roll off because they can't they can't receive anymore and I get you know emotional a lot when I look back at that video I haven't seen that in a while or when I talk about the leeches because I carried forevermore from that experience um, knowing the possibility of how in real time to shift from fear to love and leeches taught me that and I love to have um, different creatures like that in my book whether it's the snake or the spider or the leech because it helps people transcend limiting beliefs and expand outside of the box because some people might think, oh, the, the cougar or the, you know, the shark might have a teaching for me, right. but the spider might not. But every single power animal has beautiful healing wisdom attributes. After the fact, when it was done, did you kind of freak out thinking that you still had leeches on you? No, no. But there was um, a bit of a longer healing process than anticipated the, the, the the puncture or the wound is is actually quite deep, so I had to keep it covered for for quite a few days. Yeah, it was it was a very transformation. Don't you scar up? I actually still do have four tiny scars above my right here? above my liver, and I went back for more. I went back a second time and had leech therapy done on my right knee, so it clearly was a positive experience. Those little guys go right at it, don't they? Yeah, they're so generous and so powerful and beautiful. How long do they live? When you get leech therapy done at a medical center, they're actually sacrificial. And when they are done doing the leech therapy, that's the end of their life cycle. That is it. Yeah. Does an animal eat them? I'm not sure. Or a bird or something? That would be a beautiful ending. I hope that that's how how it happens. Oh, my gosh. Why don't you give me a little power animal reading? Okay. Well, thank you for the invitation. I clearly have it since you just asked. I'm just going to take a moment to... Tune in, get connected with the ever-present and generous love of Great Mother Earth. Get connected to the most powerful place within me, which is my heart. And taking my connection line up to the center point of source consciousness, divine And George, would you like for me to call in the power animal that most has a message for you right now? Or do you have a specific question? Why don't you call in an animal? It's always so beautiful when I do these. Um, And you know what I just remembered? I was woken up at three o'clock in the morning because there were animals already trying to make their way to you. I totally forgot that until this moment. I have been waking up in that witching hour every night for the past few weeks. And last night it happened because the animals were so present for you. 
Um, and then when I tune in like that, there's usually some peripheral animals that show up and you had a whole plethora of them that came in. But then I wait. There's a different feeling when the main messenger animal shows up. And for you, it was actually the flamingo. The flamingo, really? It was the flamingo. And I will tell you the the first message. And then if we have time, I'll dip back in to, to get the deeper messaging around it. But the flamingo was an honoring animal messenger for you. It was showing that it was thanking you for bringing in a community of millions of people. Gosh, I've, it's been a long time since I've done an interview where I've almost cried this often. So that says a lot about you and the space you hold. But the flamingo is thanking you for your longevity and your career of you know, being a way shower and starting the spiritual content so long ago and holding such a safe and powerful space for millions of people, flamingos, especially at one location in Africa, they will call in millions of fellow flamingos and they, they gather all over the place. It's a, it's a very powerful family power animal. And um, it was also honoring you. It showed stability. It was standing on one of its legs. And that would be the message that I would want to dip back in unless there's something coming to you. It was honor, honoring your stability in life. Do you think of yourself or feel yourself as, as having stable energies? Do people, um, friends and family know that about you? Do they go to you for it's, that? It's growing, I think. It's growing. Uh, you know, because I go to certain events and stuff and it seems like, my notoriety mm-hmm. is picking up higher and higher and higher. I've seen it over the years, but the last year or two, I've never seen it this high. Oh, that's beautiful. I was going through TSA to come down to Boulder here for our Gaia tapings, mm-hmm. and the guy pulled me out of line. And I'm going, oh, no, <laughs> there's nothing on me. I mean, what's going on? He goes, I love what you do. Oh. Introduced him, took a picture, and off I went. Yeah. It's amazing. And it's that's happening a lot. Yeah. And especially with the content that you're willing to cover, you know, so much of the media is opposite of what we're sitting here talking about today. And it's this is the most important thing for us to be reconnecting people back to are are these teachings and without people like you um people wouldn't have that that strong of a compass. I'm going to Las Vegas in a couple weeks. And I was thinking about the first hotel in Vegas that started it all. Mm. And it was the Flamingo. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. See, I'm having a moment. And this type of experience that we're having is pretty typical when I do these power animal readings. I just have to give thanks again to the power animal guides and realms because they have worked with me so strongly, clearly, lovingly, and steadfastly for far more than a decade. And I know, I trust that even in a live setting like this, they always show up for me and they bring in such magical moments. Even in strange ways. Yeah. Wow. What would you say your mission is, Allison? Oh, hmm, I want to tune into that. It's multifaceted. My mission is to fully live my soul's calling to the absolute best of my ability. And when I say that, 
integrity and embodiment are paramount, but I also really, really embrace and hold in reverence the human Allison as well. And I think that that is so important because that we need to live in devotion to, to facing all aspects of ourselves. And, And I know I've done a really great job at that. I know that I'm a human and I know that there are flaws and flubs, but what I also know about myself is that I live in very clear conscious awareness and I'm willing to catch myself and I'm also willing to correct myself. And that allows an energetic feeling of um, progress more than perfection. I have a lot of life left in me to live. Like I said, I want to start a family and there's so many other things that I want to experience in life. At the same time, I know that if I were to transition into the other realms in this moment, I have really lived the heck out of life. I have lived such a full, rich, uh, such a full, rich life. And I just hope that I can be a living testament of, of ushering people over into a phrase that I like to teach a lot about. And that phrase is in relation. And that opens you up to the web of all that is and allows you to not feel embarrassed or feel like you need to suppress those shadow aspects of yourself, but rather invite them right in front and start to have a dialogue with them and start to get into true, healthy, full integration with the totality of yourself. And that opens you up to trust within yourself, which opens you up into getting into the allness of of this earth walk. And I can't think of a greater objective than to to feel like you lived as fully as possible and in the greatest degree of integrity and healthy embodiment as possible. I can't think of anything better. So that's what I try my best to do. I'm getting these spirit guide feelings that your first child is going to be a little boy. Aww. If I'm right, let me let me know. I will send you a message for sure. Thank you so much for tuning in. That's what I feel. That's what they're saying. You think of flamingos, I think of kids. We'll take it. That's a that's a good uh, good exchange. Give me one of those shamanic chants as we wrap things Mm. up. It's words. It's typically normally sounds, but it's. It's words of allness, unity, humanity, sacred practices, allness, unity, humanity, sacred ways, allness, Unity, humanity, we are. Feels good for the heart. Why is that? I mean, do you feel energetic when you when I listen to that? Because it holds divine truths. You know, especially in this in this path of shamanism, you know, there are a lot of misconceptions and a lot of confusions around what it is. And at the foundational truth of it, we all all living beings, both in this earth realm and the unseen realms, we all have a birthright to learn how to connect 
and communicate with honor this planet we inhabit and connect and communicate with honor the unseen realms. We, we all have this birthright and, and these are all of humanity's sacred practices. And that song that came through held that. And of course, there are really important nuances that are important to speak to because shamanism is a global practice. And it migrated its way to, you know, every, every continent. As it made its migration, there are, of course, different, uh, lineage, lineage ways, uh, in shamanism. And any time that you feel the call to learn specific, uh, rites and prayers and songs that adhere, or sometimes people take a sacred oath and adhere to that shamanic lineage and, and that oath carries them their, their whole way through. And, and we have to honor that. But I think that some of these misconceptions make people scared to sure. open up to these shamanic ways. And so I just want to express that it's all of our birthrights and it's very simple. The ultimate foundation of shamanism is earth and spirit, rock and star. And yet if you get pulled or called into learning a specific a lineage way, and you learn that, it boils down to two simple things, communication and honor. If there was a prayer or a song that really spoke to you, ask that elder or teacher if you have permission to carry that prayer or song forward and always acknowledge where you learned it with honor. And the last important thing that I want to say as there was a massive shift that started to happen about 10 or 15 years ago. That's where I was ushered into, you know, going around New York City and helping people in the concrete jungle remember who they are. And there are different lineages from around the world, whether it's the Mamos who were told to come down from the Kays in the Sierra Nevadas or the Naba lineage and from the Dogons in the West African tradition. They, they were told just as I was told to start to share more with the Western cultures and mainstream societies, they too were given similar or same messages. And I have to say that out of all the shamanic colleagues and friends that I have from all over the world, we all share and hold the same sentiment that these are humanity's sacred practices and, and they're meant for us all. But of course, they need to be worked with and shared with honor and with proper due diligence and, and with respect and reverence. But that song, I think why you felt it, it's because it, it holds the real truths, the real divine truths. And I want people to feel safe to explore shamanic ways again. How do people get a hold of you, Allison? Ah, the best way, um, Ceremony Circle podcast, they probably would get to know me the best there because it's longer form, longer uh, format media. You can also find me on Instagram at I am Allison Charles or my website, which is AllisonCharles.com. Thanks for being on Beyond Belief. Thank you so much, George. It was a lot of fun. Shamans are wonderful people, and it's really great to meet one upfront and personal. Thanks for watching Beyond Belief. <laughs>
starseed, star families, and master teacher guidance for our next stages of ascension with Dr. John Ryan, the Sacred Planet Podcast, Episode 8, John Ryan, MD, is a professor of medicine and practitioner of energy and consciousness-based mm. medicine. He's the author of Unity Field Healing, Volume 1, oh. Foundations of Energy, Medicine, and Quantum Healing, and he is the founder of Unity Field Healing, UFH. A new quantum process based on conscious activation of the DNA field to support healing and personal evolution. John channels the Syrian Blue White Collective who support UFH, Unity Fields Healing, and Humanity's Ascension through Ascension Transmissions. Explore Dr. John's websites www.unityfieldhealing.com and https colon forward slash forward slash um, Dr. John D-R and then John J-O-H-N Ryan R-Y-A-N all small letters dot org Okay, that's good. That's as far as we can okay. really go. Ready? Okay, let's do it. This is a uh, one hour and 36 seconds. <laughs> Here we go. They described 2023 in a really peculiar way. They said, you're going to feel this whole year and almost until the fall of 2023, like you stepped into a kaleidoscopic tube and you're walking through the tube and everything is shifting and changing and moving around you. And there's this interesting sense of stability you feel centered and grounded in yourself you know you're kind of there holding your own but it's like you're moving forward and everything around you is constantly in transformation and the moment you think you understood something it changes again it's like nothing seems to stay in focus it's just all this moving light welcome to the sacred planet podcast i am your host jocelyn starfeather we are living at the end of a massive 26,000 year cycle. This is a cycle that can be defined not astrologically, but astronomically by the movement of the North Star in the sky. Every 26,000 years, we come back to the original North Star. The times that we are living in now are when one of these 26,000 year cycles is ending and a new one is beginning. And so this is why this time when we are alive right now has been foretold in the ancient prophecies of many indigenous and ancient peoples all around the world from almost every continent. This is why the world feels so chaotic, so uncertain, and so unstable right now because we are truly shifting from one age one massive 26,000 year age into a new one. This is also why we are seeing so many changes in our own lives, so many changes in the world. It's because the systems and structures, the patterns and beliefs that we have been carrying for an extremely long time are collapsing. They are breaking down. 
And this is terrifying and also very exciting because those of us who are alive at this time, we get to choose what we will build next. We get to choose who we want to become in this new era. So it's really important to know during these times that these are actually not only ending times. This is not meant to be an apocalypse. This is actually meant to be the closing of a door to the old ways of being and the opening of a door to the new ways, to the radical new world that we are here to build together. We are here at this time, at this momentous time to choose what will come next. And so let us dream into a world that our children and grandchildren and the next seven generations will be delighted to inherit from us. And let's begin creating it one by one from within ourselves. That is where all change must begin, is from within every individual. And then it is rippled out to the world in miraculous and beautiful ways. Here in the Sacred Planet podcast, we will be talking about spiritual awakening. We will be talking about the massive changes that are happening in our world. And we'll be talking most importantly about how you can support yourself, how you can feel most healed and healthy and whole and inspired and uplifted and ready to build this new world together, ready to Choose who you wish to become next as all of the old falls away and we are left with a blank slate to create anything that we wish, anything that we dream into the future. Welcome to the Sacred Planet podcast. I can't wait to share the incredible speakers and topics that we'll be sharing here on the podcast. And I hope that it will be a tremendous inspiration to you in your own life. I am your host of the podcast. My name is Jocelyn Starfeather. I am the founder of Sacred Planet. Sacred Planet is a global community of people who are awakening to their true power and magic within and co-creating together and uplifting and inspiring one another as we build this radical new world together. I can't wait to share more with you. I'll see you soon in our next podcast episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Sacred Planet podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am delighted to be here today with Dr. John Ryan. Hi, John. Thank you so much for being a part of this and welcome. Hi, Jocelyn. Well, thanks so much. And thanks for including me. I'm really delighted to be here. I always really enjoy our conversations. So this will be fun. (laughs) Yes, me too. We have some really good conversations. Let me introduce you to everyone. Dr. John Ryan, MD, is a professor of medicine and practitioner of energy and consciousness-based medicine. He is the author of Unity Field Healing, Volume 1, Foundations of Energy Medicine and Quantum Healing. And he is the founder of Unity Field Healing, or UFH, a new quantum process based on conscious activation of the DNA field to support healing and personal evolution. John channels the Syrian Blue White Collective who support UFH and humanity's ascension through ascension transmissions. 
And I just want to say, John, I so deeply respect and honor your work. As I mentioned, I know people who you have really helped to catalyze their awakening, change their lives through what you're bringing forward. And I just feel like you've been bringing this paradigm shifting information to the world way ahead of the curve, ahead of when we all knew we needed it. So thank you so much for all that. Oh, thank you so much, Jocelyn. It means the world to hear that from you. (laughs) Thank you. Well, our topic for today, I can't wait to dive into, is star seeds and star families. Um, so I'm wondering if you could begin, um, because this is such a, such a big part of what you're bringing to the world. If you could begin by telling us a little bit about the Syrian Blue White Collective and how they're supporting your mission in the world. Sure. Yeah. So the Syrians, um, going back a little bit in time here. So the Syrians came to me first, Jocelyn, in a meditation. That's how they presented themselves to me. Um, and they came in an unusual way. I was in a meditation. It was actually in a workshop. And I'm sitting there and we're being guided through this meditation. And this big ball of light forms in my my third eye vision. And I'm seeing this light field. And then it was like an array of beings kind of stepped out of the light field into like this. It looked like a choir or an orchestra of all these like light beings that came out of this big ball of light. And they had this beautiful blue tinge. They were mostly like this white silvery starlight, but they had this, it had this beautiful blue tinge to it. And as I'm looking at it, I could hear their name and it was the Syrian blue white collective. And I thought, well, that's very appropriate looking, (laughs) looking at the light. (laughs) And they explained that they're a group of light beings and they work really as a collective. And it's, they presented themselves to me that way so I could register in my consciousness the nature of who they are and what was happening. And in the work I've done over the years, I've had a lot of experiential teachings that come from shamanics type visions or, you know, dream type visions. And so this is kind of in alignment, I guess, with some of those other experiences because As you know, when you have these shamanic kind of qualities to a meditative experience, every detail in what you're seeing has meaning, like the whether there's one or three or 10 or 20 or too many to count, like that detail would be important when the colors, the position, the things that are there, the things you notice that aren't there, like all of it can have meaning in terms of this symbolic content of the vision. And so they presented themselves this way to me because they know that they knew that's how I would interpret it (laughs) because I'm kind of seasoned, I guess, in doing that. And so I realized the message was we work as a collective and we can present ourselves in different faces or as different beings or to work individually with one person at a time. But we really work as a collective. We're kind of a consciousness that understands itself together as one. And so even though we're different faces, we work as a unity. And what was interesting for me was I was well into the healing work that I've been doing over the years and the it's the unity field healing work that I do, which was, again, inspired by kind of a series of visions that began to teach me how to work in the quantum DNA field in energy treatment sessions. And they, as they presented themselves to me, immediately a channeled message kind of came forth. And they said, 
they in consciousness are here at this point in time presenting themselves in a more conscious way or, you know, within human consciousness as a registered experience because of the nature of what's happening on the earth and the transition that humanity is undergoing. And so they explain that we're living in a metamorphosis and the nature of what's truly changing is not simply, a you know, a paradigm of thought or a social paradigm, paradigm of, of simple consciousness. It's a whole energetic paradigm and we're moving into a whole different way of living and being on the planet. And it happens through our, our DNA. The way that humans register this change and experience it is through the field of quantum information that's part of that DNA structure. And it's beginning to resonate in different ways. It's beginning to open new channels of memory and communication. It's beginning to bring healing of very esoteric principles, you know, back into our mindset and our ability to perform and do. And this whole internal transformation is something that's open to humanity at this time. And everybody is undergoing the shift, but there are people whose, I guess, purpose or destiny <laughs> is to be a way shower. They're meant to undergo this transformation in a bit more conscious way and be there in a, a role of service, really, to help other people be able to achieve the same thing. Because it's not something that's for a select few or an elite group of spiritual beings or anything like that. It's open to humanity at large. And anybody who resonates with that understanding and is open has this available to them. And so they were very expressive in the fact that they're here in a role of service. They're here to support humanity through this transition. We can think of them as technical experts in quantum DNA, you know, to satisfy our mind. <laughs> we can conceptualize them that way. And uh, But they explained that they've been part of the unity field healing work. And they came to me at that time because they wanted to introduce a new project. And in order to do the new project, they couldn't just be invisible and hidden in the background working with us. They had to kind of come forward and present themselves in a more um, exposed kind of a way. And so that was the beginning of what today has become known as the Syrian blue-white transmissions. And so every month they conduct a transmission and they give themes of these transmissions. And so every year has kind of a cycle theme, like the 12-month frame will have a theme. They give them to me typically in blocks of three. I call them seasonal dryads, like spring, summer, winter, fall. And the three transmissions will often be connected in some way, but I don't always see the fullness of the theme until the year is finished. It's, they give them to me in, in bite-sized pieces. <laughs> and so um, now last year for the first time, they gave me the whole cycle as a theme, but then continued to add information about each specific transmission. So that was a little bit of a shift in the way they do it. But what they do in these transmissions is they provide an, kind of an inspired teaching. And through the teaching, there's a light language transmission that's given at the end of the teaching. And it's to really anchor or ground not just the intellectual principles, but the energetic transformation that's really embedded in the principles <laughs> into the, the audience or the people who are participating. And then we do a meditation. 
And so the meditations are a guided journey. And the, they take form in a process where I'm seeing things in my third eye. And a little bit like a reporter, I'm basically narrating what I'm seeing. And that becomes the guidance for the actual journey. And so people have very personal experiences in their own inner space and they may mirror what I'm saying in words or they may be often a completely other energetic tangent depending on what's really personal and appropriate for them and um, they will guide us through the journey and then these they will come with us in those journeys you'll feel them and people who are sensitive to energy will sometimes feel their presence with them while we're doing the transmissions or even see them in life form and so they come with us on these journeys and they're, they're there and they always sign off in a beautiful way. They say, you know, together we, through the light of the, the central sun or the great central sun, we are with you together for we are one. They'll always say that in some form. And they remind us that even though they are spiritual and interdimensional, and of course we can see that in all kinds of glamorized ways or interesting ways, they're very down to earth about it. And they say, you can just think of us as, as family, like we're brothers and sisters and we're in a different experience in incarnational cycle and in the way our reality is right now compared to the earth. But you can't frame spiritual understanding based simply on a material manifestation. Our souls are eternal. Our souls are as luminous as theirs are, and we're on a journey or a mission to be part of the Earth's evolution at this point in time. And they're here to help us in that. And they're here specifically because this is a critical time on the Earth where the nature of the transformation that's taking place cannot even be fully understood. It's so profound and, and far-reaching. And we need that kind of help because we're, as we go through a transition, we, we were veiled to a lot of understanding and knowledge. And on, from their vantage point, they have it so they can help us. And so they're here in that role of service to help us walk through this journey with grace and ease and all the support that we can possibly receive. And so it's been pretty amazing, like the experience of being with them in the transmissions, working with them in this capacity, you know, as a guide, <laughs> but also to see the transformation that people get to experience by participating themselves and the stories, you know, that people will return to me about their experience with the Syrians and with the transmissions. And I always like, I take no ownership of it. It's, it's a personal process. It's something we're all undergoing and they're just here working in this way to guide us through that, that space, that portal of time. And so um, the, the love they generate, the luminosity that they generate, the wisdom that they speak, like sometimes the way they will put phrases to like words to phrase is it blows my mind. Like I'm, I read them sometimes afterwards and I think, how did that even conceive itself as a thought form? You know, because <laughs> the words are so beautiful and uh, they contain this power of transformative integration like you read the words and you can't not be changed by what you read or you hear the words and you realize you can't not be changed and you see the magical power that that holds to help push us forward and to help us open up the light inside of us and to awaken our soul's energy and destiny and it's really a beautiful thing 
It's a long answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, no, that was wonderful. That was yeah. so so helpful and so powerful to hear. And you know, I I I do I strongly recommend everybody listening to go to your website and check out your upcoming transmissions because they really are this incredibly powerful thing to experience um, and to really. Let it, you know, let yourself fully immerse in that shamanic journey, fully immerse in the wisdom that is shared. Um, and we really do need this support right now. You know what you said as far as it's just it's so much bigger than we our, our minds or, you know, or ourselves can possibly comprehend. Yeah, um, it really does feel that way. And so I love that you're bringing through this message that, you know, this, this, these transmissions coming through, you are here to support us in that way. And, and I welcome everybody to, you know, to, we, we need to tune into all of our guides at this time, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's our star families or our yeah. animal guides or our angelic guides, because they, they can see things that we can't see. Yeah. And we have so many resources available to us when we do tune in with them and let their their words and their wisdom flow through us and inform and guide us. Um, so this is a this is a, va- a vast remembrance, you know, for us to, mm-hmm. to come back into connection with. Um, well, so the the Syrians have some really strong messaging around how you know what we're moving into. So could you say a little bit more about that? Sure. Um... The just before I touch on that, I, there's one thing you said, Johnson, that really touched me. I, I just I love to hear it. It's it's we're it's a remembering, and I think that's so important for all of us to to grasp and understand. The, as the Syrians work with us in the capacity that they do in the transmissions, they're always reminding us. They're always saying, "We're here to remind you. We're here to help you remember. We're here to help you reconnect. We're here to help you rekindle." They have all these, you know, verbs that they will use that just trigger in us this awareness that something is awakening in us. And as it does, we feel in our experience like we're remembering things. And it's because it is there. It's just been hidden. It's been purposely hidden. It's been like the earth has been on a, a journey where it was required that that was the design of reality. And as we go forward, that's that veil is lifting and we're getting a peek of all kinds of things that are on the other side, not just light beings and star families and things, but the whole realm of spiritual existence and what we could call a multidimensional or quantum structure to the nature of things and how energy is is built. And so um, as we go through this remembrance, it's it's like shifting from black and white into color. Like the the nature of reality is so profoundly changed that we have to be very gentle with ourselves and very kind with ourselves and very patient with ourselves and very tolerant with ourselves and very all the things that you would list as an avatar's way of life. <laughs> you know, if you're going to be a spiritual being, they all are on the list. And, but they start with ourselves and we have to really be that way because we don't, we're like children. We don't really know quite yet where we're going or what this new world is really going to be. We just are really, really infantile, you know, at the level we are and we're awakening to it. And it, it can be fun and a discovery like that. And I think that's really the right approach. You know, if we kind of take a 
through the way children take things, I think it serves us well because it can be mentally overwhelming if we try to understand it, all that kind of stuff. So this is a little bit of an aside, but I think an important thing for us all to kind of ponder on and reflect because it's it's easy to be harsh on ourselves or, or not understand the nature of the transformation. And then to realize too, as we live it in this world, there's a tremendous challenge to what we're doing. The world is changing. It feels like it's kind of disintegrating under our feet. There's this uncertainty, this, you know, fraughtful anxiety about what's happening on the planet. Everything from, you know, nature cycle changes to politics to social norms to, you know, <laughs> just the list goes on and on. And so as we go through this metamorphosis, we're caught up in this soup of change. And the Syrians are always bringing us back to that understanding. And every year they'll give kind of a theme message. They they don't do this too often, but it's usually in the fall of the year, I'll get a channeled message that's kind of a preparation, I guess, a consciousness preparation for the energy of what's to come. (laughs) So they they describe 2023 in a really peculiar way. They said, you're going to feel this whole year and almost until the fall of 2023, like you stepped into a kaleidoscopic tube and you're walking through the tube and everything is shifting and changing and moving around you. And there's this interesting sense of stability. You feel centered and grounded in yourself. You know, you're kind of there holding your own. But it's like you're moving forward and everything around you is constantly in transformation. And the moment you think you understood something, it changes again. It's like nothing seems to stay in focus. It's just all this moving light. And I think it was a brilliant. Um, so true. Isn't it? <laughs> like thought, yeah, you know, really true. Yeah. Yeah. And so this was kind of what they said we're in now. And they... I, I was really grateful they they shared that message because I I found the year unsettling. Like I feel very stable and there's so many interesting things happening and I'm relatively excited about it most of the time. But there's so much that can get into our psyche, you know, like it's just that the living through the changes is not always easy. And um, to to hear the message and reflect on it and think, oh, that's how it's actually supposed to be. So if it's supposed to be like that, there's nothing to worry about. Let's just, you know, carry on, right on. <laughs> and it allows us to kind of not get hooked into the kind of worry or anxiety or other emotional things that can become part of it when we're uncertain in that way. And so I found that message to be trend- tremendously reassuring. But they've also said that so much of what's changing on the planet, we can think in, in two different Ways We can think in terms of energy and we can think in terms of consciousness. And so our consciousness is transforming. We're becoming aware of the earth as part of a a system of life. It's part of a solar system, part of a galactic system, part of, you know, a creation system, if you will, part of creation. And it's not a planet that's kind of existing on its own with life on it and life nowhere else. And we're, we're starting to realize it's, it's part of something much bigger and much vaster than our elementary science and astronomy would teach us about. <laughs> and so 
there's things changing in that way in consciousness. We're becoming more aware of those things. We're becoming more aware of energetic reality. People speak a language that's energy based now. That's not the way people spoke years ago. Like I walked into a meeting not long ago and one of the chiefs of the department was talking about resonating with the vibe in the room. And I thought, well, there you go. Like, <laughs> okay, you got the message. <laughs> but it's just a beautiful illustration of how that language has infiltrated our everyday, like our thinking and our minds. And so we're beginning now to think more in terms of both energy and consciousness. And the the value of that, I think, is it makes reality more fluid in that before we see things as energy, if we see them as solid, they're so structural, they're so embedded, they're so created, they're so stuck (laughs) that they seem immutable. But when we start understanding reality is an energy experience, we realize it's in constant transformation. And so The earth is an energy system. Our human body is an energy system. All everything that's created in reality is part of an energy system. Nature is part of that energy system. And all of these things have communication. They have interrelationship. They're part of the bigger systems of energy. And as we go through that consciousness awakening, we come exposed to the energies of what they contain. And so we're starting to realize we can work in healing capacities with sound, with energy, with conscious thought, with love, with these kinds of things that would be poo-pooed years ago because people wouldn't understand the potential of them. But because we're moving into this more energetic structured reality, then we can change energy and therefore change reality. And we become aware of our role as creators in the reality. So since we are consciously creating and living in an energetic system that we are imposing our consciousness on, if you will, we have the capacity to bring very positive change to that energy system and to that world. And that's what I see humanity undergoing right now. And we see it more on the underside of the change that's taking place. The On the surface, we're seeing the breakdown. You know, we're seeing systems fall apart. We're seeing polarity and division. We're seeing crazy, ancient, old ways of thinking resurfacing and being put back into law and all this kind of foolishness that, like, it's all going to be undone again. But we have to live through this mess, I guess, you know, while it's all taking place. And you kind of see that happening and you look at it and you think, we're not going forward, we're going backward. But that's not what's happening. It's we're going forward with such intensity that there's a lot of holding on. There's a lot of resistance within the energy to do it because it's moving so fast. But we'll get to a point where everything will just kind of have to pop or burst and that all has to be undone again. But that will happen very, very quickly as we move forward. And we're going to start to see in the the next generation, like the younger generation, they think and experience reality in a very different way. Like if you have experience with kids and teenagers and things, you'll probably resonate very deeply with what I'm saying. They're just, they're different and we know they're different and it's a beautiful thing. They're highly creative. They're very autonomous. They have an innate sense of their own spiritual worth and destiny. 
They understand the power of working together to create positive change. They see through foolishness and deceitfulness and dishonesty with no effort. Like it's just so transparent to them. And these are the leaders of tomorrow. So you can just see where they're going to bring us as they step into their own positions of authority and power and governance and, you know, social leaders and all that kind of stuff. So we have to be a little patient with the process because the magnitude of what's changing for humanity is so big, so vast and so all reaching that it's not going to happen in a day or a week. It's going to take a generation or two or three for it to really settle in. But what we're moving towards is an ascended consciousness. It's a a world where we live in a different frame of reference. We're going to understand we are not religious beings, we're spirit beings. We're beings that contain spiritual light. We come from the creator light. We are part of a spiritual civilization, the way that we manage our energy, the way that we deal with other people, the way we speak to them, the way we treat them, all has an impact on the collective nature of the energy of the whole. And nobody's ever served well if if I win to hurt by hurting someone else to make them lose. Like all these principles of competition and all that kind of stuff will be totally transformed in our everyday thinking. And we're going to start working together in very different ways. Now, that doesn't mean we won't have problems to solve or, you know, issues between people or families or countries or other things, but we'll approach it with a much higher consciousness to create solutions that really are destined to benefit everybody involved. And so many of the forces that control reality right now, like the dark stuff that tends to make poor decisions for the collective, for someone's greed or someone's individual prosperity and all this kind of stuff, all of that will become impossible in the new energy, as much as it's part of our reality now, it won't even be a possibility as we move into the energy of what's coming. And so, you know, those are, they're breathtaking things to say, I realize, because <laughs> we, we feel like we've been struggling with that for such a long epoch of time, you know, but but that is the nature of the change that's taking place. So the Syrians always have messages that are trying to govern our thinking and orient our thinking towards what we are becoming and to stay focused on that path, to stay focused on that understanding, to stay focused on that luminosity and not to get too distracted. Like if we do, then just recover and move on, you know, get yourself back together and start again. (laughs) But do your very best to kind of keep in a frame of mind that allows you to stay on that path and the balance that that brings and the hope and the the effervescence, I guess, is the word I'm looking for, the effervescence that that allows into our lives because we need that bubbliness. We need to feel that sense of hope and life to realize that what we're living through right now is is tough but worth it and that it's bringing us to something extremely magnificent that we can barely understand. And um, they're, all of their messages will always come back to that core idea. They always do. That's so, so incredibly beautiful. Thank you for, for sharing this, this outlook um, for the future. And I love the word effervescence. Yeah. (laughs) It says a lot. (laughs) 
Um, you look like you have little light bubbles behind you with your lights. <laughs> Effervescence in the, <laughs> in the video. It's so fascinating, you know, to, I, I'm going to bring an astrology, um, tie in here. It's just so fascinating uh, uh, as I was listening. And I always, you know, I, I have this astrological and astronomical kind of approach to things naturally. What you're saying is so profoundly aligned with the themes of Pluto moving into Aquarius, which just happened earlier this mm-hmm. year. And Aquarius has been quite activated by the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction in 2020 and now Pluto moving there. But these ideas of egalitarian leadership, for example, you know, it's not the people at the top that have all the power and money. It's more of a youthful leadership and a, and a more community grassroots kind of leadership and that any, the, the old order must fall, you know, it mm-hmm. just fits so beautifully with what you're saying. And mm, that's amazing. I wasn't really aware of that. So that's, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. It's really, it's fascinating to hear. And it's, it's just so interesting because when we hear these um, concepts of what we're moving toward in the future, it can be hard to to grasp because we feel like we're in a, such a different place right now. But many different modalities of discerning that all point to the same thing, right? So then it gives us a little bit more peace and a little bit more assurance about, you know, that we can trust these. these yeah, things. yeah, an empowered peace. <laughs> empowered peace, yes. Yeah, an effervescent and empowered peace. <laughs> <laughs> we solved it. We solved it all. <laughs> It, and it's really helpful because, uh, you know, it, it, as you know very well, it's not just the external events happening. It's that we're going through so much on inner levels, emotional levels, changes in our personal lives, you know, that do feel really difficult to navigate at, at times. The intensity is high yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with these things right now. Yeah, so. it's very, very true. They, uh, I know the Syrians, when they're in doing the channel, part of the messages. They will all, they'll very often address this and they will acknowledge humanity at this crossroads understanding that it's so, it's not easy to live the experience we're living. And we forget that. Like we kind of think we're superheroish in a way where we can kind of just troubadour through anything and it's supposed to be okay. But no matter how courageous you are in spirit no matter how strong you are in spirit you still face the challenges of all this constant energetic change and feeling isolated at times and feeling unsupported at times and feeling hopeless because things don't go fast enough and you know all this very human experience it's a very difficult thing and they always are reminding us it's different to see this experience through the lens of being in it than it is to see it from being outside. And so they can kind of view it more as an observer while we're viewing it as an experiencer. And that's, they recognize that's the tough role. That's actually the hard role because it's not easy to do that. And they say the souls that are drawn to awaken to the knowledge, awaken to the experience, to do things that support themselves in participating in the, you know, the ascension, the transformation, energetic changes, meditative changes, healing oriented changes, dietary changes, all the things that are part of that are 
are they, they know to do this. They're called to do this because it's in their soul to be the kind of being that's meant to be in these places at these times to do this. And I find that really reassuring because it's nobody gets up in the 3D world and tells you these things. Like you're not going to, you know, go speak to your best friend or your <laughs> your brother or your sister and they're going to say, well, this is who you really are and this is what you're really doing. So we don't understand ourselves in that frame of reference. But when they speak to us, they acknowledge us in that way. And it's really important, I think, for our souls to be seen by another being that carries that consciousness. It's like being witnessed. You know, if you witness, it's it's a witnessing that allows you to kindle the strength within you to keep going on. And so the, the most magical thing, I think, is that has been part of my experience working with the Syrians is that strength that comes from them. It's an internal strength that they're always igniting or fanning the flames they're not giving it to us. They're giving oxygen so that it has the capacity to do its its magic. And so that's how I always feel in working with them. They they lift us up. They create a sense of power and buoyancy and possibility because they know how very, very difficult it is. And with but with that, then we have the capacity to kind of really move through it and do all the good things. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I've been feeling lately that this, you know, however deep the depths might be or the, you know, if we feel like we're in a time of darkness, we have equal access to the opposite of that. Right. So as we're as we're feeling so deep in the in the darkness, we have access to even more light. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Beautifully expressed. <laughs> yes. I, I'm curious to, um, to ask you about a, a kind of along those lines, this, this idea of the increased light coming in. Um, we hear so much about solar flares, the increase in solar flares. And I think the, we're recording this in May 2023. You know, I think the amount of solar flares so far this year is already like, vastly more than we had in 2022. And that was already vastly above, you know, what we'd had in previous years. Do you have any thoughts or insights on that? Or do the, have the Syrians shared anything yeah. that is part of our journey here? They have actually, Justin. It's a wonderful question. They, the way that they've helped me understand this is, well, think in astrological terms because I find it's really helpful. You know how we, we can kind of see the earth is the epicenter of our reality. I mean, the sun is the center of our solar system, but the, in terms of life for us, the earth is kind of our epicenter. And the earth is receiving a constant stream of energy from the sun. So the sun is like a powerhouse. It's the, the part of this little aspect of reality that from which the energy is generated to send life and light into being. And so, but the sun doesn't just self-generate the light. The sun also receives light, which comes from other suns. And in fact, Sirius has often been identified as the sun behind our sun. It's like the pathway that light comes from the galactic core and is channeled into our sun and eventually into the earth. 
And it's why the Syrians were so deeply connected with the Egyptian teachings and, you know, the rising of Sirius, you know, bringing on the fertility cycle in Egypt and all of the gods and goddesses that were part of the temple life and the healing magic and all those things. Because it was recognized that the light of that star also is connected to the light of our star, our sun. But we can even go back deeper and if we go all the way back through suns upon suns upon suns we would go kind of to the great central sun and so everything that's in creation is part of this energetic matrix if you will and things are moving in it and they're moving in a really patterned way and so our our planet will go through rotational relationships with different planets as we're cycling around and the sun and the moon and everything else. And we can begin to understand the consciousness influences of those positionings on the way it would structure the energy of the earth in reference to those dominant energies or those patterned energies. And I think that's a really, I don't understand a lot about astrology, but I think I understand uh, the, the essence of it. <laughs> That's a beautiful <laughs> description of it. Yeah. <laughs> and so we can keep getting bigger. And the earth and this whole solar system is also moving through aspects of the whole galaxy, the whole galactic arm and, and so on. And we can, you know, get as big as we can possibly imagine in our mind how that would go back to the center. And so our solar system and our earth is positioned to move into an energy that I don't think anybody can really understand other than to say it's like a big energy. You know, people talk about the photon belt or different things. But, I mean, I think what we can truly genuinely grasp as human beings is the idea, oh, there's a lot of energy. (laughs) We're moving into a place where there's a lot of energy that's going to be streaming on the Earth. And the reason the Earth had to go through this experience of ascension that we're talking about here in the background is because it was known that this was going to happen and because what's going to happen in the you know in the days months weeks decades moving forward is we're moving into this stream of energy and as we do that the energy that's arriving on the planet would would overwhelm the planet if the planet wasn't prepared and positioned to receive that light in a way that's safe and balanced and integrative. And so before the earth even gets to go into that energy, we had to stop and take a measurement. And that's what we talk about, the harmonic convergence, this measurement of energy. And a simple way of saying it is measuring human consciousness, like on a scale of one to 10, how conscious is collective humanity at this point in time? And we can substitute the word conscious for capable of understanding love. <laughs> they're, they're kind of synonymous in, in what we're speaking of. Mm-hmm. How loving is humanity? You know, how, how far has it moved into love as a fundamental expression of itself? And so, We look at the world and, of course, we see wars and global conflicts and struggles and all these kinds of things. And we think, well, not very far, I guess. You know, we're still doing all this foolish stuff and in the background. But if you strip that away and you look at the everyday and you say, how are people with each other? How are mothers with their children? How are people in relationships with each other? And you look at humanity on a very microcosmic level, like not the big picture level, but the the more individual, personal level, 
the amount of love that exists on this planet is phenomenal. And people are so full of it all the time. And they're so kind and giving and generous and nurturing in all kinds of ways, whether it's with our children or with our friends or with our congregations in a spiritual community or, what, you know, whatever. There's so many, many beautiful ways that people love with our work and the things that we do in service to humanity. And so when you look at humanity as a whole, the amount of love is really a lot, way more than we give ourselves credit for. And the measurement was kind of taken because we needed to understand as the earth moves into this new energy experience, this new cycle, does humanity have enough capacity to love, to sustain the transformation that that's going to bring safely? And so that's really what the harmonic convergence was. We talk about dates and celestial times and positions of the equinox and all that kind of stuff. But the truth is that's really what it is. It's this measurement of that consciousness pattern. And so at the time, the answer was, yes, it is. So this is the whole reason why ascension began. It's why we started talking about it. It's why we started, people started having internal experiences of understanding things. And yeah. just a side note, that was in 1987, right? Just to set the context. Yes. Yeah. Right. 1987. That's yeah. right. And so that kind of launched this whole beginning. But then in response to that, the earth also had to be prepared. And so the electromagnetic grid of the planet was adjusted. It was adjusted in a way to strengthen and expand the electromagnetic grid to allow it to begin to integrate the future energies. Like it had to be done as a foundational thing. So when we start talking about the aurora and all of these types of energies that are now witnessed and experienced and seen and recognized to be way more frequent than they used to be or way more powerful than they used to be or more full of color or more full of where they come further down the globe. (laughs) What they really represent is the inflow of energy over the electromagnetic grid of the earth that then cycles and spins down through the axis of the earth. And when they're spinning down through the electromagnetic axis, it creates a field of light that we witness as the aurora borealis. And so it's a testament to the fact that we're in this new energy. It's these, we're in this space where this energy is being integrated. And because the electromagnetic changes were prepared, it allows the earth to absorb that energy in a more direct way but without spinning it out of control. So you can think of it like a top that was spinning. If you all of a sudden came along and gave it a really big push, that it could, it would knock the top off its axis because the energy is too powerful. But if it's spinning really strong and it's really stable and it's really able to hold itself through the energy and then this energy comes upon it, it will integrate it and continue to spin. And that energy is coming upon the earth. It is. And so we're integrating it. And it's that light and energy that's driving so much of the transformation. And so as the energy arrives on the earth, there's a whole crystalline repatterning that takes place. There's a whole foundation of energy that we can think of as the the new crystalline foundation of the future that's being activated and amplified. And on it, crystalline fields of light and energy that are going to become the matrix 
which gives form to the things that are going to exist in that new world. And so there's this flowering that's taking place on the planet. And as that energy comes down, it's nurturing that flowering of the crystalline energy on the planet. And so that will be what propels the planet into a new crystalline reality, an energy that's very, very strengthened and different and coherent in all kinds of ways that we're not really part of the old energy system. And when we really land there, <laughs> you know, when we really make the transition and we're there, because we're, we're in transition now, but when we really land there, things will not be able to exist there that can exist in the old energy or can even continue to exist during the transition. But the transition will shift all of that. And when, but when we get to the place where we're there, we're going to realize things couldn't be the way they were. For example, it would be inconceivable that a human being would genuinely want to hurt another one. Mm. And that's not our life today, <laughs> but it is the life we're growing into. It would be a place where that would just not be the way of relationship and people would understand. And we, it comes with the maturity where if you found yourself inclined to do that, you'd be self-aware enough to know what to do not to do it. Like you, you, know, you see what I mean? Like human consciousness will change. What it means to be a human being will change. And so the whole essence of, of everything will be transformed by that. Imagine if that's how we lived and that's how we approached a business decision or how we approached a political decision or how we approached, um, you know, the, uh, a mining decision or something that has an impact on the, the natural balance of the earth. Imagine if we had that frame of thinking and that way of being, and that's where we spoke from and came from when we made those decisions. You can see how positioning ourselves like that will change everything. It's the kinds of things that we would be able to tolerate or do today will be so different from what it's possible to tolerate and do tomorrow. But it won't be done in an aggressive way. It will be done in a way of understanding. And that everything we lived to grow to this point, to become ready to take the step into the next, will be understood as a natural part of that evolution. And so we won't even look back and say, you know, how could we have been so dumb or <laughs> how could humanity be so foolish? It would be, no, no, that's what happens when you grow. And then you get to a point when you're ready to make a transition into the next thing. Just it's like a natural cycle in your life. You'll do things as a teenager, for example, that you're not going to do as a 20 year old or then again as a 30 year old or 40 year old. You'll make adjustments in your consciousness as you move. So, yes. So, yeah. Yes. And this is this beautiful unfolding that we're living in right now that we're going to we get to live the path to how we get there right we yeah. get to live it and see how that blossoms i had this beautiful image as you were um, sharing a bit a few minutes ago of you know our normal perception of the sunlight is the sun showers down and the flowers bloom and the animals can grow and, and everything but this was just taking it to a whole other level, you know, the flares <laughs> coming down on the, the crystalline structure and just all of this incredible blossoming on an energetic level happening. <laughs> and uh, it was really beautiful. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. And it's it's so conceivable, isn't it? Like you, mm-hmm. you can really appreciate that that's we, we have enough experience now with with 
quantum things and the artistic kind of representations that artists bring us of interdimensional spaces and energy that we can speak this language and actually have a concept of the kinds of things that are happening. You know, even if we don't see it with our eyes, we can see it with our mind. And uh, it's what you're saying is really beautiful and powerful because the, you know, we don't walk around every day seeing crystalline things or seeing interdimensional things. Most people don't anyway, but you, but you know, it's happening. And when you realize that that is in essence, what's happening inside and it's not just manifest yet, it's kind of in the, you know, the developmental phase it's another one of those concepts that brings us peace. And the more we bring ourselves back to peace, the more we are prepared to keep walking, I think. So it's a very important fundamental teaching. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We do need we need all the inner peace that we can get at this <laughs> yeah, exactly. this stage of great change because that really helps us to navigate it. A hundred percent. We make such better decisions from there. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Yes. Wow. Well, thank you so much for all that you have shared today. This has been so powerful as always. And you really have, you have a great gift for taking these very vast concepts and really helping to ground them and make them understandable for us on a human level. So thank you for sharing that gift. Oh, thank you, Jocelyn. You know, it's my pleasure. I really, uh, I enjoy, I enjoy talking to you all the time and I really get, enjoy sharing this with the whole audience too. So it's a really uh, magical moment. These nice little convergences of, of time and thought. <laughs> yes. yes, absolutely. I know everybody listening will be so uplifted and supported by this. Yes. And you have a wonderful free gift for us, which is a package of the Unity Field Healing. Um, would you like to say a little bit more about that? And I'll tell people where to find that link. Sure, yeah. So I always like to do this, Jocelyn, when I'm speaking and doing things. It's <clears throat> I'll create a little contest where people can enter the draw and I'll select three people to receive the whole audio package of Unity Field Healing. So it's a, a quantum-based energy healing process that works in the quantum DNA system of energy. So it's a lot to kind of digest as a thought form (laughs) but people can read about it the easiest thing to do is read about it on the website and and they'll have a much better understanding you know with the pictures and diagrams and things that will explain what the work is but uh i will always select three people to uh to be gifted with the audio package so they'll receive all the meditations and healing program wonderful and this is an incredibly valuable and life-changing gift so Thank you for offering this and everybody who's listening and watching. If you scroll down just below the video or audio that you're tuned into right now, you will see the link to claim that that gift and enter um, to win that amazing, amazing unity field healing package. So thank you, John, for sharing this with the world, too. My pleasure. <laughs> yes. Um, well, are, do you have any final words of wisdom? I'm I'm feeling called to ask you that as we're, sure. as we're closing here. The message of the moment is to really take time in a personal way every day 
just to still yourself and be in a conscious space of inner peace. Just feel that reset point in your energy. And it doesn't have to last long. It doesn't have to be all day. You don't have to meditate for hours. But just take a few moments in the morning before you start the day, maybe again in the evening or any time during the day where you feel called to do it or you feel like your your energy is getting frazzled or busy or, you know, uncoordinated in some way. And just be still, close your eyes, go inside and feel that integrative energy inside you. And it sounds like such a simple thing and an obvious thing, but it's something we we don't do enough as human beings. And if we would do it, it would we'd realize the value of doing it. We realize how powerfully that allows us to reset our energy. And because we're energy beings, we're in the middle of all these changes we've been talking about in the conversation. We're being influxed with all these powerful galactic energies and solar energies and, and, you know, astrological configurations that are challenging the energy to move in certain directions and all those, you know, wonderful things that you know about in the realm of astrology. And as we live through that, it's easy to get tossed around, you know, like we're in the ocean and there's lots of movement and, and waves, but just to still ourselves, to go back in that place, to reset. And then when you open your eyes, come back into the world in that state of balance and begin to live again from that space. It's a simple message, but I think it's really powerful, especially in the energy of this year, because there's so much upon us and it's so constantly changing all the time that we need that consciousness anchor. I guess is the nice way to say it, to be able to to realize how valuable and important that is. So a simple message today, but that's really what's in my heart to share with people. So important. And that is that is the way back to that inner peace and calm and stillness. Yeah. So, yes. A very important message. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you again, John. It's been a pleasure as always to speak with you. And I wish you all the best in everything that you are working on. I hope you've enjoyed this wonderful episode of the Sacred Planet podcast. Be sure to click like and subscribe to our channel so that you will receive future updates. You'll know when we go live and when we are publishing the new episodes. And also be sure to put a note in the comments. What did this episode mean to you? What did this speaker and this topic inspire and awaken in you? And how do you want to share that with the world in new ways going forward? I would love to hear in the comments. And while you're here, go ahead and click on another podcast episode and open your mind, open your heart to more beautiful wisdom from the podcast. Much love, everybody. That was great. Happy birthday to me. I like that. All right. Teresa Ballard has a short one for us tonight. Yes, we have to look. And I'll just read here. It says, how do we discern what will support us in progressing in our life? Facing life's challenges empowers us to experience growth and ultimately more joy. While challenges empowers us to experience, oh, excuse me, 
while stagnation and lack of progression leads to discomfort. The first step in moving into new possibilities begins by cultivating our awareness, gratitude, and igniting our hope. This is called Stand in Integrity, Dr. Teresa mm-hmm. Bullard. Tapping into the tools we possess for creating positive change supports us in awakening to shine the light of hope on the world in this transformative time. Turning the page here. Watch this segment from episode 21 of Quantum Minds TV with distinguished guest Ipsissimus Dave Lanyon, as we discuss the need for awakened individuals to embrace their divine potential, sign up with your email address to receive early access to the new episodes soon as they release. To watch this full episode, register, blah, 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 blah. Okay, we just... Did you find it, Commander? Okay. All right. So this is um, nine minutes. Let's see what nine minutes can do for our upliftment tonight. Now, when 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 you're talking good and evil. Uh, are we talking about it in a religious perspective? Are we talking about it in a, you know, common sort of everyone should have the same definition of what these terms are? Or how do we, how do you define what is good and what's evil? How do you know? How do you discern that? Ah, well, in the traditions of the mystery school, uh, evil is that which stops your progression. So if something is helping you to progress, to understand, uh, to know thyself, then it is serving good. It's it's serving a good purpose for you. And I, where I see people make the biggest mistake is they interpret good as non-challenging. So if it doesn't challenge me and it helps to fulfill my ego's desires, it's good. And that's actually not the definition of good at all. Actually, that often misleads you. It is seeking constant comfort as opposed to growth that causes stagnation and the dissatisfaction of the self, which leads to apathy and depression and many other things. So the right amount and in the correct way of challenging someone can be very good. The, the discomfort, if you think about your personal life, it's often been the discomfort that led to the greatest joy. So for most people, I would say that they honestly don't understand when we talk good and evil what I'm talking about. If, e- if I were to say that evil creates a repetitive cycle of suffering and that good is that which breaks that cycle into growth, you might begin to have a conception of where we need to go when it comes to good and evil. And, and a huge part of good is empowerment, is, is acknowledging the self as a powerful individual who can make a difference for themselves. And so something that disempowers you and creates stagnation and says you can't, um, that is often 
uh, uh, something that is evil in your life and is is a negative, and you have to stand up against that and find that strength to do it. Mm-hmm. Well said. Now, one of the things that you mentioned before is, is Shambhala, and that we, you know, are very much on this uh, this mission of trying to help make the world become a better place. What we call Shambhala, a more balanced world, a more sustainable world, harmonious, um, and and yet it'll be you know, futuristic at the same time. Now, when we look at the world today, it's very easy to get dismayed. It's very easy to look at the world and say it's falling apart or, you know, we're, we're backtracking, we're regressing. Uh, is there any hope, right? In, in where, like how far out is it that this new Shambhala might actually come? What's it going to take to succeed at, at fulfilling this mission and making that leap? Uh, when when you look at the world, where's the hope uh, and how do we bring that in to help encourage people, you know, that there is a, a real strong chance that we're going to succeed at this? Well, the first thing is if someone even questions where's the hope, there's hope because they're aware it exists. So in acknowledging when someone says there's no hope, I know I take that as a hopeful sign because I'm like, it sounds weird, but you have to acknowledge that hope exists for you to say there is none. So the first thing is it, it, the world, yes, can absolutely feel like sort of a, a depressive place, a hopeless place. And there are times you, you, you sort of wake up and you look at your social media or the news and you just say, Oh my God, it, how is this ever going to get better? But it does get better. And if we look at history, now, a lot of people today want to talk about history as though it exists today. And you say, you know, that horrible history that you look at of the past, that means we grew past it. And we look at it through the lens of understanding, hey, that wasn't a good decision. We tried that. It wasn't good. It ended up being a, a bad thing for us. So we let it go and we moved on. And in the totality of humans, we're actually really good at growth. I mean, we wouldn't have what they purport to be about 8 billion people on the planet today if we weren't really good at being good. We, we actually are quite successful at, at, at um, tackling problems and overcoming them. So the first thing I say is you've gotten this far already. And for every person who's watching this, you know, now or in the future, I would say to you, you are the accumulation, the results of all those who survived every calamity before you, or you wouldn't exist. So you are in a chain of survivors who have overcome great obstacles, great problems, and succeeded. And can you imagine someone, if we were to take that, let's go back to World War II. How hopeless was it if you were uh, in World War II and living in Europe? There was, was there going to be brighter days? When the feet that don't take a break need a break. That's a job for O'Keefe's for Healthy Feet. It's it's always been hope is not a plan, but it's a motivator for a plan. And so hope always exists. However, hope comes from gratitude. You first have to count your blessings if you're going to have hope. And as you count your blessings, so do you realize that there is hope because there are good things. And with those good tools, within gratitude, uh, we realize we have, in most cases, all the tools we need to create the thing that we hope will happen, the better world. 
It's in counting the very things that you have today in front of you that you're grateful for that allows you to go, oh, I now can actually make a better world. I just was missing my my blessings. And so so much today I, I, I look at the world and yes, it, it could be depressing, but we've never lived in a more amazing, technologically advanced uh, potential for a greater world than, than ever in history. You know, when I was a kid, if you had said to me, you're going to have a device that sits in your hand that gives you all the knowledge of the world in it. I would have went, are you crazy? That's sci-fi. That's Star Trek. And that's your cell phone today. You know, and that's just one one tiny thing of where we're going. Self-driving cars? My God. I'm, the only thing I'm disappointed in is flying cars. I, I'm still waiting for the flying cars. Where are the flying cars? I want them. <laughs> They're happening. I, I, I just heard the other day that even Dubai and Japan are, are starting to give licenses for flying taxis. So they're coming. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the only thing. That's the only thing. But there's there's always been hope for the planet. And it is usually through the on the other side of the darkest days that our greatest potential has come. And so if these are dark days, then you can look forward to a much brighter future because through the darkness, We've learned so much about what we don't like about it, you know, when we're challenged by all of this. So what creates the potential and the light is the response by the darkness to that light. So usually the world gets crazier when there's more light coming in, not the other way around. You know, it it it, it is the resistance to that light, to that better way that causes the calamities but those eventually die off, and what's left is the good that came in, and we we sort of elevate from that position. So is there hope? Yes. And should we be grateful for it? 100%. Join us again as we continue to dive deeper into this enlightening conversation with Obsessimus Daylagen on the next episode of Quantum Minds TV. This conscious conversation was created, produced, and recorded by Dr. Teresa Bullard-White in Columbus. Okay, now we got one more short one. Mm-hmm. This is called your crystal healing toolkit. Okay. Our planet has an abundant variety of crystals, each with unique properties and abilities. So how do you know which crystal to work with? In this episode, our experts delve into the issue into the uses, the functions the systems, and the colors of crystals that promote physical and mental well-being. Create your own crystal healing toolkit by exploring which crystal to use for for the following purposes. Balancing masculine and feminine energies, working with the seven rays of light in the yogic chakra system, Activating and clearing the three Taoist elixir fields. Tapping into the planetary archetypes of Vedic astrology. Easing chronic or acute discomfort through the etheric body. And again, featuring Teresa Bullard-Weike, Luke Blue Eagle, Antoinette Ariel, Ariel, R-A-A-L, Tiffany, 
Tiffany April Ray Enos, Leslie Franks, and then we'll begin. Just 23 minutes. Here we go. This will top it off at the end here, everybody. healing, the question everyone wants to know is what crystal heals what? To understand the specific effects a crystal may have, we first need to know how crystals manifest healing powers. In this episode, you will learn the metaphysics behind crystal healing by exploring the seven rays of light, the Taoist elixir fields, and how the planets channel archetypal energy through Vedic astrological gems. These esoteric systems inform us on how crystals specialize their abilities so we can begin to understand what crystal heals what and why. Gems and crystals work with light and color frequency, which affects our energy body, as well as the karmic tendencies that we can see in our astrological charts. Humans have electromagnetic fields around them, commonly known as auras, and the right gems can boost the aura and enhance it, and the wrong gems can diminish it and throw us into a state of imbalance. The colors really make a difference when we're talking about the metaphysical properties of the crystals, because metaphysically we're talking about light, energy, spiritual energy, metaphysical energy. We all kind of use these terms interchangeably. And anytime we're talking about light, whether we're talking spiritual light or physical photonic light, the crystals will take that light in and optically shift it, or they might refract it, they might reflect it, they might absorb it, they might redirect it. So the crystals work with this light, both physical and metaphysical. And then the other thing I would add to the metaphysical properties of crystals is that these crystals are, they have a form of consciousness to them. They have their own spirit essence. Uh, in the ancient alchemical tradition, everything had spirit, everything had soul, everything had body. We call these the three essentials. In crystal healing, the energy centers called chakras or wheels of light are the primary placement points for the crystals. The crystals infuse the chakras with associated color and light frequency. The chakras interface the physical body to our subtle bodies or aura and are connected to specific glands, functions and themes. Each energy center has a signature vibratory rate which has distinct physical, psychological, or spiritual correspondences. Crystals activate the chakras to align with the central line channel, also called the Shushunma. This in turn stimulates the Ida, the moon channel connected to the parasympathetic nervous system, and the Pingala, the sun channel connected to the sympathetic nervous system, harmonizing our feminine and masculine impulses. With the support of the crystals on our chakras, the goal is to balance the duality of yin and yang forces within us, so the dormant central line channel can fully light up 
and opening the pathway for the flow of vital life force energy towards the upper chakras of spiritual connection. The color of a crystal is one of the main attributes that determines the effect it will have on our health and energy. So the understanding of the color or rays as they are sometimes called is very important. Generally speaking, when there is a chronic illness, there is usually a depletion of energy in a chronic illness. So you want to add energy so you'll be using a warm color. For example, the red is the warmest of the color and that is a ruby or you will use orange which is also a warm color with the madeira citrine or carnelian and the yellow which is the highest of the warm color with the yellow citrine or the golden topaz and then when you have a person who has an acute pain or illness meaning that something recent usually where there's a lot of accumulation of energy where there is inflammation what you're going to lose cool color so you will go for blue which is like the aquamarine you can go for the sapphire which is the indigo ray it's a deep blue with the sapphire I have a little sapphire there on my bolo or azurite crystal and the violet which is the highest of them all the violet to the amethyst which is very popular today if you want balance stability energizing yet soothing life-giving vitality you go to green so you want to have emerald and or chrysoprase or green jasper these stones will bring the color of the heart will bring stability and they are the color of healing green is the color of healing if you don't know what to use when in doubt choose green you'll never go wrong so the seven rays are the seven colors of the rainbow and they correspond also with your energy centers what some people call chakras which are in the middle string typically we want to work with the crystals of the color that corresponds with the chakra So for example the crown chakra we might work with either amethyst like or purple or just clear quartz and white stones with the the third eye you might work with indigo or uh, like a dark blue with the throat a lighter blue with the heart a green uh, all the green stones but also the pink stones are very much heart centered uh, solar plexus kind of the the yellow colors the hara the orange ones and then the root the red ones So this is a general place to start. The Taoists have a different understanding of our energy centers than the yogic traditions do. The yogic traditions have seven chakras that are associated with the colors of the spectrum. The Taoists have three elixir fields which relate to the Taoist alchemical process of personal transformation. The three areas of the body are the lower abdomen, chest and upper abdomen, and the throat and head region. The lower abdomen is an area that is energetically attached to our jing, our physical essence, our substance. Stones that are most effective for this purpose are ones that are known to break up accumulations in this region. They have dark colors and are especially in the agate and jasper family or the aventurines because they also break up accumulations. 
The chest region and upper abdomen is associated with chi or energy. Energy is how we interact with the world. Stones to affect this region could be white colored for the lungs, red or pink for the heart, and yellow or orange for the stomach and spleen. The upper region gives us access to heaven, to spirit or shen. The so-called third eye was considered by Taoists to be the single eye because when a practitioner was cultivating this region, judgments and comparisons began to fall away. Separations fell away. Everything could be seen as emanations of the one. A stone that could be used for this level of cultivation is the diamond. Its hardness conveys great confidence in what the practitioner has achieved. However, it can be very dangerous to work on this region without having already cleared up the lower two areas. People can go mad if they aren't clear of habitual thoughts and beliefs. Another ancient system of healing with crystals is Vedic gemology, which prescribes a specific gem based on your Vedic birth chart to balance out any challenging tendencies within you, transmute any karma you don't want, and boost your positive inner resources so you can live your best life. In Vedic gemology, there are nine precious gemstones that correspond with the nine planets in the solar system. When the sun is a beneficial influence for the wearer's astrological chart, the sun can be strengthened with a Vedic astrological quality ruby. Ruby is considered the king of gems. This can promote brilliance, empowerment, respect, recognition, fame. It can help with integration with the divine and the highest sense of self, one's true potential and authority in all areas of life. The second gem we're gonna discuss is pearl for the moon. Moon often is used to directly represent ourselves in Vedic astrology, but it's more of the emotional side, the psyche, the inner workings. So the moon overall signifies our emotions, the watery, changing, cyclical energy of them. And moon also relates to mother figures and higher intuition. When we wear a pearl, if it's a beneficial influence for the wearer's chart and its proper astrological quality, it can lead to greater emotional balance, peace, clearer intuition, states of ease, benefit to mother figures and home life. When Mercury is a beneficial planet in the wearer's astrological chart, they can strengthen it by wearing a Vedic emeralds. The reported benefits usually revolve around clarity, clarity of the mind, sharper communication skills, enhanced wit and humor, also business success and travel success, more efficient travel, and overall just more rapid processing of information. Mars is the planet of physical endurance, assertiveness, courage, strength, and overcoming battles. If Mars is a beneficial influence for the wearer, and it will keep them in a state of balance to wear a red coral, it can produce more courage and physical strength and motivation and vitality and athletic ability and victory over conflict. Venus is the planet of love in astrology. 
It also overlords creativity and fine arts and beauty. If Venus is a beneficial influence in the wearer's astrological chart, they can strengthen it even further by wearing a Vedic diamond. The most common benefits of diamond are enhanced, more fulfilling relationships, increased creative potential, more more luxury, more refinement and fulfillment in day-to-day life. Saturn is one of the most misunderstood planets in all forms of astrology. People fear its power because it's very heavy and prevalent and noticeable, and it can be very intense. Saturn can bring consequence, but it's usually in response to idleness or laziness or incoherence or carelessness in a person's life. Excellent results can be achieved if channeling Saturn energy into the wearer's body is done wisely. If Saturn is a beneficial planet, they can wear an astrological quality blue sapphire. This can bring about an increase in focus and self-discipline, greater work ethic, organization, commitment, and spiritual development. Jupiter is considered one of the greatest beneficial influences in all forms of astrology. Where Saturn is associated with constriction, Jupiter is associated with expansion. It represents the generous, the benevolent side of humanity. If Jupiter is a beneficial influence in the wearer's astrological chart, they can strengthen it even further with a Vedic yellow sapphire. This will promote wealth, expansion, wisdom, education, health of children, and generosity towards others, which comes around karmically pretty full circle. Rahu and Ketu are not actually planets, but technically they're mathematical points in space. They're known as the North and South nodes, but in Vedic astrology, they're known as Rahu and Ketu. If it's appropriate for the wearer's astrological chart, a Hesonite, the gemstone for Rahu, can bring about a sense of protection, and it can also bring about wealth and fame. Ketu, or the South node of the moon, represents enlightenment, liberation, detachment from anything that may be holding us down in the material world. And in certain contexts, it can be appropriate for somebody to strengthen Ketu with a Vedic cat's eye. But we have to be very careful because out of balance, this can create an increase in detachment and eccentricity that doesn't meld or relate to society. So for spiritual monks who are looking for this liberation from attachment, it can be a great stone. But for most people trying to integrate more in their day-to-day lives and in the material world, I exercise a great deal of caution with this gemstone. In addition to the highly specific and powerful functions of Vedic gems, there are many other quick and accessible ways to find a crystal that truly supports you. I might go into a new age shop to look for a stone that will attract love into my life. I look at the signs around all the various stones and I see that rose quartz is the one. It's the one I need. And this is true. Rose quartz can attract love, but there's more to it. Why is it that I am having difficulty attracting love in the first place? I need to take the time to look inside objectively to understand the obstacle. Am I a very rigid person? 
Am I very set in my ways, unable to bend my routines to accommodate others? Is there room for someone else in my life? Am I fearful of intimacy? Do I have a history of sexual trauma? Do I tend to be very irritable if someone challenges my habitual behavior so that I'm uncomfortable in a relationship? Does it make me feel not good enough, inadequate? Rose Quartz doesn't address any of these particular issues, but there are other stones that do. So this is how we start intelligently combining stones. Yes, I want love, so I put a chunk or sphere of rose quartz in the bedroom. Every time I go in, I'm reminded, this is the priority in my life right now. If I'm rigid, I can use a stone with no structure, an amorphous stone like opal. I can wear it as a pendant, touching the skin at the center of my chest to help me relax my tightly held views, my judgments. Clear quartz is one of the most important healing crystals for several reasons. Number one, quartz is an amplifier. Quartz will take in the energy that's given to it and then put a resonant amplified field back. It really magnifies the light that shines through it. Quartz also has its own electrical properties. So for example, if it's exposed to an electromagnetic field, that electromagnetic field will actually distort the lattice inside the quartz. And then when it's released, we get what's called the piezoelectric effect. So then the quartz will start to put out its own electric resonant energy. We are bioelectric beings as well. And we have electromagnetic field that our bodies put off. As we're sending energy through the quartz, we're we're flowing this kind of electromagnetic energy and then the quartz can help amplify that with its own uh, properties. And then because quartz is clear, it is said metaphysically to channel that pure white light or that source of light from the highest spiritual self, that highest spiritual energy. And so quartz just takes that energy in and flows it, but brings it through in an amplified way. And so quartz is, is really powerful uh, for just channeling that pure white light. Clear quartz has the same molecular structure as the first energy field around a human being, which is called the etheric web. Thus, the crystal quartz will naturally and automatically heal the etheric web by bringing an appropriately purified clear quartz through the etheric web. We give the person what is called a crystal bath. This will start an often complete healing of the etheric web if it has holes, tears, or imbalances. Black tourmaline is so practical. I always use it in my crystal healing layouts for grounding. They're loving, friendly, supplying us with light force while they diligently recycle dense energies into positive ones. Black tourmaline possess both pyroelectric and piezoelectric qualities. Black tourmaline can balance polarities. They stimulate the nervous system and purifies the aura from all kinds of energetic debris. It also has the added benefit of being an antioxidant with a trace mineral boron found in its composition. Black tourmaline is gifted when it comes to transmuting negative energy into usable positive energy. Azurite is a wonderful stone for the eyes. When we get eye strain from looking into the computer too much, 
at night before sleep, we can place small pieces of azurite, they call these blueberries, on the inner corner of the eye. Its chemical composition is copper and water, both of which are very effective conductors of energy. The water additionally helps hydrate the eyes to help cool them off and moisten them. Because of its chemical composition, it's also a good stone for acute injuries or after surgery or for any area of pain. Any stone with high copper content, such as malachite or chrysocolla, can be used for this purpose. These two are almost better than azurite because it's easier to get them in a polished state. You can use them to massage the injured, painful area or to gently rub scar tissue. Azurite and red coral, and I use them most often because they work directly with the bones and with alleviating pain in tendons and bones and articulations. For example, if I have a broken arm here, I've had it broken once, I bring the, the red coral like this along the bone, and it, what it does is it enhances the um, multiplication and of the creation of bone cells. So your fracture heals like two, two times faster. And then with the azurite, same thing, you take away the pain. Tendonitis with azurite, it's gone almost in minutes. Hematite is a powerful ally and premium grounding stone which supports our connection to Mother Earth. Hematite helps us to establish healthy personal boundaries and encourage us to take life into our own hands with focus and confidence. Hematite gathers wandering, confused, and ungrounded energies, dissolves negativity, and draws it down for integration. With a stable and secure base, grounded and connected to Earth, we have the possibility to soar higher into the astral realms and beyond without getting lost. Hematite is good to carry on airplanes, for jet lag, for daydreamers, sleepwalkers, before and after anesthesia, or anytime life presents itself with intense, shocking, or stressful situations. Hematite keeps all the subtle bodies linked to the material plane so we can be present. Hematite's gray, black, silver ray conceals the red ray, which is revealed when it is rubbed against the streak plate or in the stone grinder. The bright red dust left behind gives hematite the name bloodstone. And being 70% iron and 30% oxygen is known to revitalize the blood, the circulatory system, and support blood-related issues in general. Crystals really want to serve. They want to serve. So this is one of the reasons why I think they're so popular and they're so universal and everybody's going to benefit from working with them. With hundreds of crystals on our planet, finding out which one is the best match for you could feel overwhelming. As explained by our experts, crystals and their infinite array of properties are truly spectacular allies and friends that can help us, that are all around us, and that have been here all along.
and we just real quick I just want to say that Aurora Ray leaves us with this mm-hmm. thought as you enter into 5D your life becomes a magical adventure and you become a magical being who has the ability to manifest all of your dreams into the earth plane and uh, Tanya Gabrielle on a final note too we learned this earlier but I wanted to repeat it full moon in Aquarius exuberance exploration August is a special month in so many ways <laughs> it begins on day one with a full moon and ends with a second full moon and a new moon in between. A rare three lunations instead of the usual two. On August 1st, 7.31 p.m. Universal Time, 2.31 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. A gorgeous full moon in Aquarius brings Jupiter to the forefront. And I'm... Our sister Rainbird sleeping because she's getting a special heating from the Kesh people at 5 o'clock this morning, come Eastern time. This T-square is fixed in fixed signs, awakens an urge to expand and explore what stirs you with passion and ensures that you will dig in your heels. As long as you observe any tendency for overconfidence and overindulgence, you have a beautiful window to manifest positive outcomes. In another gift from the stars, Jupiter is supported by a positive and passionate trine to Mars. The Jupiter-Mars trine is powerful since it will be exact at 13 degrees, the number of the Divine Feminine. Empowerment through transformation. I think that will do it for this evening. And Rama, what do you have for us? This is Alan Watts. The purpose of life is not in the future. All right. People are always asking, is it necessary to know yoga breathing? Is it necessary to do Tai Chi? Is it necessary to, uh, I don't know what the hell, to be psychoanalyzed? And I would ask, necessary for what? Where are you going? What do you want? Yes, sure. If you want to get to New York, it's necessary to take the highway. But where are you going? What do you mean necessary? Well, is it necessary for becoming a Buddha? Anybody want to be a Buddha? (laughs) Do you know what it means to be a Buddha? How do you know you want to be a Buddha if you don't know what a Buddha is? People think, well, it would be nice to have peace of mind, to be serene, to be calm, to be undisturbed by this, that, and the other. But you see, so long as you make all those things objects of desire, you are defining yourself as lacking And a person who's looking for peace is obviously in turmoil. 
The person who is looking to end conflict is in conflict. And so the more you strive to stop the interior commotions, the more you are stirring them up. You are smoothing the waters with flat irons. So then we might, the, then comes up the people who say, all right, now, if you are going to tell us that uh, meditation is not necessary and uh, that it's all here and now, so then why do you meditate? Why do you have uh, religion at all? Why do you have rites? Why do you chant? Why do you do this, that, and the other? Why do you even talk about it? And my answer to that is, uh, there is no good reason for it whatsoever. This is a form of joyous energy. And it's a form of dance. Uh, it's a groovy thing to do. There are all kinds of groovy things to do and to everybody according to his taste. If you, of course, you, you, you can make anything whatsoever, any human activity into meditation simply by being with it and doing it completely to do it. In other words, when you're, say, swimming, if you really enjoy swimming, you're not swimming to get to the other side of a river or to swim so many yards or any competing with yourself or with other people like that. You're swimming to experience the water rippling past you, the floating sensation, to lie on your back and look at the blue sky and the gulls circling you are doing that every moment of it. You are simply absorbed in this ripply, luminous world, looking at the patterns and the shifting net of sunlight underneath and the sand way down. See, that's it. That's what it's about. That's what swimming's about. So you're not going anywhere. Getting together and uh, chanting together is what a lot of people do when they don't have television to look at. In uh, the jungles, on the steppes, in mountain communities, since as long as anyone can remember, people got together and do a thing I call digging sound and played with the sonic energy of the universe in just the same way as I described somebody playing with the water while swimming. And these people, when they do that, they don't worry about where they're going or what their destiny is or any nonsense of that kind because they're completely alive. So to understand all that I'm trying to say, I would like to see if you could change your basic notions of economics. And I mean the economics of energy. We are always scrimping and saving because our economics are based on scarcity rather than exuberance. But notice that the economics of nature are allegedly wasteful. They're based on exuberance. Many more seeds than are necessary for trees. Many more spermatozoa than are necessary for people. Many more stars than anybody could conceivably want. Galaxies galore. Nature is a vast celebration of energy. But if you complain about this and say, oh dear me, it's all running out, that means, you see, that you are looking for fulfillment in time. And you say, if there is not enough future, 
we won't get the golden goodie we're looking for at the end of the line. See, there is that feeling, there is the great golden goodie. That flower, that golden goodie, isn't at the end of the line. You're in it. The radiating petals, the mandala, the great circle of the flower, is the galaxy in which you live. It is uh, the whole universe radiating around you in which you are. And this radiation is also cycling. It's the dance in which you're involved. If you'd only realize that the purpose of life is not in the future. And if you think it is, you'll go on and on and on looking for it there and never find it. Because the future in its own way fades out in the same way as the past fades out. You get older and older and older. And if you don't come crash, you just peter out. It wasn't there. And you may feel vaguely cheated about the whole thing. You were given the come on. But there was something coming. There was that thing at the end of the line, the golden goodie. You've been sitting in the middle of the golden goodie all the time. to go a Peter saying good night we fleet we float we fleet we float we fly thank you everyone see you in your dreams and on the bridge until we meet again and so much is coming have a peaceful evening and namaste aloha sat nam sat nam ji Peace and love all over the world, everyone. <coughs> Namaste.